1977, Star Wars, the greatest film ever made, was released in cinemas. It was an instant galactic hit. Five really funny and handsome British men promptly loved the toys from the film and purchased them on the collecting underground. Today, still wanted by the administrators, they survive as collectors of fortune. If you have a problem, if none of the forums can help, and if you're going to Star Wars Celebration, find the fan table and join the Vintage Rebellion. Welcome to the Vintage Rebellion Podcast. I'm Stuart Skinner, your host for the show, and you are listening to episode 25, Mark and the Modal Nodes. Joining me, as usual, are my normal comrades. First up is our expanded universe fanatic, Loose Collector, and R5-D4 Focus Collector. It's Dickie Hutchinson. Good evening, Rich. Evening, guys. Next up is our Star Wars completist, a TIE Fighter Focus Collector, who has a huge love for cast and crew items. It's Grant Criddle. Good evening, sir. Hello, fellas. And next we have our auction-stalking, layer-loving, pregnant-figure-collecting man who has admitted to being skint this month after overspending on Disney Sumsums. It's Petey Weedy. Good evening, Pete. Hello there, Stu. Stu, stand up a sec. Yep. That I can oh. see you now. Hiya, Stu. <laughs> um, Sumsums. Sumsums, Pete? Is that how you say it? I have no idea. I, I, I think we should use the word Sumsums. Right, you're the only one I'm stopping here to talk to during your intro. Go what on. the hell is a Sumsum? Well, um, it's kind of a, like a soft sort of toy, quite small. I've got one in my hand now, bless him. Bless her, maybe. It's a ray, little tiny thing. Fits in my hand, so small. And um, you kind of kind of stack them. <laughs> that sounds amazing. It, it's kind of random. <laughs> you know, it's a ray, ray figure, and I've got, I've got two of them. So they come in different shapes, and you can get really big ones and stack those as well. But they're just little, kind of like almost like a bean bag. Right. But um, yeah, kind of random, but it's kind of cool. And finally, our seaman with an extensive collection of loose and mint on car with a side focus of Luke X-wing pilot. It's only flipping Jezebel. Good evening, Jez. Good evening, Stu. Good evening, lads. Good evening, everyone. Now this month sees us celebrating our second birthday since we started the podcast. And I don't think any of us could have believed how well received this show was going to be and just how far we've come over those two years. I'd like to say a huge thank you to all our guests over that time. And of course, the listeners, you've inspired us to keep us going with your generous feedback and amazing purchases and discoveries, which obviously fuels our show. Lads, you've got anything to, to say? Birthday birthday time? Well, I've got something that's in my mind now. You are just talking about stacking things. How many atats do you reckon you could stack up in a tower? before they all collapsed starting with one at at the bottom and putting the next one on top and the next one on top of that 
What do you reckon the world Guinness Book of World Records has the highest at that count? You do you reckon you do forty? <laughs> do you have forty at that to stack? No, up? but but I'm thinking it would be pretty funny to watch, wouldn't it? Somebody how, trying to stack at that. How do you get to the top to put the fortieth on? Stretch. You could, or you could stand on a smaller pile of atats as you go up. Or you run underneath it with your big harpoon gun and then shoot it and zoom yourself up. I think it's something we should try. We should everyone, everyone, bring your atat to celebration and Richard will give it a go. Or we'll do it at a father's farm. I think everyone should bring an atat and we'll just stack them and see how much one go. That that sounds. It's crazy, Rich, but crazy in a good way. Yeah. You know, I think you've had some weird birthday parties because Stu actually said to us, hey, everyone, you know, two years, what would you all think? And actually, I took a back step because I'm the newest one and I think I'm still on parole. Is it parole? No. Um, Peroni. It yeah. is for you, Jez, parole. Yeah, absolutely. I'm... <laughs> Jez, Jez, what's the, what's, what's the second anniversary? Is it not, is it, what is it, cotton? Is it um, cotton? Papers first, the second vinyl. is... Vinyl. It's not vinyl. Well, it could I be for think, us. I think it's, con- I think it's cotton, isn't it? What is it? What is it? Cloth. I think it's cotton. Touch it. But anyway, birthday stuff. We, Stu just asked about birthdays and you've just gone off on one about ATATs. Or ATATs. Or all-terrain armour transports. Whatever you like. We're, we're, you know, fully inclusive. I'm going for ATAT. I don't well, like ATAT. For me, Stu, two years. If I had to sum it all up, two years. For me, it's all about the... The number of hours that were put in and the number of guests we've had on. That, that sums it up for me. Getting. And that, and that works out, Rich, at about two hours, two years of, uh, of time. Yeah. What's that? Something like, what, 50,000 hours of recording and four and a half thousand guests in two years? Feels like it. I've got all the recordings in one file. I'd love to add it all up, but I haven't really got the time. You haven't got no fingers either. Or the will. Grant? That's right. Anything to add? That's been fun. <laughs> Cheers. What's well, your favourite bit, Grant? Your favourite minute of all those minutes? It's a good question, Pete. What is everyone's favourite moment that they recorded? I think the worst bit is when you uh, set up a recording with someone and you record an interview, and it could be an international recording, and it hasn't recorded properly or the audio is gone. That's the worst bit. Definitely. That's three so stressful. Yeah, three times for me now. I've got a best bit. When somebody comments on something that you took time over and said it's good, and you think, you know what, we made a connection, and everyone's happy. Good times. I like signing autographs. <laughs> <laughs> Whether people want them or not. Yeah, just <laughs> yeah. like people, like carded figures, just sign them. <laughs> Vintage Rebellion, you know. Well, as we worked out last podcast, that devalues the figure. Well, now, over the last two or three shows, we have been pushing a birthday competition where we have teamed up with Ian Sanderson to be able to give one lucky winner a £100 credit to spend with Mr Sanderson on Vintage Star Wars. All you needed to do was to leave us a review on iTunes and you would be in the hat to win this cracking prize. So we are delighted to be able to announce the winner of the competition right now. Uh, Jez, I believe you are in control of this. Right then, Stu, we've had a really, really good look. It's uh, It's been really heartwarming, actually, seeing some of these reviews and seeing what people have seen, some people whose names we quite clearly recognise and some people who, who we really don't. But all we said was, can you leave us a review? We didn't say go for a five-star, write this, write that, write 
rich is amazing or anything like that just said leave us a review uh, and that's what you've done so how are we going to do this i've got a random number generator in front of me and i am going to press the button here we go number 16 wow let's have a little look hang on hang on bear with me kato one two three congratulations i'm gonna go and check out your review now but kato one two three you are the winner of our fantastic prize well done so kato one two three uh, as soon as you've heard this get in contact with the team and we will arrange with you for how to spend your 100 pound credit and congratulations so in just over a few weeks it will be celebration europe and the vintage rebellion will have a large presence there all five of us will be in attendance and we'll be hoping to meet as many of our listeners as we possibly can now you will find us in various panels across the weekend and there'll always be a couple of members of the vintage rebellion team at our fan table so be sure to pop along at grants what what can our listeners expect if they come and visit our table well to be honest with you Stu, there's so much uh being organized so much being planned so much being produced not 100 percent sure we're going to be able to cover it myself i think lessons were learned from our experience of doing a booth at anaheim so hopefully we will have a really proactive table a really exciting table hopefully we'll have a banner again do you guys know if we'll have a banner we'll have a banner i'd love that that's one of my favorite we'll decide that now (laughs) yeah okay great great it's always nice to have a banner and hopefully it'll be an opportunity uh to meet uh, some people get some great feedback maybe get some ideas from maybe be an opportunity for people who want to come on the show to come up and and you know maybe we could chat the opportunities coming in the future some games i guess it's going to be it's going to be pretty cool i think we've got a few other things going on as well do we actually have a booth number we do but your quarter's off guard there i want to see it's s237 yeah that rings a bell i think 3263827 <laughs> well, let's, let's get the right one, otherwise we've got a lot of goose. I'm sure it's S237. Docking Bay 94? It could be TK421. TK421, yeah. No, it's it's S237, yep, that's the one number. Ah, same as Finn. Yeah. Well, there you go. And uh, we've also got quite a few giveaways, haven't we? Um, but one item that we are going to charge for, actually, is for our fanzine that we've been working on. And uh, Pete, you've got the details about the fanzine. Hello, Stu. Hello, everyone. Fanzine time. Yes, we've gone retro. We've gone back to printing things. So uh, a bit like our, our podcast where you're listening, this is about reading. So we're going to educate you all in the world of written things. Um, but the fanzine, yes, um, we can't put it on the table, so you can't get it off us. You'll have to get it away from the table. Uh, we have it on the room sale night, on the Saturday night. And um, you can do a pre-order as well, so... You can send it out before the event if you want if you want to, to reserve your copy. Um, how much are we going to charge, guys? <laughs> what, what, what's in it, Pete? There's lots of good, cool stuff. Lots of articles and cartoons and silliness in general. And uh, some serious articles, too. Vintage but stuff. But a real... All vintage collecting. All vintage. Uh, not much modern. In fact, I don't think there's any modern at all. Uh, but it's all about Star Wars, and it's all about vintage collecting. And from lots of different authors from the vintage Star Wars community? Absolutely. I, um, I'm trying to keep some secrets. I don't want to give them away, but there's a few few um, big boys in there. But yeah, there's uh, the, the, there's a few of our friends as well in there. So, um, But it's all, it's all a lovely amalgamation 
of vintage loveliness. Hey, Pete, do you, do you have one of those mazes, you know, where you get like a pen and you go round and round and round and round and round and then you try and get to the end? There may well be. Bam! But I don't want to give it, don't want to give it away. Well, I'm going to buy one now. Oh, well, well there's, we've sold one. Are we talking £3 for these, aren't we? Yes. Okay, right. I would say <laughs> the, the Mark Daniels amazing cover art to this fanzine is worth three quid on its own. Yeah. It is. Re- it is. And, and if you then think that the people that are in there, that's all worth it. No, £300 for a fanzine. Let's do it. <laughs> no. let's, let's, let's put on Vectors and see what we get. But, uh, yeah, so there you go. Mark Daniels has done the cover art. And that is about the rest of the 27 pages. Exactly. But, I mean, on a serious note, it's just, you know, it's getting back to their old school. You know, the old, the old times. And uh, I've always been a bit, of a bit of a fanzine buff, as you're reading the uh, editorial. So, uh, you know, it's just, just a bit different. And uh, hopefully, hopefully um, we'll sell them all. But they are limited, so get your orders in quickly. Rich, as you know, we don't get paid for this. In fact, we pay to do this podcast. We we have to pay the monthly fees uh, for the for the Podbean for everything putting it together. You know we've all spent. No, I won't say about spend the money on microphones, but it's mainly it's the actual production uh, and renting Podbean uh, and launching this all. That's what the money is going to go back into. So rather than us just continuously pay out of our own pocket, if it can just be subsidised slightly, that'll be really handy and allow us to continue to do this. I thought, and you get a fanzine. I thought we were all going to get. Canadian mocks. <laughs> don't tell him, Grant, for goodness sake. Oh, <laughs> oh I don't want to do it now. <laughs> so, as well as the fanzine, we do also have some cracking giveaways, including a Vintage Rebellion designed poster. We've got a poster. It's vintage. <laughs> vintage figures. I don't want to say too much. I want it to be a little bit of a surprise. Okay, so so, okay that's fair enough. So, but how can people get this poster? Well, it's a it's a bit of a giveaway, so we'll have a, a limited number on each day. So, uh, we'll announce when we'll have them ready, because I think that'll be that'll be um that'll be fair when we've got got them in hand. So each day, come to the table at a certain time and collect your poster. But they won't go on forever. Um, we'll have a few hundred going. So um, come by, come stop by and get one. And if you want to, come and trade something for it. You know, give us one of your posters or one of your cards or a badge or something. So uh, we're, we're open to a nice offers. At the moment, we're keeping some of the information close to our chest. Yes. But I think, you know, that the best way of us pushing this out is going to be on our Facebook page. So if people want to know what's going on, and as you said, we're going to be launching it at certain times of the day, and knowing what that's like at Anaheim and at Essen, and there will be people queuing up for these things... People are going to really need to keep a close eye on our Facebook page. So Absolutely. if you don't already, check it out and double check the notification setting. Okay. Well, that sounds like all we're getting, listeners. Um, now, I'm also aware many people bring badges to swap at celebrations, and, and we will be joining in this pin craziness. Uh, we've all got a different design each, so be sure to hunt all five of us down. Now, Rich, you've got more details about the pins. Five badges which are loosely based on five different aspects of our collections or collecting habits. Now, they will be available to collect from our booth in limited quantities, although each of us will have a larger quantity on with us as we are enjoying the celebration, which will be available for trade. So if you see one of us wandering around and you haven't got 
you know, two or three of the badges and you're looking looking for them, you need to hunt us down and swap one of our badges for one of yours if you've got one for trade. So our five badges, and I'm going to tell you what they are, um, we have a TIE fighter pilot riding a Tauntaun, we have an R5D4 being chased by a Rancor, Darth Vader arriving um, to an event in the wrong colour TIE fighter, we have a Space Base badge, and finally some vintage action figures modelling swimwear. So I'm pretty sure that that whets your appetite. So grab grab one of us and say, you know, I want your badge, this is what I've got for trade, or come and visit us at our booth. Let's, let's move on a bit. Something else we've been arranging is a limited run of postcards. Now, there are going to be six designs in total, and each day we'll see a different two available from our booth. Now, to claim your two limited postcards each day, you will need to log onto our Facebook page after 8am to get the day's password. Then just come to the booth, state the code, and you'll be given that day's designs. Now, I'm delighted that we managed to get six artists to design the postcards. I was even more delighted that the six artists we chose to approach all accepted, and the designs are fantastic. Uh, All the postcards are numbered between, you know, one of six, two of six. And on the Friday, designs one and two will be available. These have been done by the brilliant artists Dan Turl and Corey Galau. On Saturday, they've been designed by Barry Jones and Ryan Lee Taylor. And then on Sunday, you can pick up Mark Daniels and Malcolm Tween's efforts. Um, I just want to take this moment to say a massive thank you to all six artists for participating in this project without any kind of fee. We really, really do appreciate it. As well as the booth I mentioned earlier about some various panels, we will be live as the Vintage Rebellion on the podcast stage. Now, Rich, I believe you have the details and timings of this. Yes, you I do. So, um, as most people are aware now, Jedi News have been organising a digital podcast. I don't know if it's correct to call the whole area a stage because there's other events going on. So, um, you know, it's still very early days and we're really, really looking forward to it. But on Sunday, the 17th of July, from 10.30 until 11.15, we will be sharing a stage with Gus Lopez, who will be representing the Kaicast in a joint vintage Star Wars collection venture. Now, as I said, planning is in the early stages, but we will certainly have at least one keynote guest to chat to, and can promise everyone who attends a non-stop vintage interactive event. I encourage all our listeners who are free around that time to pop in, check us out, and let us know what you think about the event afterwards. Yeah, I've, I've got to be honest. I've all of the um, all of the swag I've ever seen at the Star Wars Celebration. I really think those uh, postcards are the best I've seen. Nice. Some of them are very, very nice. I think it's proper Holy Grail stuff. Amazing swag. Love it. I just can't believe, as you said, those those names. Yeah. These are some people who we've seen online doing stuff. I mean, as you know, Malcolm Tween, all of them. But to to get these guys doing this, as you say. For free, um, uh, and, and giving us this stuff, and they're very limited run. Just say again, how many? How many are we going to have? Are we saying? Well, we have got 150 of each design, but 100 will be given away at celebration. Um, it's, it's, the artists have all requested a whole set and whatnot. So it's it's, it's quite humbling. I, I find it's so cool. I mean, uh, yeah, wow. Do you know all, all of them? Everyone that I've dealt with, they were all like, oh, Fantastic! Can't wait. You know, really happy you've asked me to be involved. And it's like some of well, you've seen some of them. I've got four of the designs in now, and they're incredible. Yeah, yeah. This is like first class, mega quality stuff. Like mega quality. Yeah. So yeah. I think it's going to be a massive success. 
just I just want to say there that um, Jez would say that we're, we're, that you get these for free. These are free, yeah. Yeah, oh, well, it you can't said... be for free because free is not a now; it's an adverb. So you can only say you got them for free. You can't say that. You can only say for nothing or free. Hang on, hang on, hang on. You said we were. <laughs> you, you, you said we were going to get Canadian mocks. I <laughs> 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 got a second. I've got Rich correcting me on, Im- uh, on English when he constantly refers to himself as us. <laughs> Have a word of yourself. Free's not a noun, Jez. You should yeah, and us is more than one person. Precious. <laughs> and Raji's not in the dictionary, Rich. <laughs> right, but as well as the podcast doing panels, we're delighted that both Grant and Jez will also be on other panels so be sure to catch them. Grant, are you able to tell us about the panel you're involved in? Um, I'm not sure if it's uh, been released yet, but I'm sure it'll be fine. Being, <laughs> being a rebellion and all that. Um, <laughs> yeah, we, we were fortunate enough to be part of the collecting track. I always thought it's a really good idea to surround Ooh. yourself with really talented people. I managed to do that this time by asking uh, Craig Spivey and Mark Daniels, who we both had on as keynote interviewees this year, uh, to do a panel with me called That's No Moon, That's a Pencil Sharpener. And we are going to be concentrating on a British stationery of the uh, vintage era. Really dead excited to do it. We've been working really hard at the moment. We've probably got about 45 slides ready for a 45-minute presentation. We've also been designing some amazing giveaways. Anyone who's a vintage UK Star Wars collector, uh, especially a stationery collector, will be over the moon with the um, with first of all our giveaway and some of the other amazing items that we're going to have uh, to display. Um, the presentation itself will have a lot of uh, stuff on there that people might probably not have seen before. There's a few things on there I've never seen before, so it's been really exciting to put it together. And um, what a what a what an honour, you know, to be invited onto the collecting track. I mean, that's that's super cool. The 14-year-old young collector who uh, walked into the shop to buy a boxed Atta is. Uh, is thrilled to be given such an amazing opportunity. So, so dead excited and really, really looking forward to uh, to do it. Do you know when you're on stage at all yet, or is it? Yeah, we're on Saturday. Um, Saturday, I think we're the last show on Saturday. Maybe about half three, four o'clock on the Saturday. Um, but just wow, that's one one amazing opportunity. I mean, it's great because you know you go to these celebrations and you sit there and you watch these amazing. Uh, presentations, but to have the opportunity to do one yourself, I mean, that's so cool. Yeah, it's brilliant. And, Jez, you too are doing a panel, a kind of a follow-on f- from something you did in Anaheim, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. If you remember, I did the one with uh, Dak, John Morton uh, in Anaheim, where we did the Star Wars and the military panel. Well, John has John's not coming to celebration this time. He's, he's going next year to Orlando. But he's got in contact with Jack McKenzie, who was also in The Empire Strikes Back, who was the uh, rebel soldier who who said, Sir, all the patrols are in, no sign of Skywalker or Solo. I'm sure everyone remembers that scene just before Chewie starts to lose it. And uh, he is an ex-Royal Marine and an ex-policeman prior to becoming an actor. He was in a few other films as well. So he's taken over the role from, from John Morton, uh, and he's asked me to join in. And uh, together we're putting together a panel. We're just recruiting a couple of guys and uh, and possibly a lady as well, all connected with forces and and um, be it the RAF or, or the army, etc. We, 
I beg your pardon? Or the Navy. Or the Navy. Um, we, we've, we've put it out there. We've said, you know, police, fire, service, or what have you. So we're still in early days at the moment. But uh, definitely doing a panel. It's Friday, and it looks like it's going to be between 12 and 1 o'clock. But again, really, really excited. Just promoting Star Wars itself, but the connections which um, people within the services have got with the uh, with the great movie that is Star Wars. Jez, if you've got a, a policeman and a Navy guy and um, a soldier, are you going to be bursting out to the YMCA at any point? Oh, that's an idea. What a great idea. Where you camp enough. Um, now, I'm the only one of us five that has yet to attend a celebration. So I just want to get a quick response from each of you. Uh, first of all, which celebrations you've attended and your favourite part of the celebrations you've been to. Um, let's go clockwise round my screen. Grant, you've been to a few, haven't you? Uh, yes, mate. Uh, first of all, Star Wars Celebration Europe 2, and then we did Anaheim last year. So... It's quite easy to have like a top 10, top 20 favorite moments from any celebration. Um, the first celebration, I think, it will always be the best one because it's the first time you experience it. And uh, just meeting all the actors, meeting all the all of your forum friends who uh, you, you may have never met before, may they like coming from another country or whatever, and just being overwhelmed by uh, the buzz, the celebration of it all. So you're gonna have a fantastic time, man. We keep going to them every year for. A reason now, you know, because we know it's going to be good. And, Petey, your first was Anaheim last year, wasn't it? It was indeed, little Stu. Um, so I'm sure you're going to enjoy this one. No, it's it, no, it's going to be good. I mean, it's it, it's just the fact that it's so it's so much Star Wars. Remember, it's just Star Wars. It's not, not like a, a another convention. It's just Star Wars. So if you like Star Wars, Stu, it's for you. Right. Someone should have told me that before I bought my tickets. Exactly. Uh, Rich, you've been to both of the European ones beforehand? No, no, I didn't do the first one. I've only done Celebration 2 in Essen. I think Grant's probably right. Your first Celebration is going to be your best one um, because it's so so different, so new. But as a huge community guy for me, it was about being surrounded by like-minded individuals, being able to walk around a large venue, celebrating Star Wars, collecting without being judged, Nobody's baffing, nobody's making any questions, and nobody's asking how much is that worth. It's just getting on with people who understand. And Jezzawezzy. Yeah. Same as Grant. We did Essen and then Anaheim. I did uh Essen was about three weeks after I got back from Afghanistan, and I'd been in a completely, you know, sort of masculine environment where everyone was just focused on this one thing, and I just get there surrounded with completely like-minded people who were just there for exactly the same common goal, common interest. And I just felt so attached and so close to them, more so than anything else. I just felt it akin to really, really strong sort of football support. It was just, I know it just felt right, but without all the uh, soccer hooliganism. It, <laughs> it, just going in there, just thinking, yeah, I totally belong here. Exactly what the other guys have said. So many aspects to it. Just being in the bar and then just thinking, oh, look, there's genuinely, there's a load of Ewoks over there. Um, uh, and then just drinking with Boba Fett and, and just having a great time going from place to place and just seeing all these things. Um, completely losing any, um, a- any worries about, you know, Star Wars being people's guilty pleasure and whatnot. Oh no, people were just completely out and out Star Wars and you were wearing it proud. 
uh, and it was just just so much fun constant grin on your face well i cannot wait now you uh you'll send it to me um we'll, we'll return to celebration next month briefly but um and give us a little update of what we're doing but perhaps you boys as you've all been there could compile away maybe a top 10 between you can we have a little countdown in july yeah good idea mate well, it was your idea the other day, but um, yeah, I know that. I, know. I don't, I don't like to take your glory, Jez. <laughs> but uh, for this month, should we go over to this month's rebel briefings. I think Grant's just said something. Grant, before we move on, no, nah, it's too late. Go on, <laughs> we can soon cut it back in, can't we? Yeah, That's a hell of an edit anyway. Well, I just just want to make sure we got a great fanzine. We've got postcards. We got badges. Oh, we might have a film. We might have a film as well. Hmm. And we will have a film. We will have a film, <laughs> uh, which will be a poster. Which will be at the booth. We'll have a poster as well. Which you can't talk about. Which we can't talk about. We'll have postcards, and I hope to God we have a banner. We will have, we'll have a banner. Got have a banner. We have a banner. We'll have a banner. We'll have a banner. Oh, amazing! Yeah. Oh, I can't wait. Banner's easy. Pete just texted me. He said he's got untold of time to do some more artwork if anyone needs anything <laughs> doing. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, for this month, should we go over to Rebel Briefings? Carno to try logo in your pocket, or are you just pleased to see me? Biker Scouts get Sabined. Galaxy in the gallery. Collecting panels start to go live. The rebel base is on the moon on the far side. We are preparing to orbit the planet. Now, Rich, is that a Meccano to try logo in your pocket, or are you just pleased to see me? Well, Stu, it's definitely a McConnell to try logo because I don't think too many people are pleased to see you. But rather than me waffle on about this book, let's cut to an interview now that I've recorded with Stefan. I'm delighted to be joined once again with Super Star Wars collector and co-author of multiple books, most notably McConnell to try logo and La French Touch, the definitive guide to French vintage Star Wars collectibles. Good evening, Stefan Foucault. Hi, good evening, everyone. I'm very pleased to be with you uh, tonight. Now, Stefan, you've been teasing for a few weeks about a new project that you've been working on. What can you tell us about this project so far? Yeah, so that's true. We've been uh, teasing a lot uh, since the, these, few, these few days uh, and weeks. The project is called, it's a new book. So it's called uh, the Mechano Trilogo uh, Collector's Handbook. It's something um, we had in mind for quite a while. I, I realized, you know, because um, uh, like you said, I, uh, I wrote uh, Mechano Trilogo and I wrote also the French Touch an officially a book which has been marketed only in France last year. And um, after all those years and all those books, people kept asking me about Mechano to try logo. And uh, I was wondering um, why they were keep uh, keeping asking about it. So each time someone asked me about Mechano to try logo, I said, okay, uh, Mechano to try logo is the first book, so you can get it if you, if you really consider the book as a collectible and you want to get it. But if you want... Uh, uh, accurate information, you should get the French Touch because there is everything inside and the toy section of the French Touch is really what is really a better edition of the of the Mechano Tri logo. 
But I realized that people was, were looking in Meccano to try to go, was the, the big pictures and also the, the rarity index. It's something which has been requested by people who contact me several times. And some people even contacted me to, to ask me if they would find a rarity index in, a, in the French touch. But that was not the kind of book where I wanted to put a, a rarity index. So it's something that came to my mind. And, um, and also I came, you know, um, with the, um, the small, the small collectible books, you know, like Playmobil and also the, the Starry Rose, of course. And, and these books are very small. They are pocket size and they have everything inside. Personally, I, I find the, the idea very good, but personally, I find that uh, they have too many pages because, you know, the Playmobil and the Starry Rose, they would cover the entire line from the very start until the day they were published. So it's a lot of page, something like five or six hundred. And, and the pictures are very, very small. So they are too small to be enjoyed, but still they are very nice books because you can get, you know, all the rarity ratings. And that's uh, what collectors are, are, are really looking for. So that's how we came with the idea of a pocket size guide for collectors. And we, we had this, we found the, the idea very exciting. We chose to focus only on Mechano Tri logo action figures to avoid making a very uh, fake book with nice pictures and something which could be also affordable because a book with, with 500 pages in, in, in self edition, self publishing would be very, very expensive. So I already own the Mechano Tri logo book or I already own the French touch book. What are the key differences that will convince me to buy this new one? Mechano to Schweilogo was, was my first book. It was released in 2006. It was the first book, the very first book to provide to collectors the entire range of, uh, of uh, an action figure line for, from a European licensee. Uh, the previous one was really the, the Kellerman with all the, the American stuff. The content was really uh, uh, showing all the, um, all, all the action figures, uh, but what, everything that was released uh, with, with variants and also the vehicles and a few advertisements. And it was mostly something to watch. And of course, the, the famous rarity guide. And uh, there was nothing really much to, to read. It was just quick blurbs next to each picture to say, okay, uh, to try to give an idea of what's the item and if it's rare or things like that. Over the time, I sold Mechano Tri logo. Um, it was an offset printing, so I had a, a very large quantity of books. And uh, I sold the... Um, the book from 2006 to around 2010, 2011, maybe the, the very, very last books I had on my storage. Uh, but with the time, like with any books, the, the information, the content uh, came uh, outdated. And of course, we discovered new variants, uh, new items. And uh, of course, I, I even had items in better condition in my hands, so I could keep in my collection or, or just picture before trading them. Or So that's a good thing about these books, with any collector of books. It, it sets a base for all the collectors and you know, and and then the collectors can identify items in their collection sometimes were not without knowing they were not yet referenced so that's a good a good thing with this book they are never really complete because uh, you always discover new items and the french touch book was really some something really different i didn't want it to 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 make a second make a try logo because it, because it didn't make sense not just doing a new book and and, uh, and just upgrading the pictures so I wanted to do something uh, larger with a larger content. I wanted to present the entire range of products released in France. So of course the toys, but of course the, the other kind of toys, like uh, I don't know the, the model kits and the, the dolls and everything. Uh, but of course all, all the, the the other categories of stuff like poster, food, uh, books, records, and uh, games, viewers, and uh, whatever. 
from 1977 to 1987, so the, the original era in France. And I wanted to provide as well the, all the pictures of, of these items, but also their history, their advertising, and also their marketing material, uh, and also include also a small uh, press review. It's really a book to read and, uh, and to watch. I really uh, want to say that uh, because uh, you can you can either enjoy all the pictures and you can also uh, read about the story, the history of the, of these of these products. And there is the equivalent of 60 page of of, uh, of real text. Of course, it's not just 60 page, but it's 60 page all around of, of, over the entire books. And it's really written in a contemporary English, modern English. Uh, I had a, a very nice friend who, who helped me uh, making uh, the English really better. They are very two different books. So if we, if we can uh, summarize, so The Mechanical Try to Go was the first book. Uh, it's only about action figures, but it has been outdated with, with time. But the good, the good thing is that it has the, the rarity index. And the French touch is more something to read uh, and to watch. It's a very the, the huge book which, which has everything. Of course, like I said, we still have discovered a few things with time, but I read this 2016 edition with 30 more pages. So in overall, it's 270 pages with, with more than 1,500 pictures. So it's really the, the entire stuff. So so the, the, the collector's handbook is really, like we said, a pocket-sized book. It's already the, 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 the industry standard pocket-sized book. It's 220 pages, and the, it's only one large picture per page. And it has, you know, the, um, just one small introduction on, before each series to, to tell to the reader what's this series, uh, how, you, how you can find it, how you can collect it today. And, and then you have the pictures and, and, the, and the rarity index for, for each item. Where you view your previous books as perhaps reference and collectible kind of books, do you intend this book to be a working book in that collectors would walk around conventions, perhaps with this book, making notes and ticking pages off as they walk past? Yeah, exactly. That, that's, a, that's a very good point. Like we say on the sales pitch, we have some kind of a sales pitch uh, return, return on the cover of the book, and it says uh, it goes back to the basics. So it's really um, something which we, we focus. It's, a, like we said, a, a pocket-sized book, and you can bring it, of course, everywhere. You can use it anytime, at home or at a garage sale or whatever. And it, it focuses on key information for the collector. So like we said, we, you have a, a quick, just one-page introduction about the line and how it can be collected today. So, for example, uh, I comment on the on how how you can find the, the square count, not how uh, in the way where you can find them, but more uh, how you can in which condition you can be prepared to to find them today, something like that. Then you have the, the on each series you have the large pictures of each of each blister count. Uh, I kept the best items, so each item is picture, of course, and uh, I selected the best items I had in my in my hands or in my collection over the of the last two decades. Very early on, I started to, to, to take pictures of the items I, I had in my hands. Uh, I'm no longer using pictures that old, but uh, my, my, my pictures are more recent. So I, I const constantly upgraded items and pictures of my collection. Then you have the, so like we said, you have the introduction, large pictures of each blister count. You have the cut, the, the cut front and back combinations. You have the collector checklist. Uh, there is, like you said, um, a check on each page. So if you want, if you don't mind writing writing on the book, then uh, I know people like to do that. So you can check each page to say, okay, I got this one, I got this one. And of course, there is the, the rarity rating. And there is also a new feature about that. You, you can very use the rarity rating regardless of the series. It is the same rarity rating uh, that you can use to compare 12 back cards or square cards or Empire or Return of Trilogo cards. 
it's already a new feature compared to Meccano two trade ago because uh, first the rarity index is uh, updated to the current market. In Meccano two trade ago, the rarity index was really restricted within each series. So you could not really use to compare 12 bags and trade logos and whatever. So this time is very more uh, convenient. You've mentioned these high quality photos and I'm really looking forward to viewing them, Stefan, because some of the French uh, card backs are absolutely fantastic. Was that a difficult and time consuming project for you? I, I looked back in my, in my files because I, I, I knew you asked some kind of questions. <laughs> so we really started working and thinking about the project in September last year. And, uh, but at this time, I was still working on the French uh, Touch 2016 edition. I was finalizing it. I, even if, if I had, I had show a draft at Celebration 7, but uh, it was, uh, I didn't really work on it during the year. So I was fi- finalizing this, this book. We were also about to market the, the official licensed uh, French book, which is the Star Wars saga as seen from France. It could be the, the English title. So it's really a, a French book on the French market, uh, the, the, French, the French history from the very early on to 2014. And so it was quite a busy time and it was not the time to release, a, again, uh, one additional book. And, uh, and, and I had no time to work on it. But it's really at this time that um, we really started to think about it. And we really, really started to write about, to, to work on it uh, on the first quarter this year. So um, we work. Uh, Jan Jan Leroux, so was uh, working on the uh, on the cover uh, and the, and the design, like the backgrounds and everything, and, and the graphical elements and the, the way the page layout and everything. And I was working uh, on time on the text and, and resetting the pictures. I had I had to redo uh, many of the pictures uh, from my collection. I would say for two reasons. So the first reason is by even since uh, the French touch, I acquired I acquired or uh, and or upgraded. Uh, items in my collection. So I was about to provide pictures of, of better condition items. And uh, the second reason is that even if you, I'm pretty sure that um, all the collectors will, will say that the Meccano try to go, even if it's outdated, the pictures are pretty nice. They are not high definition, but they are pretty nice. And the French the, the pictures are very nice as well, but it's not really the, the same uh, the same width, you know, on the page. So uh, on Meccano try logo, you had from four to six pictures per page. Speaking about the blisters, and uh, on the French touch, you have six to nine per page, six for the mechanos and nine for the trilogos, and and they are letter size, uh, yeah, letter size books mostly. Uh, so this time it's a pocket size book, but uh, we we wanted to do one picture per page, so the picture is about may, maybe um, two times at least two times the size of the yeah even more if, if you compare to to the trilogos and the. With you having such large. Well, comparatively large compared to the size of the book pictures. How difficult was it to streamline the text? Um, what problems did that cause you? So the text, it was, uh, we wanted to do something with um, very little text because we wanted really to focus, uh, and uh, again on the, on the, on the collectible stuff and, uh, and, uh, and, and really stick, you know, to the name, to the idea. So the, the, the collectors and books. So if you want, um, if you want to know the story, if you want more text and more things to read, then you really need to to get the French touch because uh, it's really the, the, the history. As we uh, we suppose that maybe uh, some of the the readers of this book, uh, everyone maybe has not has not bought the, the French touch, of course. That's why we just we just use a, a small introduction. Speaking of text, there is only introduction about about me and Jan and uh, what we are doing and why this book. Uh, we wanted to say why, why we are doing this book. Then you have a one-page introduction about the Meccano line and what what are the key information you, you have ready to, to keep in mind about Meccano and, you know, the, the background history of Meccano. I did my best to write something very uh, sharp, if I could say, directly to the point. 
and uh, so it, it, it fits in, in one page for each series. You talked about your rarity scale a little bit before. How does this work, and was it difficult to agree on the scale? The rarity uh, scale uh, depends. It's, it's not only based on the true rarity of the items. It's more complex than that. It's based on an appraisal, uh, my appraisal uh, of the market, of the Meccano and Trilogo market, based on my own experience uh, of nearly two decades of collecting. So I've been collecting Trilogos for nearly two decades. I, I really started focusing on Trilogos in 1996-97, and almost the same, I mean, two or three years later on Meccanos. Even uh, at the beginning, I, I would not keep Meccanos for my collection. I made like uh, every, you know, beginner's mistake. So mm -hmm. when I had rare, rare stuff, you know, I would trade it for a lot of common stuff, you know, so everyone has done that, you know, so yeah. uh, it's the way to learn, if I can say, yeah. I think we, we all made that mistake. At the end, if I, looking backward, um, you know, I traded rare stuff for things I could have buy, you know, even at that time. So, but it was, you know, very um, exciting, you know, to, to trade one, one item against four, five, six items, you know. So even if I wouldn't keep the stuff, I would um, starting to, to get interest of the mechanos and paying attention, you know, of uh, where the stuff would go for how much it would sell, what kind of particular card will surface, you know, stuff like so. So the, the rarity index is really uh, based on all that experience. So it's not based only on the true rarity. If I take some ex example as a comparison to explain, most of the small blisters, the, the, the French trilogos are very difficult to find. And some are particularly uh, challenging to find. Like I said, for example, uh, uh, characters like Squidhead or Bib Fortuna or, or Printface, they are very, very, very difficult to find with very, the small mechano blister. And, but of course, they are very rare, but if you if you see one tomorrow on eBay, unless you have two Meccano collectors really fighting for this one, uh, it will sell for cheap because they are not major characters. But but still, they are very very rare. But they, they don't they will not command a huge price, you know. Uh, on the other end, you have the a good example on, on the the, the Trilogo Boba Fett is very not rare at all. But uh, you cannot find it today. If you want to buy one, most of the time you cannot find it. But it's not rare. Uh, you, you could find it by dozens in the mid-90s, even on eBay in the, in the early 2000s. It was showing up quite frequently, maybe several times a year you could find one. Maybe not always the best condition, but you can find it and for quite cheap compared to today. So it's, it's, today it's very, it's very, very rare today uh, because it's a key character and it's a favorite character for many collectors. So that's the kind of items when you get it in your collection. It's among, you know, the, the very last car, uh, items you, you, are, you are prepared to part with, you know. So that's why this item is not uh, really uh, circulating. So in the book, the rarity scale for the, for the Boba Fett is maximum. Like I said, it's not because the item itself is rare. It doesn't circulate between, it doesn't change hands, you know. Uh, that's it. If I'm picking this right, could I go to a European convention with your book, spot a, a French trilogue or a McConnell card, take your book out and go, I've got to buy that regardless of the condition because it's rare, I've just got to get it. Yeah, you can really spot what's rare or not, and if it's uh, something rare, is not always worth the big money. So you have to take care to pay attention. You should not be prepared to pay a, a huge amount just because it's 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 rare. You also raise a point. Speaking, of, which I forgot to mention, speaking about Trilogo, there is two rarity scales because, like you say, you know there are many different kind of Trilogos. They were made in different from in different countries. And so uh, the quality is different and the rarity is different. The most common trilogos are the Palitoy trilogos. Sorry about that. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and the rarest are the French and the PVPs, you know, uh, 
and also the German, they are not, they are not many German trilogues, but they are not common either. And so uh, we used um, two rarity scales. So there is a, a one rarity scale for the Palitoy trilogues and one rarity scale for the French trilogues. And the, the rarity scales, uh, which is which is shown first uh, on the top, is the one uh, that, that matched the, the, the item which is shown on the page. Did you think of putting in a price guide? So that's something we discussed. I, I, actually, we discussed about two things. We didn't we didn't include in the book uh, because it was a, it would have been very complicated. And um, so the, we we discussed about uh, having a price guide. We didn't do that because the price uh, quickly outdated. So the book would have been outdated in six months. Then that raised the question of what do you do? Um, do you make a second edition? So that means you have to publish a, a new edition just to change the codes, uh, the rates every six months. So I guess that collectors are going to be pretty upset, you know, because they don't they, they don't get the last book and the, they already have, have buy the book and they they need you know to they are going to ask maybe for uh, having the scale you know published or you know so it's a lot of work and also that's also, that's the second reason is that uh, we didn't use the scale the mechano market is something really changing it changes a lot it fluctuates a lot sometimes down sometimes up maybe this time is more up than down but. Uh, it's something which fluctuates very uh, peak, high and low peaks, depending on, on the, the items and also how many collectors have the item. You realize that even uh, you, one item can, can sell for 100, as I could say, and the next month it could sell for, it could sell for 400, and the, and the very next month it could sell just for 200 or 50, you know. And, and the second thing we, we wonder, uh, we discuss about including, uh, was uh, if we would include loose figures and you know CEO variations, yeah. but it's something very very complicated as well because I'm not I'm not a loose figure collector. I pretty much have uh, all the, um, the Meccano figures from the 12 back to the 20 backs and also the Empire Strikes Back uh, with a, with a strong provenance that means from my collection or if it's not from my collection when I get the figure I bought I bought the card back with the figure so I know exactly about the CEOs of these figures. The, the CEOs are pretty much the same for all the Star Wars line. I guess it's even the same for, for the Star Wars line. It's almost the same, uh, but I would say 99% uh, for, for the Empire Strikes Back line. And it starts to, to change a bit, to differ a bit from the other line, starting with the Return Jedi and especially with the Trilogy line. Regarding these lines, I don't have especially all the loose figures to compare. I would have had to, to collect them loose and carded since the beginning and be sure, you know, of the provenance so i guess it's very difficult to do now this book has a brand new cover design how did you come up with yet another fabulous cover so yeah so thanks on the cover so it's uh, really the jan's work so he has been designing the cover since mechano trilogo and also the french touch he just came up with this idea of showing blisters because the the, the book is about the carded figures the idea was to have some kind of a picture like if you had you know mixed blisters on the floor on the ground and just shooting them like this you know uh, so that's pretty much the idea to uh, try to show uh, the different kind of blisters we are showing in the book but not not in a very uh, structural way you know where and where can i purchase a copy of this book and could i get it signed if i wanted to yeah so we announced the book on the on the may 20 29th uh, the, the, we disclosed the, the ordering information so uh from the may may 29th to the to June 12th, you you order the book for direct um, celebration three uh, pickup. So that means uh, we are we, we took orders in the limit of uh, 100 books and the limit of the 12th of June. So collectors who have ordered from us will be able to pick up their book directly from us 
at uh, the Vintage Rebellion uh, and the Minting Box uh, fans booths, depending on the days. We are going to announce the exact schedule and, and, and uh, the time we, we will be on the booth. So uh, people who ordered the Celebration Tree offer uh, will get a, a special price and they, they will also get, of course, a sign book. Uh, it will be an end number from 1 to, to 100 or, or less if, if, if we have uh, less uh, reservations. And it will also have um, the stamp, the special stamp uh, I had designed for Mechano Logo in 2006. So that was the, it's the stamp which was used in the limited edition, the very first run. And you will also get some, uh, some complimentary giveaways. So that's for the, pe for the people who, who, uh, who order the book with the, the Celebration Tree uh, special offer. So this is now closed and, uh, and we are going to release in a few days uh, the book on Amazon. So everyone will be, even if you have missed the Celebration Tree offer, or of course, if you are not coming, you are not attending to Celebration Tree, of course. Everyone is not going. Uh, you you will be able to order it from Amazon, and uh, it will be cheaper, than, of course, than the French Touch and uh, and Mechano Tree logo because it's a smaller book, and so you will be able to order it on your own. So even if you are attending Celebration and you have missed the special offer, you can still have time to to order the book and have it uh, and receive and receive it uh, at home. Before, before going to, to celebration. And of course, people who order the book for celebration uh, will get a signed book, but people who have ordered the book on their own, even if it's a French touch, of course, on a Mechano Trilogo book, yeah, I will be very happy to, to sign it for you. So you can, uh, you can, ask, you can come to me and, uh, and say hi and ask me for, for a signing, of course. And finally, Stefan, if anyone had wanted to chat about French collectibles, will you be available at CE3 to relax and enjoy perhaps a glass of wine over to have a chat about French stuff? Yeah, sure, definitely. So that's something I really like about the celebrations. So yeah, do not hesitate to, to, to come to see me, even if we haven't met before. Uh, I don't always recognize everyone, so but uh, whether you, we have met or we haven't met any, uh, uh, we have never met before, uh, do not hesitate to come to see me and say hi, and, uh, and uh, I'd be very happy to discuss uh, about Meccano collecting or Troy logo collecting, or even Kenner collecting, because I, I also collect, co collected Kenner at some point. Uh, I still have my Empire Strikes Back run, and I collected also Power of the Frost at some time. So, yeah, so I definitely enjoy uh, talking to collectors and having some drinks. Uh, enjoy your cigar if you're a cigar smoker. and. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I, I, I hope smoking cigars is allowed uh, uh, in UK. Uh, Cuban cigars, yeah, I hope. Uh, <laughs> Only outside. It's not allowed inside. <laughs> okay, yeah, sure, like in France. And uh, it's a good thing I like uh, about uh, the, the, the celebrations uh, and uh, any event with fans, uh, collectors. So it's a very uh, a good place to meet, uh, to talk, and uh, there is no uh, there, there is no stupid question or, or stupid topic, so everything can be discussed. It's a good opportunity to talk to people, to 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 get to know people. It's also a good opportunity to talk to the people you you are just chatting with, you know, on Facebook, on the forums, uh, all the year round, and so to to finally uh, meet them. So yes, definitely. So and it will be a pleasure to then chat with everyone. Yeah. Jan Leroux, will he be joining you as well, Stefan? Yeah, sure. Yeah, Jan would be attending with with, with me as well. Uh, so it would be uh, most of uh, many of of the of you uh, UK guys uh, know Jan already because he came to Celebration One uh, Europe and Celebration Two, and uh, we went to different uh, events as well. So he's a very nice guy, and uh, so uh, and, he, and he also very enjoys uh, having some beer with the guys and chatting about collecting. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Also, I was one one last thing to say we didn't mention, but. Uh, 
I will also be running a panel at the collecting tracks. So this time I'm not talking about uh, mechano action figures because I've, I've already talked about that uh, at Celebration 1, at Celebration 2, and also at Celebration 7, so we had to, to change uh, the topic. Uh, this time I will be talking about uh, the, the, the French food collectibles all right. uh, from all eras, so that means from the vintage times until uh, 2015. Oh, well, I'm really going to look forward to that. Is that one of the panels where they have the collector tracks, where they give the store tots out and things? Yeah, so I, I don't know what's what's going going to be the giveaway this time, but uh, yeah, so that's 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 right, that's the collecting tracks. Oh well, I'm sure a lot of our listeners are going to be really looking forward to that because quite often for me those are the highlights of celebration, and some of those panels are absolutely fantastic, and you don't get that knowledge elsewhere. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. Many thanks for giving your time up, Stefan. Great and generous of your time to give up tonight. And I'm looking forward to catch up in London next month. Yeah, sure. And uh, thank you uh, thank you as well for your time and for speaking about the, the, the book. And uh, so that's uh, very, very appreciated. The moon with the Rebel base will be in range in 30 minutes. Right, guys. Fantastic interview with Stefan there. Lots and lots of information. But it got me thinking. We've got lots and lots of vintage books between us. Lots of big collectible books. What other types of pocket-sized books do you think would be handy for collectors? Well, there's a couple, really, with regards to autographs. I think an autograph one would be particularly good, definitely for celebrations and the like. I think more and more people are getting into autographs as more and more actors are realising, oh, actually, yeah, there's this is a really, really good um, thing to be part of. And the other one is props. Uh, the prop store guys, they're, they're there going to these uh, things nowadays and all sorts of things out there I'd quite like to see autographs and props do you think there's any uh, need for some kind of app for a book like this i had a different sort of a book to um jets which covers the app but let, just bear with me for a minute but an identification type of book when you with for weapons for bubbles on cards for legitimacy now i know you can go online and look on the imperial gunnery but if you're at a, an event like say farthest from where there is no internet down there at all you can't look up for those kind of things and I think that would still have the same problem with an app because you couldn't store a memory of all those photos of weapons. So you'd have to connect to the Internet still. So I think maybe just a pocketbook to identify and what are the signs of fakes and reproductions and maybe something with a bit of a checklist in the back if you're collecting and you don't know what's in your collection. And obviously everyone also needs to have the vintage Rebellion fanzine in their hand as well. <laughs> that's random <laughs> I'm going to have one in my hand for the entire celebration just to hit Jez around the head with Death Star approaching estimated time to firing range 15 minutes Biker Scouts get Sabine, Rich sounds intriguing well it is I pass this one on to Grant because he organised an interview with the Bike Gas Scout Helmet Project so let's cut that interview now with Grant and event coordinator Simon Graham Quick jam their conlink center switch Okay, everyone, I'd like to welcome Simon Graham to the Vintage Rebellion podcast. Uh, Simon is, how would you say it, Simon, are you an event coordinator for the uh, Biker Scout Helmet Project? Yeah, event coordinator is pretty, pretty good description there. Well, uh, thank you for coming on the show. No Simon, explain to us, what the, why is the Biker Scout Helmet Project? The Biker Scout Helmet Project is, it's, it's, a, it's an initiative that was set, set up a few years ago. And it all started way back in 2008, 2010, I believe. And out of the blue, this 
Darth Vader art project just came onto the scene. And uh, there was all these, I think there was about 40 Darth Vader helmets all painted. And that kind of like kick-started a number of charity helmet projects. Um, the 5A first did um, a TK helmet project um, back in 2012, I believe. And then in 2014, you had the As You Wish helmet project, which was the Boba Fett. And I just thought, well, all these things, that, you know, all the US conventions seem to have all the really cool stuff. And I thought, right, you know, one of these days I'm going to make sure that this comes to the UK. And uh, last year in Anaheim, when they re at Star Wars Celebration in Anaheim, when they announced that Celebration was coming to London, I thought, well, there you go. That's that's the ideal opportunity and the ideal time to do it. So that's basically it. And and to answer your question, it's just taking an iconic helmet from from the Star Wars movie. We sent them out to various artists around the world with the basic instruction of customise it to whatever design you want to do, donate it back to us, and then we'll auction it off for charity. Um, The beneficiary of it this year is the Make-A-Wish Foundation UK. The Make-A-Wish UK, sorry. That's amazing. Have you had any previous experience with these projects then, or is this... Uh, something that you just wanted to be involved with? Well, I've, I've been I've been around the hobby and the convention scene for quite a while, and you often see these things popping up now and again. And you never ever, you never ever actually think that you're going to get involved in something of that nature. But I'm a, I'm an, an avid prop collector. You know, I have a go in my garage at building my own items, and it was it was just something really that. I felt that the UK deserved to have, you know, and, and hence the reason I just did it, <laughs> for want of a better word. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it really seems to have taken some pace, just to, judging by your uh, the, by the Facebook page. Yeah. Already some amazing submissions. Uh, how did you get to choose the the artists? Um, that was that was quite quite tricky, actually. As I said, I've I've been in the hobby and in prop you know prop building prop collecting for quite a while and and you kind of build up a good you know a good friends list and you get to know people you get to know what people can do and 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 obviously and things like that so initially what I did was I went through the um the project the as you wish um project and just cherry picked really who I thought were I've got to be careful how I say this now who I thought were the better well-known artists for instance somebody like the uh tom spiner designs you know everybody knows who tom spiner is you know everybody knows what he's capable of of of, of doing and, and their work's outstanding so i thought well if i can convince somebody like that to come on board a uk orientated project you know i'm pretty much going to be on a winner straight from the, from the beginning and obviously tom agreed straight away and and then from there i just just generally built it up and then the word obviously got out that there was another charity helmet project and then after a short while i started getting people coming to me asking if they could be involved cool cool and and uh, did you did you come up with the idea of, of the biker scout we kind of actually fell, fell on that one by accident. Originally, it was going to be the TK Stormtrooper helmet. And um, uh, and obviously, for, for, for a project of this nature, you, you do rely a lot on the goodwill of people to come on board and to help. 
yeah. so so obviously you know I went round a number of different people and pitched pitched the idea to them and it was running into thousands of pounds and I thought to myself oh this this isn't going going to work and then out of the blue I get on really well with the guys over at RS Prop Studios and they had just acquired the a screen accurate um, biker scout helmet and I think it was a prototype one um, that was used in the movie Return of the Jedi and they'd been having problems um, getting decent pulls on that helmet to, to, to launch it from their studio so they had quite a few seconds for want of a better word um, and they said you can have them you know get them out of our workshop they're cluttering up the place you can have them wow. so I kind of fell on it by accident really so RS donated all of that all of the biker scout helmets um, for for the project for free which was which was a massive massive help in the beginning that's amazing yeah it was yeah it was I, I fell on that really really luckily uh, that, that, that is super super cool the chosen charity make a wish UK uh, make a wish is that something that happened it's the same charity that happened previously. It's sort of like a legacy going with the this event. Um, I, I, I've had dealings with Make-A-Wish make previously many, many years ago. And obviously, it's it's a well-known organisation. It's a worldwide or, a worldwide organisation. And, um, and obviously, for a project of this nature, we had to get... Um, um, some recognition and some, uh, you know, the okay really from from Lucasfilm themselves, and they've got um, an initiative called Force for Change. Uh, yeah. That's their charity initiative, and basically what it is, it, it they're promoting people doing good in the community, and one of the charities that they they endorse was the Make a Wish. So again, that all kind of fell in place. You know, I, I wanted to do something for Make a Wish. But I, abs- I obviously had to go. <coughs> excuse me. I ab- obviously had to go down the route of Lucasfilm. You know, they'd have said to me, "Well, it's going to be UNICEF, or it's going to be this charity or that charity." I would have had to have gone down that route. But because they already was setting up the force for change, and the Make a Wish happened to fall under that banner, it all it all worked out again. That's that's amazing. So you've got sort of like the endorsement and backing of Lucasfilm. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we couldn't have done it without that. Because obviously, you know, we're, we're showcasing at Celebration, um, which is obviously a Lucasfilm endorsed event. So for us to showcase it at that, especially with the the images that we've got, you know, the iconic um, Bike Scout, we had to have their permission. There was there was no other way about it. Oh, amazing! And have you found that they've been supportive and? Um, <laughs> they've been great. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> yeah, no worries. No, they've been great. They've been brilliant. They, you know, obviously, they they haven't. They've given us the free will to use their name, to use their logo, to you know, the icon, to use the images. They've allowed us to do that. So you know, you, you can't ask for anything better, really. You've already advertised many of the submissions on your Facebook page. Different submissions going on your Facebook page all the time. Are there any personal favourites of yours? A personal favourite of mine, um, <laughs> I, I couldn't possibly answer that one. <laughs> I've got too many, too many artists that are probably going to listen in, and they're going to go, "Oh right, okay, so you're picking that one over mine." They're all fantastic. So you know, yeah. they're all they're all brilliant. There isn't there isn't one standout item that I've thought, "Wow, that's better than that one," or you know, they're all fantastic. 
Yeah, I found I was changing my mind every time I f- moved on to a new one. Exactly, you've got it. So I'd be like, oh, this is definitely the best. And I click on to the next one, I'd be like, oh, no, actually, this is my favorite. I mean, the great thing for us is we sit there. You know, we've got all these images coming through to us before before they go public. And we sit down and we, 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 we look, we, we sort all the images out, add the logos, ready to post up on, on Facebook. And we're thinking, yeah, this one's going to be okay. And this one probably won't do so much as that one. And it's those ones where you think that aren't going to be, you know, as popular as, uh, as a previous one. They smash all the records on Facebook. Wow. You know? we, we've had people like, um, for instance, the, have you seen the Batman helmet? I was going to ask you about that. Is that the Tumblr? Um, well, it's like tum- Tumblr inspired. It it is and it isn't. It's basically um, the the guy that made that one, Julian Checkley from um, Order sixty six, Creature and Effects. He's a big Batman fan, but he's also um, a motorbike fan. So he's right. imagined it as what Batman would wear if he was out on a motorbike, basically. Ah, right, right. No, that's a a standard. Yeah, yeah. But obviously, Batman being a DC character, we actually had Stan Lee tweet us twice about that particular helmet. Okay. And obviously, Stan Lee's obviously associated with Marvel. So So to get somebody as iconic as Stan Lee from Marvel to acknowledge how good the Batman DC helmet was, that was absolutely phenomenal for us. That was, that was, that was, that actually went, went ballistic on facebook that did that comment that that, that is that's super cool um I, I, do you know what i'd like the uh, the range as well you have something as uh, bubbly and as friendly as the yellow submarine oh yeah yeah to um the predator with the spine yeah coming out the the, the predator hand with the spine coming out of the biker scout helmet so is it I mean, it's a full eclectic range of everything that's right and it, it, it it's great because nobody has been prompted per se to say well could you have a go at doing something like this or could you have a go it's basically come from the artists themselves and the diversity of of the different images that are coming through is is unbelievable and as you say you've gone from a submarine to you know a predator inspired inspired harm you couldn't get two different ends of the spectrum really yeah and uh i love the bmx one yes that's that's insane and Instantly took me back to my childhood where BMXs were massive. It's got the perfect colours, everything. That's well, everybody's saying the same. Everybody's said about that particular helmet um, that it's you'd actually think you were back in the eighties. Yeah, yeah, no, that that is super awesome. Um, am I right in thinking that these are going to be auctioned off? That's correct. Yeah. Um, what's going to happen is um, as we run up to um, the start of celebration. Um, the actual auction will go live the weekend of celebration. So on the Friday, on the Friday morning, when the doors open for celebration, the auction will go live itself. Um, but in the meantime, we will be putting it out there, um, you know, advertising um, the actual auction site. Now that's being run by the Make a Wish by uh, the Make a Wish UK themselves through their own eBay account. Now, the reason we've done that is, obviously, with Make-A-Wish being a charity, they get all the tax relief off that, as opposed to if we were to do it, we'd get taxed on it. So right. Make-A-Wish doing it themselves through their eBay, their own eBay account, they, they don't pay the tax, so they get 100% of everything that's bid on those particular 
Wow, that's super cool. The majority of people that listen to our podcast are, uh, are vintage Star Wars collectors, but I think this is something that maybe they need to look at because uh, as a fan of Star Wars, they're going to really dig this kind of stuff. Just the, it, It's always remarkable to see the amount of creative talent that is in Star Wars fandom, and I think this is a really profound example of that. Yeah. Well, I, I always say to people, look, you know, look at it from, from two points of view. If you're a collector and you're an avid collector, it doesn't matter whether you're a vintage collector, a figure collector, or a bust collector, or, you know, whatever collector you are, it's a Star Wars item, first and foremost. But it's a unique item. It's a one of a kind. There's not another one out there, and there never will be. Do you understand what I mean? And then on top of that, 100% of the proceeds will go to the Make-A-Wish UK. So... If you can't think to yourself, right, okay, well, eh, it's not vintage, it's not this, it's not that. Look at it from a from a collector's point of view that it's you know it's a one-off, unique guys. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, Simon, listen, thank you for thank you so so much for coming on to the show. Where where can people keep up to date with all of this amazing information and see all the photographs of all these incredible helmets? Um, just pop along to Facebook. Um, look for the Biker Scout Helmet Project. And all the information will be on there. And over the next couple of weeks, we'll be posting up about the actual auction itself. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. I might have a, a cheeky little bid on that BMX helmet, you know. <laughs> you keep changing your mind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just hope I don't win them all. <laughs> uh, Simon, thank you so much for coming on the Vintage Rebellion. And um, I look forward to meeting you at Star Wars Celebration. Absolutely. Do please come along and, and have a look. And, you know, we'll, we'll have a good old ch- chin wag and a, a chat. It'd be great to see Definitely. you. Definitely. Thank you so much, buddy. No problem at all. So, Pete, Jez, you saw the Darth Vader helmets at Anaheim. What do you think of them going again, this time with the Biker Scout designs? Well, we saw the carrying cases rather than helmets, but don't worry about that. Uh, these are awesome, Rich. And my favourite one, I think, is probably the... Biker Scout Boosh one, or 50,000 no less. Because when I first saw it, it just didn't occur to me that it wasn't a, a real Star Wars prop. It's so beautiful. These are ace. Looking at them in comparison to the carry cases, first time I saw the carry case, I think might have been when I was at Anaheim. I'm not sure if it was massively publicized beforehand. The guys are doing a particularly good job on you know on podcasts, on Facebook groups, a really, really good use of social media as well, just to get it out there. The fact that they're doing this for charity, again, once up, sums up this wonderful community that we have. The Darth Vader helmets were just fantastic. And the carry the great... cases. Sorry? Carry cases. Carry cases. The Darth Vader helmet carry cases were, were amazing. They were really, really great. And the money which was raised was phenomenal. Rather than just like painted beautifully, these look a lot more kind of customised versions. Absolutely. They're sculpted, aren't they? They're, yeah. You know, these, these are more sort of large decorations more to go somewhere else. I mean, when you look at the variety and what some, some people have done. Rich, what was the uh, Facebook group again? It was the Baker Scout Helmet Project. Jez, Jez, which is your favourite, though? Which is when, when it's gone, you've seen and gone, whoa, that's amazing. It's been about a week since I've seen them. <laughs> was there a Predator one? I don't, I don't remember seeing a Predator one. Definitely go check it out. Absolutely beautiful. I mean, these are works of real art. And whoever wins one of these at the auction is a very lucky boy or girl. 
I just want to say that you guys know me quite well. What do you think my favourite design is out of the Baker Scouts? Oh, well, you're quite, you know, quite monotone and dull. So let me have a look at the most dull one. The, um... the original one. You, <laughs> you can't add any paint to it. The original one, perfect. Rebel Base 3 minutes and closing. Galaxy in the gallery. As we spotted on Facebook not too long ago, Craig Spivey, one of our former guests, has been on and was promoting an event called Galaxy in the Gallery. So let's head over to an interview now and let's hear what that's about. I'm delighted to be joined by Craig Spivey tonight, who was our main guest on episode 20 way back in January. Good evening, Craig. Good evening. Now, Craig, I've asked you to come on tonight to talk a little bit about the treat that you have for Star Wars fans in the Midlands. Would you like to tell our listeners about the Galaxy in the Gallery? Yeah, um, quite out of the blue, I was asked to kind of donate a, a number of, of items from my collection to a gallery not that far away from me. And it opened on Saturday as we as we speak, the 28th of May. And uh, there was a whole kind of section of, of kind of my collection that's that's gone on public display for the first time. So it's, a, it's kind of an interesting project to have been involved with. I mean, what's there, what there is to see, I mean, it's it's basically the edited highlights of kind of my collection of you know, 38 years in the making. Um, there's about sort of 250 kind of different sort of display pieces that are out there. So it's not massive, but it's a good it's a good cross section. It's almost exclusively kind of UK uh, and exclusively vintage. Um, so obviously in there you've got kind of your palatoy. There's a my middle loose run of figures. There's lots of box toys, uh, but then there's also lots of the other stuff that kind of I've been into over the years. So it's a few Dennis Fisher kits and Airfix things. You've got the the food items represented by Treebore, Dairy Lee, Dairy Time yogurts, and then of course lots of stationery. So um, there's a lot of Helix there. All of my Helix collection is is uh, is on display along with uh, some of the kind of letter set pieces um, as well. So what's the backstory then before we actually go into this collection and what's, um, what's available to see? How did you get your items to Nuneen? Um Well, it, it happened around sort of Christmas time when uh, I'd done that the work with Helix about their collection and they did a press release saying that they'd, they'd unearthed this uh, this stuff that had been lost uh, lost to them, but obviously still kind of uh, well-known to as collectors. So they, they kind of did a press release. They're relatively local to myself. It was in the local paper. And the Art Gallery Museum in Nuneaton uh, got in touch via the local paper and asked me if I'd be willing to kind of donate a few items to, uh, to put on display. And at first I thought it was quite bizarre, but the, um, the kind of penny dropped eventually that Nuneaton was... The hometown of Gareth Edwards, and obviously, sort of this year's a big year for uh, for him and Rogue One, and, and I think the town just wanted to kind of celebrate a little bit of their Star Wars connection. So I went over to the uh, museum, and Nuneaton's not a town I know that well, but it was quite a cute little kind of art gallery, sort of sitting in this park. It's kind of council run, so it's a it's a proper sort of community facility, if you like, and. You know, you, as a collector, you go through all these kind of thought, my God, you know, I'm going to let my stuff out of my house and, you know, leave it to someone else to be responsible for. And it's, you know, you kind of have to wrap your head around that. But I went over and I met them and I had a chat to them. They came over to, to my place and they kind of sat in the room and their kind of eyes were like saucers. And I think if, if they could have just taken a chunk of it and, and transported it over to Nuneaton, they would have done. And that's kind of what they tried to do in the end. They, they, they wanted a, a little slice of of kind of the stuff I'm into you know in truth it's as much about the idea of collecting and, and the mindset of a collector is, is about kind of Star Wars so there's lots of kind of panels and information around the room as kind of you know me you know <laughs> like, I'm, like I'm one of the exhibits but it's it, it's quite strange 
they've got a good track record for a little gallery. You know, they did. They have had a Palatoy exhibition in the past. They've had kind of Downton Abbey costumes. After they've kicked me out, they've got a, a guy called Paul Kidby. Uh, they're doing an exhibition of his work, and he's the illustrator who did all the uh, Terry Pratchett books. So they've got a good sort of pop culture kind of pedigree, if you like. So I thought it'd be a fun thing to do. So I kind of uh, agreed to do it. That sounds like a little quaint kind of uh, quirky place. Yeah, man, it is. <laughs> it really is. Do you think they were fully prepared for your collection? I mean, I'm, I'm envisaging them coming to your house, opening the door, expecting to see a couple of boxes of items and just eyes wide open. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think, it. you know, it, I put a lot of time and effort into kind of making it look nice on the shelves and stuff. But you, you could you could say, you know, I was chatting away to them and they were kind of zoning out. They were just kind of looking around and, and, and sort of checking all the corners and taking lots of photographs. Um so uh, yeah, the, curating curating the the, the selection of, of of items to sort of pick and and take down there's been quite difficult, but I've really enjoyed the process. It's it's very interesting to kind of look at your collection through someone else's eyes. I, I think you know I'm very close to it, but trying to sort of I guess answer their brief to come up with with a selection of, of things that that kind of speak broadly about kind of Star Wars and its kind of heritage as as collectibles. Um, quite a different way of looking at it. As discussed in the January show, you have an eclectic mix of Star Wars collectibles. How did you decide which pieces to take? Well, some of it was determined by the space. It's not a big show by any by any means. And and also down to sort of what they could house safely and securely. So I kind of worked with the dimensions of, of cabinets to start with. And it was it was a good starting point because it, it ruled some things out straight away, like the big prop. There was nowhere they could sort of have that. But they did order especially in for the show two sort of two meter high kind of display units with with locks on that enabled us to put a lot of the boxed toys out so that was the the focus you know filling these two big cabinets and you know i think when you see all those kind of boxed items you know crammed into that space and uh butted up against each other it's, it's just impressive and and it's also a way of you know telling the story of star wars you can start in one corner and, and, and work through that was the focus of a lot of the activity i got the dimensions of the cabinet from the manufacturers and worked to those i measured all the boxes and i kind of found reference on the internet and i did it all sort of on the computer um so it would fit it turned out that they give me the wrong dimensions and that's another story uh, <laughs> So, so what's on display is a little, it's, cl- it's close enough. It's close enough. So that was, uh, you know, making that stuff fit into a space was was a challenge and took a few evenings work. The Helix stuff was always going to be a big part of the show. And I contacted Helix and said, look, this is, this is going on. Do you, do you want to be involved? Um, and they very kindly sponsored the, the event. So Helix are our official sponsors. They've given us a bit, a bit of cash just to kind of make a bit more of a splash. And they've also donated lots of uh, sort of pens and pencils and, and colouring in stuff for the activities. So, you know, a great a, a great thing for them uh, to do that and hopefully kind of reflects well on their brand and, and gives them something different to talk about on their kind of social network. So I think everyone was quite happy with that arrangement, but that meant that all the Helix was going in, everything I had apart from a couple of kind of variants. So that took up a couple of cabinets. You know, galleries like a lot of space around things. You know, as collectors are kind of bound by the space we have at home, so L tends to be quite crammed in. So gallery always gets just scale it back a little bit, scale it back a little bit. We need some space for it to breathe. And they gave me the challenge of three more kind of relatively sort of small plinth displays to to, to do Star Wars, Empire and Jedi uh, and pick a, a, a kind of maximum of six items that, that represented those, the early merchandise from those 
from those films. And that was, I think that was probably the most fun bit to kind of go through everything and kind of go, well, let's, you know, what is there, <laughs> what is there that we can do to put in these different cabinets that, so in, uh, but also not repeat ourselves, you know? So that was good. Enjoy, enjoyed that. I think I'm kind of happy with where we got to with that one. And then there were the sort of base fillers, really, bits for the walls, stuff that was already framed that they could just kind of pick up and, and, and screw to the walls. And we, I was disappointed and they were a bit disappointed that we couldn't get the prop on display because obviously that's a slightly different kind of perspective on the collection. But we did include a number of the little dioramas that I've made with the modern figures. They're in little kind of little sort of glass, well, perspex. They're basically Muji CD boxes with a back on them and they, they look great. Um, so they're in there as well with a little kind of note about this prop that exists in this uh, idiot's bedroom. I, I would love to be able to display my collection with Star Wars items and then moving on, telling the story from the start right the way through to the end. That would be a great way of displaying a collection. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a luxury to have some gallery space to kind of do that. And, uh, you know, the, the collection, we want to show everything, obviously. Well, I've been trying to get rid of my daughter for three years now because um, <laughs> <laughs> I think she has a space that would enable me to focus. So did you have full input into how to display the pieces in the museum? Like I say, I, I tried to steer the, the, the big displays as much as I could, but they, you know, they're, they're a gallery. It's their show. It's not my show. I'm not hiring the space. It's not, you know, I don't have the final say on this. So we kind of had to meet each other in the middle um, on a lot of things. I was, you know, naively thought I'd get to do everything. I'm a kind of graphic designer by trade. I thought I was going to get to do all the information panels and get to do the poster and get to do all that kind of stuff. But they, they are a council run entity and they have a way of doing things and you, know, you kind of have to work around it. So, you know, we, we kind of, like I say, we met we met each other in the middle. I kind of worked out what would fit in the space. I marked it physically out on the carpet and sat things in there. Um, spent an afternoon doing that with my kind of pal, uh, Darren. You know, so I knew it would fit. I got one item especially framed because I desperately wanted it in there which was the the helix trade poster uh, catalog that i recently managed to acquire so that was that was kind of key to the to the helix but you know I, I had to kind of hand it over i had to hand it over and say well this is this goes here and this goes there i gave them a, a guide as much as i could and you know it was it was okay it was there or thereabouts i went in on saturday morning and saw it when it opened supplied them a big snagging list of actually that staff doesn't go with him that goes with the other guy but I'd, I'd kind of laid it all out as much as I could but they're not you know they're not experts and you know the reason I'm not allowed in there to, to touch and handle these things is when you when you hand it over to the gallery it's under their insurance and they're very very strict about kind of handling and, and, and uh, who touches things it's very strange <laughs> <laughs> you've mentioned this open on Saturday what, what feedback have you had so far on this it's been great so far. I, I kind of spoke to them. I mean, I was I was there kind of that morning and people were coming in. And I think it's very much aimed at the general public, I guess. It's, you know, as collectors, we're very close to kind of what we love. And we're very used to seeing, you know, a, a mock or a complete loose run. But a lot of people aren't, you know, and they, they kind of walk in there and it's like, oh, my God. You know, and you kind of even the time I was sat there, I heard. I had that, but my mum gave it away so many times, you know, in, in, in that first morning. There was a lot of nostalgia in the room. And I think since it's been up for a week and obviously it's been half term and the feedback I've had is that, you know, the kids are loving it. You know, the kids are kind of going in there and going, wow, these toys are great. <laughs> 
and hopefully it's hopefully it's making kids think differently about their toys bringing back a few memories for people i've had some nice messages on the on the social media and you know hopefully it's going to create some footfall for them and hear a lot of stuff about public funded amenities like libraries you know failing because people don't use them uh, i guess this is part of the reason i wanted to kind of give them something to to show off and they've said you know this isn't what people expect to see do you find most visitors are more interested in the action figure related items or do you think it's the whole spread of other items like stationery as well? I'm not sure. I mean, the, the two sort of large cabinets with the bulk of the Palatoy stuff in there, I think it's obviously it's a very big visual draw. And, you know, people stand there and all kind of ignore the no photograph signs and take photos. That's fine. And uh, so I, I think that's what people kind of recognise. But, you know, then they wander off and point at yogurt pots and go oh god yeah <laughs> so it's it's nice it's nice to see it's it's nice to sort of think that i've had a part in that you know i think you're waiting for the guy who's going to walk in and go you know what i've got that box somewhere <laughs> in my attic on <laughs> have you left calling cards all over the place oh yeah yeah they know where i am <laughs> so how long is this collection available for viewing it's on until the 10th of july so we're on for another kind of month or two yet um it, it comes down just in time for me to get to celebration so i've got to pack it's got to get packed up and and you know counted back into the into my door it's on to the bulk of the summer which is which is really good for those who won't be able to make this from our listeners in the states and other places will you have an online kind of viewing gallery at all anyway yeah, I mean, that's I'm having quite a bit of fun with that, to be fair. The gallery, obviously, they, they kind of handle their own publicity, so they're doing their own mailing list and all the rest of it, but they're not that tech-savvy, so I've kind of taken over the um, the social media side of things. So we're, I set up a Facebook uh, event page, and I'm teasing pictures on there. So that's uh, Galaxy in the gallery. And then on Instagram and Twitter, I'm kind of trying to do, you know, a little pick a day, <laughs> just try and, and mix it up, some shots from the show, some shots from... The collection that's quite good fun it's like a virtual exhibition from the comfort of your own device yeah i've seen some of those photographs um one where you were i don't know if you're in a loft or somewhere like that where you're just surrounded by lots and lots of stationary yeah, that, items that's, that's a great shot that's about five years old that picture yeah you mentioned there that you're coming down to celebration have you got any special plans for celebration at all grant and myself and mark daniels i know you've had on we're going to be um hosting a panel uh, in the collected track um, on vintage stationery. Who'd have guessed that we'd be talking about that? So yeah, we, we, we're working out what we're going to say, you know, how much airtime we're going we're to give to the other licensees that weren't Helix. Yeah, that's uh, that's proving interesting, but it should be good. So I'm looking forward to it. I really am. Um, yeah, but it's not a panel that I've seen before. I was at Celebration Europe 2 in Essen, uh, and some of the panels over there were the biggest highlights for me, but I think it was miss, missing a little bit of a niche UK market. Yeah, well, I mean, we said when we when we submitted the, the talk, it, it's on home ground and it, it should it should get through. It's going to be very visual, and, you know, the, the stuff we're going to be showing hopefully will look great. You know, we're pooling our knowledge, what we know, and the little stories that we know, and hopefully people will find it interesting been working on our swag which is going to be ace which i will reveal in good time so yeah it's it's going to be a good year this year yeah and i'm really looking forward to that panel as i am many of the others will you be available for a chat with our vintage collectors of uk stationery products around celebration are you are you hanging around some of the bars afterwards and will you be up for meet and greets i'll be there i'll be there man i'll be there <laughs> from the thursday night uh my my hair has grown to uh force awakens luke length and i will be rocking the robes at least two of the days. I'm not sure about doing the panel in the full gear. <laughs> I think that's too much. But um, yeah, I think you can't do these things by halves, can you? Um, so you just got to throw yourself into it. 
No, you've got you've got to dive <laughs> in for you first and get on with it. <laughs> well, Craig, many thanks for giving your generous time tonight. We look forward to catching up with you again at some point in the future. Having good luck with your future collecting habits. You're very welcome. I'll see you soon. Rebel base one minute and closing. Does a collection of UK licensed Star Wars items that are not action figure related have a mass market appeal? Absolutely, mate. I think any Star Wars has massive appeal at the moment, especially because of our promotion of this kind of stuff on the oddball section. Everyone wants in on it. Stu, do you think this is possibly the last time we're going to see a collection like this altogether? No. What, what do you mean? By um, non-figure related or... Yes. Just Star Wars collections on show in general. Non-figure related. No, I don't see why not. I think Star Wars is real public domain at the moment. It's it's out there. It's I think if places are willing to put on these displays, then you'll carry on seeing them. We had you've got Craig's at the moment. And you had Matt Fox's at over Christmas. That run for three months in Canterbury. I know that was more toy based, but still a um, gallery was willing to put a Star Wars collection in for three months. Now, Pete, since we recorded that interview with Craig, I've since found out that you polished your old penny farthing off, you whacked your bicycle clips on, you headed off the Nuneaton Museum, and you went in and actually viewed this. Well, first thing to say, Rich, is, is uh, that it's in Nuneaton, which is, uh, for people from Leamington, you know, that's a real step down, so I was a bit shocked at first. But it is a, it's a beautiful little museum, actually. It's just on the outskirts. And um, it's upstairs. I talked to the, the, the clerk at the front, and she said that it had been really well received, and uh, most people walked in, always said, where's the Star Wars bit? So uh, obviously she had to answer that question. And it is so nicely presented. There's kind of like a Marvel Comics kind of wallpaper uh, around some of the exhibits. It's it, it, it's quite a small exhibit, though. It's, it doesn't take up a lot of room, but it's um, um, there's little cases. There's, there's a bit of modern stuff as well, which has been little dioramas, which uh, Craig's obviously made, which are really, really, really nice and uh, really inspired me to maybe have a go at doing some of that stuff myself. But it's, it's just it's so nice to see something like Star Wars in museum exhibit. And it was so nice to see people walking around. And there was a, a bit of interactivity as well. There was a, um, there was a little sort of Q&A uh, post-it note thing where people have been asked, you know, what do you collect to, to the kids? And, the, and lots of the kids... I was surprised to see actually so many children do actually collect things, um, which is really nice, sort of a little bit of interactivity. There's also a little dressing up zone as well, uh, where you could put on various Star Wars costumes and masks. So it was a really nice thing. I do recommend anyone anywhere near it, go and see it. Rebel Base, one minute and closing. And Rich, the collecting panels start to go live for celebration. Yeah, so six panels were posted online and I really enjoy the collecting panels and I'm looking forward to get through, get to as many of these as I can. I'm just going to whiz through the six titles very quickly. So we've got the effect and influence on Palatoy Star Wars collecting. We've got Star Wars pops and costumes, one of a kind Star Wars collectibles, Star Wars Lego, vintage Star Wars coins, and we have food premiums, which we've just heard from Stephen Forcourt in his interview. Grant, six panels here. Which one of those six do you think piques your interest? Uh, the props one. Star Wars Pops and Costumes by Gus Lopez, and I think he's got four of his collectible friends. So you're looking forward to that one? Yeah, that for me is a definite one. Jez? Sorry, mate. I was laughing to myself when you said, yeah, he's got four of his collectible friends with him. Um, I just thought that was quite funny. Um, but there we go. Maybe that's just me. It's been a long day. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm told you. <laughs> um, some of the panels there is new ones. There's ones which, are, as you can see, Star Wars now broadening. You, I wouldn't have thought I would have seen the Lego ones, maybe in, in Anaheim or Essen, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, th- I think 
they are broadening out now away from more of the vintage stuff. It's it's great to see things like the food premiums, which Stefan was talking about. Uh, the coins is always really, really interesting. I, I'm really, really keen to listen to uh, to the boys. I'm really, really keen to listen to what Grant's got to say. Yeah, I'm really, really up for that. I, I definitely want to be in on that. And someone can have dibs on the fan booth because that's where I'm going to be. I'm trying to stop Jez there. The Lego one has been there all the time, mate. The Lego one's been there all the time. Well, yeah. I don't know. Maybe it just shows that I've I've got no interest in it. I, I guess they've got a cater for everyone. The one that's interesting me the most is the Palatoy one. Now, obviously, we are quite you know well aware of the Palatoy company, but there was a, a line in Dave Tree's advertising that's really intrigued me. And what he's put here is many changes and compromises were required in the UK market, which led to unique variations and in some cases completely new products, which which we're fully aware of. But it's this next bit. This presentation takes a look back at those challenges, the highs, the lows, the successes and the failures. That's really intrigued me, so I'm expecting to see some cracking stuff there from what we probably all consider as the UK's number one Palatoy expert. Absolutely. Lord Palatoy.
Once a Jedi Knight, the same as your father. Don't be too proud of this technological terror you've constructed. The ability to destroy a planet is insignificant next to the power of the Force. Years ago, you served my father in the Clone Wars. Now he begs you to help him in his struggle against the Empire. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. I don't think your boys can help me. Let's go alone. Where did you dig up that old fossil? Ben is a great man. My guest this month is UK collector Mark Hockley, a huge fan since seeing a double bill of Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back in 1980 and has collected on and off ever since. Trading under his cool name, Starwares, Mark always offers great items at great prices. A singer-songwriter, a Robbie Williams tribute act and also a Barry Manilow tribute act. Good evening, Mark. <laughs> Welcome to the show. <laughs> yeah, Barry Manilow. That would be good if I could do that. Hiya, Stuart. You're right. Um, yeah, Michael Bublé, that's as near as I get to Manalay. Yeah, smooth though, smooth. Again, you must just resemble him. It's just 
If you squint, yeah, if you squint and have a drink, you get away with it, yeah. And joining me to discuss his collection, as he's had the privilege to see it, is Grant. Evening, buddy. Evening, guys. Hey, man, are you all right? Yeah, I, well, definitely. Um, I owe you £850, Mark. I better be okay. <laughs> I've got it on record now. That's ridiculous. <laughs> so, why do you owe him £850, Grant? Oh, that's a good story, actually. Um, we shouldn't be interviewing Mark, but um... no, we, no, I should be interviewing you. In fact, we should have had a we should have had a, a camera rolling when we were trying to t- disassemble that thing and get it in your car without the boot opening. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> okay. Interesting story. Um, I'll I'll just do the intro. Maybe Mark can finish it up here. But uh, Mark contacted me when I just happened to be in the area and begged me to take out a really long term payment plan to take off. <laughs> To take this massive life-size uh, Pizza Hut Darth Maul 1999 shop display off his hands, and then I turned up to his house, and it was massive and heavy, and never been well looked after, never disassembled. Well, then Grant was confident that he could get it in his car, which, and I kind of shared his confidence until he told me the boot didn't open. And then at that point, I was thinking, really, we're going to get this in the car? How are we going to? And it started to rain about that point as well, which was brilliant. So yeah, we, we there we were in Milan with my, my girlfriend, just looking on, bemused wondering what the hell we were doing and I was just fetching the toolbox and just passing things like butter knives and stuff to Grant and he was trying to figure out how to disassemble this thing whilst Kat was googling it to try and find out if she could be of any help to us because we really looked like we needed it and um, yeah it was great and somehow we, we got it apart without destroying it and uh, and uh, you got it in your car didn't you and then yeah. you, you, you drive it across the border and luckily they only charged by car and not by, by uh, people in the vehicle so you were right there and yeah, and he sent me a lovely picture of it all back together, looking amazing. And then I upsold him. I sold him the the, um, the removable blade um, double saber, like the two sabers that join together to make up the the Darth Maul saber. And so I upsold him like that on Furby's <laughs> from, and and he's he's got it all on tick. Yes, yeah, all there, and it looks yeah. amazing in the in the pictures and videos and that you've sent me. How tall is it? It's yes, actual size, isn't it? It's it's not well, it's, far off our height, isn't it? It's six foot plus. He's on standing on a base as well, so it's massive. It's really heavy. And to yeah. disassemble him, we start to undress Darth Maul, which is a strange feeling. And then underneath, <laughs> we find out he's made of polystyrene and, and metal poles. So then we had yeah. to sort of like start taking that apart. And you know, if obviously if the polystyrene snaps, it's the same as you know. Well, you just took to a kitchen knife to it. You showed no fear. About five minutes in, there was just like. <laughs> He just likes me out of deliverance. He was just there and he had the knife out and he was just hacking away at it. And I'm thinking, I stepped back at this point because I thought, well, uh, if he breaks it, he's just going to go, you know what, Mark? I don't want it. <laughs> so I, I just got to stood back at this point. I went, yeah, you've seen, I know what you're doing. Yeah. And, um, and do you know what he did? He actually did. Was... Um, he's like a surgeon. It's like watching a surgeon work. The way he cut that, cut that mall apart. It was um, a really surreal, really surreal experience. It was. Yeah, it was. How did you yeah, but, come to own it? I bought it years ago from a person in Bristol. Um, and they'd had it since they'd got it from the store. And then they'd, you, randomly they'd used it for... Well, every time they had a Halloween party, they'd stand it on the end of their drive and put a sign on it saying the party's here. It's just amazing that it, it, it survived in such a good condition because... Like around here, if you stuck that at the end of your drive, some kids would just walk past and kick it. But um, obviously, it was a nice neighbourhood, and, and uh, there it was. So it, it, it always missed the parties because it was always on the drive, and then put back in the garage or whatever when the party was over. And yeah, and so I, I, I made a little pilgrimage over to, to uh, Bristol, and um, 
and bought it. And I had it for years because I was on a bit of a life-size run, if there even is such a thing. I was kind of got caught up in, yeah, like, okay, I had the toys when I was a kid, but now I can buy these sort of standee type things. And then my missus pointed out to me that I, that, that I might be one of those people they made a documentary about one day where a man lives with mm. mannequins. <laughs> and so I thought I'd better dial it back. So I've only got about eight of them now. <laughs> but I did have, yeah, I did have a few. I got rid of, I got so rid you, of Watto. You've still um, got eight of them. How many did you have? Well, yeah, because I had years ago. I bought, um, I bought a Jawa, um, which is like a fan built. I don't know if it's from Argentina or something. It's like a fan built thing. Uh, it hasn't got like, it's all replica pouches. It hasn't got like proper World War One patches or anything on it, um, like band, bandoliers or anything. But it's, um, I'm looking at it right now. It's pretty cool. He's got his droid corner in his hand and the eyes light up and the boots are really well done. So that's pretty cool. I think that was the first one I had. And then, then I got Vader, which is a really nice, pretty close screen accurate one with a two piece helmet. The lights all flash in sequence and, so that's like a full wearable costume. I've actually worn that as well. That's the only one I've anything that I've actually worn because it arrived the day before the mannequin. And when the mannequin arrived, I kind of put it on there and I've never taken it off, but I got to wear it before the mannequin arrived. It's pretty cool, actually. I mean, I'm only six, just over six foot, six foot and a half inch. And, but it, that suit, by the time you've got the helmet and everything on, that adds that height to you. You look sort of six foot four, six foot five, being six foot, you know. So you can only imagine how imposing in real life Prowse would be. You know, being being the high, the high ears with that helmet and everything on, and the boots, and yeah, quite it's quite a striking suit. Um, my 40th birthday to, present to myself was a R2D2 static prop, not like a remote control or anything, because they're like mortgage territory. But I got a static prop from a, a crazy guy from Swindon, who a lot of listeners might know. He's got a, a fancy dress shop there. He's he's got some amazing stuff himself actually, and uh, that was just one piece that he decided to part with. And then a couple of years ago. I've got the 3PO to go with it. And I only, and literally just this weekend, I just put the lights in the eyes, the eyes light up and everything now, so it looks great. Uh, and I had Watto and, and oh, I've got a Stormtrooper got armour on a, on a mannequin, which sadly is starting to go a little bit yellow. So I don't know if they're making him a full-on sound trooper. He's got the pauldron and that. Uh, pauldron, is that even the right word? One of the, um, one of the things being a collector is you always seem to run out of room. Um, yeah, life-size objects seem to be quite obvious that you'd run out of room quite quickly. How did you talk yourself into uh, carrying and buying them? <laughs> Maybe that's the other reason I stopped. I had to stop myself the other day as well. There was a Tarkin. There was a life-size Tarkin on um, on eBay. It went for about five or six hundred quid, and I was eyeing that up. I even showed my missus, going, "It's quite cool, right? That looked good next to Vader." And she's <laughs> like, "Yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe you look alright." Now you've got Darth Maul so- out of the way. You got a little bit of space there. Well, yeah, but I've, I've, I've got like a, a studio set up um, and an office and, and for a long time, the Stormtrooper and Vader in my office. And then when I got the, the studio set up with like a vocal booth and that, I moved them into the vocal booth. And then and it was getting a bit cosy in there because there was a uh, because Maul was in there as well. And then I got Watto and he was hanging up, sort of hovering and he was in there as well. And so there was four in there before I got in there. So um, but it's a good vibe. You go into a vocal take and you're just sort of staring into the face of Darth Vader and a Stormtrooper. It's quite, um, yeah, it's quite cool. <laughs> yeah, you've, you've also got the Slave Layer outfit, which I think yeah. on a mannequin originally. I bought it to put on a mannequin. Well, I bought it to put on my girlfriend, but she didn't. She wasn't really particularly interested in that. <laughs> so then I thought I'd buy a mannequin, and I never really saw the right one. I've seen a couple of seated mannequins and like that, and then actually I don't know where I put it. And like my collection. Since I bought that about three years ago, went in a storage box in the bottom of the wardrobe, and I literally forgot about it for a, for about a year. And then I looked at mannequins again, and I thought I might better get one for 
80 quid 100 quid that would look right and then then I re- then I started my collections in a room uh, in like a loft conversion, and um, it was a it was kind of a guest room and it had like a sofa bed in it. Uh, it doesn't have a sofa bed in it anymore. There's no room, so um, I don't know. There's absolutely no point in, in keeping the layer costume unless I can talk cat into wearing it. Um, there's there's not any point in keeping it really. Mark, um, have you ever worn it? Have I ever worn it? No, I don't. I don't think. Any of us, and we're not exactly fatties, are we? But I don't think any of us could wear it. I think it is. I think I said when someone asked me the question on 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 Yavin that um, what size is it, and I say it's sort of one to one prop size because I don't really know. But my girlfriend's like a, a size ten, and if it it would have fitted her, yeah, prob- probably if you're any bigger than a twelve, it probably wouldn't. Because what was Leia? Like an eight, maybe even a six, or something ridiculous then. So. Yeah, it's 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 not huge. It's not going to go on peak, unfortunately. We're not going <laughs> to. Yeah, it's going to see that. Jez won't be running in it, um, <laughs> which would have been which would have been beautiful, I'm sure. That would have gone viral as well. He went viral as a stormtrooper. Imagine what he <laughs> imagine Malay with a clip on a hairpiece on the back. That'd be brilliant. We could all like you know we can raise twice as much. We could all double our our contributions and put him in the next year. Yeah, sure, definitely. <laughs> that would chaff though, definitely. Right, well let's let's go back a bit to your childhood. How old are you now, Mark? Which you? I'm um, 42. 42, really? Mm, yeah. Wear pretty well, don't you? Oh, gee, I had an easy paper round. There wasn't many leaflets. Yeah, I'm a, I'm 40, 43 in October, so yeah, I was born in 73. Just Jez is a similar age, and he looks 55. <laughs> you know, I thought Jez was 68. <laughs> so you were around. How old were you when initially they came out? So I was when they made Star Wars in the the summer of 76. I was like coming up three. So yeah, when it came out, I was I was very young. I didn't. I'm certain the first time I saw Star Wars was at the Star Wars Empire Strikes Back double bill, which I believe was 1980, um, at the Odeon in Camberley. And my dad took me to see it, which was cool actually. It was a, quite a, well to me a funny story. My dad's a fireman. When we got there, I don't think we'd booked tickets. In fact, I know we hadn't booked tickets, and there was a queue. And my dad cut the queue with me. Went to the front of the queue showed his ID to the woman on the desk and said that he was doing an inspection. <laughs> and and uh, they let us in. And we, we, we got in and we jumped the queue, which is really naughty. But they were really bad. But in the, in the 70s and 80s, like, you know, it was another world. It was like life on Mars. You know, you could kind of get away with, with that, kind of, uh, that kind of thing, I guess. But um, it was great. So, yeah, he took me to go and see that. And, and back in that day, it wasn't like now when you, the film comes out and, and like Grant, you go and see it 20 times while it's still on. Literally, it was like, you go once and then that'll be it and then you know some years later you get the vhs so at that point that's when the toys kicked in and, and then the toys were you know the toys were every game you ever wanted to play starting with a film story and then making up your own story and just taking away your imagination leads you and and that's why i love the films and and they're you know they're my favorite films of all time but for me the the, the toys um have got an even bigger place in my heart because that was my my childhood from from, to, from 1980 to probably 1989, I think. I, I remember being 15 and setting the toys all up and then looking at them and, and thinking, ah, oh, something's not quite the same anymore. And then getting on a bike and riding to my girlfriend's house, you know, and, and realising that now I've discovered girls that maybe actually I wasn't going to be playing Star Wars anymore. How little did I know? Because <laughs> now... Now I'm all settled down and all loved up, but I'm seriously, you know, still buying toys. So and trying so. to make her dress up as Star Wars, yeah. Yeah, well, you know, never say never. 
Did you have a um, a good collection as a child? I had. I was lucky enough that when my parents went shopping every week or two, uh, if I didn't if I didn't play up, if I was kind of like helping with the shopping and and going and getting bits and pieces for the trolley and that, that at the end of the shop, most times they would my folks would buy me a figure, which is pretty cool. I mean, that said, I never had a lot of the ships and that that my friends had. So I had mini rigs. Uh, probably had a lot of the mini rigs. I had a Wampa and a Tauntaun. Uh, Ship-wise, I think I had four. I think I had X-Wing, Snowspeeder, um, Darth Vader's TIE Fighter, and Slave One. And I'm pretty sure those were the only ships I ever had. I had a Jabba's playset as well that I got for, for Christmas, or my birthday one year, from my grandma. And she thought it was repulsive, but it was what I wanted, so she got me it. You were still collecting the toys up to about 89. Well, I was still collecting the toys when the when the range finished in 85. I never went near the Ewoks. In fact, I was never even aware of the droids and Ewoks line. Um, so it finished with the Trilogo 159 figures for me, like with Yak and um, Amanaman. But I, I had them. I remember getting them on cards. So they, they, it wasn't even Woolworths multi-packs I had of those. I actually had carded ones that came from Tesco and Wokenham, which is where we used to do our shop. And, I, yeah, I remember having them and opening them and keeping the card backs and being disappointed by the end of the run where there weren't any more promotions for mail-aways and everything because I'd cut all the cards up ready to send them away, keeping all the, the, the name plates in like a little coin bag, um, like banking coin bag, and then realising there weren't any more promotions, it was all done. So uh, cut them up for nothing. So when did you return to collecting then? After 89, you said you... You set your toys up and you've gone off to yeah, your house. Yeah, nine, nine toys went in the loft, but I never sold them. A lot of my friends sold them. I remember all my friends having like table sales and stuff at Fates and things, selling off their figures for 50p each and that, and I never did that. They went in a box and went in the loft, and then that was that. My son was born in 1996, uh, so he's 20 now. When he was born, they brought out the Hasbro range that year where they, they basically made all these Star Wars figures look like He-Man, the Hasbro range thing, and I thought oh, I'll buy them and put them away for him because they're not going to do loads, are they? Because it's not relevant anymore. It's just kind of a little bit of a nostalgia thing. So I bought those. Uh, I think when I bought the 100th one of those and they were still on like freeze frame figures or whatever it was, I thought, oh, this is ridiculous. So uh, shrewdly, I sold them all. I had a friend that worked as an airline pilot I say he was a friend. I was a dry cleaner back in the day, and I was working in a dry cleaners, and he was just a customer that was an airline pilot. He used to come in, and we got chatting, and he and he used to buy tin plate toys and bits and pieces, and and uh, so he started bringing back figures for me, and he'd buy them from the states, and I'd buy them off of him for like seven pound a figure, I think I was paying, and I put that run together for Toby. Uh, got to about a hundred of them, and then realised it was never going to stop, so I bailed and um, got probably broke even overall. Did a stall up at the NEC. Uh, with a friend of mine at the time and uh yeah and we just sold as much of it as we could by that point for, by from about 98 i bought the flat and then i had a cabinet on the wall with my figures in with my run of 96 figures in that was enough that was the full extent of my illness at that point i, I didn't have a problem i was just a little bit of nostalgia in a cabinet on the wall bit of a talking point girls would scratch their head at it boys would think they were cool you did say to me that in 98 or 97, I think it was in your message to me, that mm. you sold off your mint in box ship run. Well, it wasn't my childhood collection. What it was is, yeah, in 96, when I started buying the figures for Toby, the, the new figures, I, I sold off because, because Toby was so young and he needed cots and things like that. I did sell some of my childhood collection and I sold the ones that I'd looked on free ads that people were buying. So I sold a man a man and yak face and I sold them for 50 quid the pair. And randomly, the woman, woman as well that, that bought them off me, a girl, uh, girl called Mandy, she 
um, had an advertising company in London, like proper grown up and everything. She was mates with Boy George. She had this advertising agency. I think they were called Dry. I don't know if they're still going or not. I lost touch with her. But she had this advertising agency and she wanted Star Wars to go in her uh, advertising exec place in the lobby, in the reception, in cabinets. She was ahead of the trend, really, to be fair. And she just thought they'd look cool. So she bought them off me through the free ads and came all the way from London, uh, advertised me like the, the Berkshire free ads. And she came and picked them up. And literally, we were just chatting. And as she was leaving, she said to me, I, no, it's, I really appreciate these because I was missing these two. She said to me, it's really good of you to sell these to me for that price because I know for a fact this one's worth 50 quid on its own. And it was a man a man. And I must have gone a bit of a shade of white. She's like, no, but thanks. Thanks for that price. It was really cool. We stayed in touch because she was a collector and I might be, she was trying to get me to sell some other stuff, which I didn't really want to sell. I started keeping an eye on free ads and thinking, well, I'm going to, I'm going to have to buy them back now. And I'm actually, I'm missing two for my collection. I didn't even know about the three Ewoks I was still missing. So then I started to track those, you know, the amount of man and, and yak face down, trying to get for the price I'd sold mine for, realizing my mistake. And then I started watching people selling their, their, their collections off. Long story short, within a few weeks, someone was selling a collection uh, of mint in box stuff and I didn't have the money to buy it. So I rang her up and said, look, I found this collection. If you're interested in maybe coming in on it with me, I'd like to, there's a few bits I'd like to keep and then you can have your pick of the bits and we'll just sort of divide it up. A bit like the big pick thing kind of thing, but just between me and, and Mandy. So we went all the way out, to, I think it was down in, around, down Devon way somewhere. And we went and looked at this collection. It was all being stored in a, in a caravan. It was all sealed. It was sealed. It was like old shop stock from 1985. It, some of it still had um, A4 pieces of paper with someone's name on it, sellotaped to the box where someone had reserved it in the shop. Uh, and it was just all literally a caravan full of mint in box sealed attats. Uh, there was a Palatoy Death Star. There was just amazing pieces in there. In, in 1996, we bought the whole collection for £800. Wow. Um, which, believe me, was a lot of money at the time. Uh, or it seemed like a lot of money to me. And bless her, Mandy put the money up for it because I literally had about 50 quid. Uh, there might have been 850 all told. I'm sure I, uh, Mandy put a lot of the money in, picked out five or six things for herself, said sell the rest and we'll split the profit. And that was the beginning of my mint in box run because the pieces I kept from that uh, started me off buying a few mint in box pieces. And I probably had about 15, 20 pieces within that two year period. So when I bought my flat in 98, I was buying a place that didn't have a loft, had no storage. It was just like a one bedroom flat. So I sold it all. I sold all everything but the loose figures. I went right back to having a loose figure running a cabinet on the wall. And it kind of stayed that way until when my, girl, when my girlfriend moved in about six years ago, I started to put together a little loose run of play sets like I believe Richard's doing. Just things I never had like the Imperial Attack playset and things like that, which I literally would just buy loose and buy beta ones and complete parts and rummage around in, in thrift stores and boxes and, you know, done a boot fairs and, and just putting together a handful of ships and playsets, which just displayed in a spare room around the telly, just kind of in a corner, kind of little, unassuming little sideline of like Tut uh, on a shelf somewhere, just sort of minding its own business. With the passing of the years of, of, of being in a serious relationship and being with the one and just kind of thinking, well, that, you know, this is this is it. I'm all grown up now. I've just got worse. So now I'm, you know, it started with a it started with a boxed run of trying to get everything, any, every production item, Palatoy and Kenner uh, in a box, ideally stickers on sheets were at least complete, part used or hardly used, ideally unused, but open. So you can actually, it's a tactile thing, is it? So you can actually see it. I, I hate, I hate grading. I hate the whole idea of, of you grading and sealing things in 
in little plastic coffins and, and doing what? Just looking at them until they wear out with your eyes. I don't understand it. It's just it's just such a tactile thing. It's a toy. But I just like being able to, you know, when when the mood takes me, just take it out, take it out of the box and look at it, you know, and just put it together or whatever, you know. So so that's what I did. I did the, the run of Minute in Box. And then Frank kind of turned my head on to baggies because I knew I could never afford to do a, a mint on card run, surely. So started putting together a, a baggy run. And again, not, not all the variations of baggies, but like uh, just one of each figure was my ideal. One of each figure in a bag of some shape, size or description, just so I had a an even mintier figure than the loose one I had in the absence of being able to put a card run together. And then that got me into multi-packs and then that got me into Poppy and then that got me into Woolworths multi-packs and things like that and mail-aways and, um, and then as a sideline to the minting box ships, Palatoy and Kenner thing, I, I did uh, the bot bags and laser guns and 12-inch run. And that goes right back to 1985 when I was a kid and I collected just the little figures. And my friends had some of the 12-inch figures, and I used to just play with theirs. And then Crowthorne Market, 1985, randomly, that late in the run, there was some uh, a stall selling uh, Star Wars boxed Jawa 12-inch uh, scale dolls uh, for £5. And I remember pleading with my mum to buy me this thing. And you don't collect those, you have the little ones, they're not the ones you collect. So I never got it. And then fast forward to, what, two years ago, and I bought a box one off of Jim Stevenson for, for an arm on both legs. But it's, I mean, it's a nice one, as everything from Jim is, but it was, uh, yeah, high end. But I finally ticked that box that started in 1985 or scratched that itch, you know, for having a, a, a box jower. But, um, and then you, you know, you've got the leddy, and the leddy are so cool, the 12 inch leddy. They're so bad. They're, they're just god awful. Poorly made, they rattle. I didn't realise that um, they used the same body moulds as their Barbie and Ken equivalents. Apparently, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Ricardo or whatever it is 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 uh, the Tuscan Raider, isn't it? Is it Ricardo? That's, uh, Ricardo uh, and Tassie were used for Luke, Han, Vader, Tuscan, and the Leia figures. Right. And the, the Jawa was the same mould as the Hasbro's Charlie's Angels figure. Ah, so, I did uh, not know that. They're terrible. There's still two I, I haven't got. If anyone out there is tempted to part with a with a Jawa one or a, a Leia one, then 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 let me know because they're they're the two I'd I'd love to add in. I mean, the one some of the ones I've got on aren't complete you know they're missing like weapons or whatever but but they still display really well and uh i just love to have a love to have a jower and the and the, and the layer in there to complete the set got the, the the r2d2 in a box and and rather coolly it used to belong to lee bullock oh, wow. um he's a mate of mine and, and like when i got it because he's the, the one person i know would appreciate that when i got it i was like look look i got one and he's like Hey, I recognise that. I did a repair on the box on that. So um, yeah, these things just kind of pass around between between collectors. It's brilliant. It's like a baton. It's like yeah. a big relay, ra- big relay race. We're just, you know, you find another one, you think, okay, well, I can't keep both. It, uh, what is it like to collect the uh, Lady Lady Twelve Inch? It's, it's something I've never uh, attempted to do before. Do you find it difficult to find uh, complete items or? Uh, yeah, really hard. I got so lucky. It all started, and I had a little look back on this earlier because it's my favourite piece, and my mem- my head's a shed, and I knew I wouldn't remember. I actually went back to my old emails, and I bought my Leddy Tuscan uh, Raider in May 2012 from a guy in Scarborough. Yeah, and I bought it through eBay. It was just an open auction, um, no reserve, and I knew of it because I think I'd seen it in um, I think I seen it in Steve Sandsweet's book many years ago and it kind of it registered but i didn't really know what it was 
I just remember seeing that there was this 12-inch Tuscan Raider and, and I'd never seen it at any toy fair or anything over the years. And there it was. I found it on eBay and it was an open, you know, open listing, no reserve. And I just thought, right, I'm going to watch that and then maybe see what it goes for and then see if I can get another one. I'll know at least then what it's going to cost me. I didn't intend to buy it. I was I forgot all about it. It was just in my watched items and I went out for the day and I was up in London at my friend Tom's and his parents had got a coffee shop called Coffee Monkey in um, Croydon. I'll just get a plug in for him. And I was in there, say, six, four years ago and my phone pinged because they had Wi-Fi and um, four years ago, not many cafes had Wi-Fi and stuff, but but they did and it popped up and I was like, oh, I'll watch that then. And I'm watching it and I'm, I'm thinking it's going to go for two, three, four hundred pound and it's ticking down and it's still at like 80 quid and I'm thinking I'm, I might even bid. And it's ticking down, and he's going, what are you doing? I just showed him, and he's like, what do you want that for? It's like, no, 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 this is really cool. This is really cool. And it's ticking down, and I just got so caught up in it, and I just thought, right, I'm just going to stick 200 quid in at 10 seconds. And I won it for 185 quid. And I knew, and normally I get buyer's remorse. I had it today with vectors. I buy this stuff, and I buy lots of little things, and I don't think they're very much. And then you look at the bill totally, and you spent hundreds, and you're like, I've done it again. But with this, it was instant. I knew it was probably the, the best day of my collecting life because it was just like that isn't i am never going to sell that i mean i could i would you know in years to come i sold my whole collection i i, I can't see me ever selling that piece and for what six quid posted so 191 quid delivered yeah and i went back from my emails today and i had a really nice message from simon the guy i bought it from from scarborough and he told me he'd owned it for 12 years and when i saw my email was robin williams he was like uh oh what is it you doing i said oh I'm a robbie tribute and that he's going uh Oh, that's cool. He said, I've sold Star Wars to a couple of members of Kasabian before, but I think selling something to Robin Williams is, is far cooler. <laughs> well, he's clearly mistaken, but it was still quite funny. Do you know what kind of price the Tuscan goes for now? Don't. I try and keep up on it from time to time just to like to show Cat and go, see, look, don't worry, it's all all right. I know that a loose one did go for, was it a few thousand dollars not so long ago? There was one... I don't know if it was a freak, but one went silly high. Because I, I don't think they're normally the, ro- the wrong side of a thousand, but uh, loose certainly. But maybe boxed there a couple, a couple of grand. But um, but as a loose one, I I thought they were like you know high hundreds. Mark is um, Tuscan the rarest of the of the set. I believe it is. Leaves the authority on that. The Jawa certainly lit- as well, wasn't it? Yeah, I, I find that the Jawa I've never seen one come up for sale. Maybe one I've missed, like not even found it till it had ended. I think I have seen one for sale. Normally, when you search whatever you're searching, you end up coming up back to the same guy on YouTube who stuck a video up with them on once years ago. For me, I've missed out on a layer about a year ago. The thing is with the Tuscan is that I was really lucky because the one I got is complete. So it's got the cape. Um, most of the ones that have come up since have got reproduction capes because the capes are made out of just old crepe bandage. So it's a really kind of easy thing, I guess, to, to fake. But yeah, Lee had a look at mine and said mine's right, which was really lucky because of the price I paid it. Yeah. You know, the, the, there's repro harnesses and all sorts for them out there. And I just got lucky. 185 quid and I was hooked. And then I paid a lot more for the for the R2, you know, years later, but I had a box. And then the other ones, you, you just have to... I've had three or four of each of them because you literally, you buy one just to have one then that's got a pair of trousers on it or something. Then you buy another one that's maybe got trousers and a shirt. Then you buy another one that's just got boots and a shirt or something. And you literally, you're putting together the complete figure over maybe five purchases. A bit like when you're putting together loose ships, really. You just, you're literally buying the best one around at the time and then compiling it to make, you know, the full complement. But they do look great, even though Luke's missing his belt and his um, gun, his saber, sorry, and Vader's missing the saber and Han's missing the, the waistcoat and the belt. But they still display really well, um, especially when you've got, you know, the, the five of them together. They look really cool. 
your box star two, I, I chanced upon a um a thread, you might remember this grant, from the from the mid nineties, a a big warehouse find of Lily Leddy boxed figures, which had like I think about ten Darths and Lukes, fifty odd layers and R twos and um then I think there was about twenty hand Tuscan and Jowers. All right. of them mint in box from an old um, wow. warehouse find. I don't suppose you are to had any link to that because I I, I, I don't know. Lee might know. I, I know that Lee had this for, uh, several years ago, uh, and and I bought it off somebody else on Echo that had it since. I guess they got it from Lee. But the the box, as I remember, that those ones were found were literally mint like old shop stock, weren't they? Yeah. Yeah, whereas the, whereas this this R2 box is a bit battered and, and, and Lee said to me that he'd, he'd done a repair on it. So, yeah, probably not, actually. But I'd love to know what happened to all those. There was some, there were, that was an amazing find. That is an incredible find, isn't it? So yeah. That kind of thing was just sitting there. Well, because I don't know how popular those, how many of those toys were made, but I'm assuming that even back in the day, it would have only been a few thousand, maybe. Um, it must have been more than a few hundred. I think they only had the license for like six months. Someone might correct me on that. They, they did, didn't they? They had a, um, the first wave had five of the figures, and then the Tuscan and oh, the Jawa Grant that came in the second wave of them. Guess it would be. Yeah, because the others were all like key and characters, the aren't they? Series really low distribution, wasn't it? Right. Oh, and that that's why that's why um, a it's so hard to find a Jawa and b there's so much. Well, I think there's so much excitement around the Tuscan. Uh, that's excitement's the right word. There's so so uh, much. Uh, buzz around the, the Tuscan Raider because it was just something that wasn't replicated in any way. It was a it was a gap in the in the 12 inch line, or certainly somewhere they never got to. I know you, on last month's podcast you were talking about what could have been for the 12 inch run, and surely Tuscan Raider would have been, you know, would have come along, and that would have been cool. Because it, I mean, part of the fun with this one is it's it's kind of so bad. In fact, Tuscan is probably the best of the Leddy figures. Well, actually, I don't know because the the R2 is a, is a direct upscale of the of the three and three quarter inch scale That's figure, so that that in itself is cool that even um, has the clicking head doesn't it yeah yeah and i never thought in my all my life that i'd ever find one of those so when that came up on echo base i just jumped on it and the fact they had a box was amazing because i never thought i'd have one in a box i had a leaflet for the box that i picked up from uh, one of the guys at furthest from but i never thought i'd have a box to put just behind the display and it just sets it all off it looks nice well, but yeah it was quite a clever upscale really a clever idea to make rt that way Mark, you um, you mentioned leaflets there. This seems to be something of a side focus that you've moved into recently. Catalogs, particularly. Leaflets, me and my friend Carl Dix um, kind of keep challenging each other. We keep pick, One of us will pick up a, a rare leaflet, uh, like a PVP leaflet or something like that, and then the other one's got to try and find one. So we've got a little bit of a... And we're just going, no, have you seen this one? This is the, this is the uh, you know, the, the little... Well, I'm looking at this even thinking what it is. This is uh, the little... Meccano leaflets is one with Akbar, like a drawing with a bit like the painting competition or whatever with Akbar and Luke and that on it. And then yeah. there's another one with e- with Ewok Village on it. Um, so yeah, we'll get something like that. And then the other one's like, oh, well, you got one of those? And you'll have to try and find one of those. Um, there seems to be a massive uh, price hike in those recently with, um, I mean, there was a couple of sales on eBay the other day with the um, Scout Walker uh, PBB catalogue went for, I think, over £100. Really? Is there the Pally Toy thin stem leaflets they sort of like got the I think it's the death squad commander and the Jawa on it or maybe the stormtroopers yeah like the rebate form is a stormtrooper Jawa the ones that were in the, the radio controlled sand crawler and that from from that era from 77 ah, is that where they're from yeah they're, they're like the they're like the rebates a bit like they still they were still running that into um, Empire Strikes Back with you got rebate um, Hoth Womper and things like that yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah, those those really old ones with the Jawa and Stormtrooper and that on are from the the early range of toys. Yeah, the radio controlled Jawa Sandcrawler had one of those in. Oh, 
Um, so yeah, it'd be Kenner. I guess that would be Kenner 78. It's amazing because all the territories have their own. So some of them are just straight uh, translations and then others have just got totally different artwork on them or they're different sizes. So you've got like the little Kenner ones with the X-Wing on with the racetrack round. And then you've got a booklet that's almost twice the size, which has got the white and red uh, sash through with reimbursements up to $12 through it in uh, what French Canadian, I guess that is. And that's like, a, rather than being a booklet, it's like a long full fold out. Right. Uh, so it folds out to about a foot and a half long. It's just all so different. And uh, I just got these little like glass block frames that I got from like TK Maxx or somewhere that really set them off. So you just sit them in there and they're kind of encased in the lock. They look like they're encased in a block of glass, but they're just they're just in a glass photo frame. But it's sort of they're good when you stand them in front of like a load of ships or whatever and, and just kind of put them on display. Because yeah. I made a deal with myself that I wouldn't keep anything if I couldn't display it. If if I buy something and then like where am I going to put that and I never find a place for it, then don't I have to let it go. Yeah. Because I don't see the point of having something if you can't look at it. I find it really sad that some of the people I talk to have got amazing collections and they're just boxed and they're just put away. And it's like, ah, it's, you know, the, the joy of having it is just to walk in and look at it all and have a little smile and just think, wow. I mean, the day that I walk in and look at it all and it doesn't make me smile, but the day that I think, right, well, that's it, that was fun. Maybe it's time to sell up. But but right now, it's I walk in here, it's like a time machine. And I think that's what the collecting is for me. It's a direct link back to the 80s. And I was lucky enough to have a great childhood and, and these were toys were such a huge part of that that it is literally like, a you know, it's, it's stepping back in time and, and just everything that goes with it. You know, your grandparents and your parents and Christmases and birthdays and it, it just embodies all of that. You know, it's a really strong emotion and, and uh, yeah, I love it. It's great. Is there, um, is there any particular uh, pamphlets or leaflets that you're looking for now that you find they're quite tricky to get? Well, like some of those rebate ones I haven't got. I think I've got... I think I've got the Jawa one. I don't have the others, but I kind of forget about them because they're just kind of, for me, those were just, I've always had like a thing that I'm collecting. Like when I was collecting baggies, uh, it was because I couldn't afford to, to collect mocks. And then I ended up finding about multi-packs and then suddenly that got expensive. And then you find out about poppies and, and actually poppies weren't expensive until about three years ago. And then everybody started collecting them. You know, that you got R5D for, you know, about £900, pound, £1,000. Really? So with, with three leaflets, with the white little leaflet in there, it's like, well, the last ones that have been up for sale, I don't know if they're selling yet, but the last ones that have come up for sale have been around that price, yeah. On one of the Facebook groups this week, was selling one yeah. of the, an empty box for 350 quid. I was like... Yeah. Yeah, it was a 3PO box, wasn't it? I, the worst right. thing is, I, look, I looked at that, yeah. And, I, and I, then it went, and now I'm watching another one on eBay, which, which I probably can't afford to get either. But I did, I've, I'm about nine into the poppy run. Well, I'm, I've got eight of them and a, and a box for a, for a ninth. And... Um, I hadn't paid more than £200 for a complete set yet, but I'm at that point now where I don't think anyone's selling a complete set for, for less than three, four, £500. I bought a Chewbacca one 18 months ago with yeah. one of the catalogues, silk baggy and whatnot, for 90 quid. That's and amazing. Like, and you just look at the prices now, I'm just... Yeah. Well, the first one I bought was a box with a loose figure, um, no leaflets, uh, just in a box. I bought that when I was over in Amsterdam about two years ago, and it was, I think, with a, with the a, uh, conversion from euros, it was about sixty quid, seventy quid. And I thought that was a lot, but I wanted to have a poppy in my collection. And then, of course, I ended up thinking, well, if I just get one more, maybe I could get one with the leaflets. Maybe I could get a sealed one. But again, I think the most I paid was Death Star Droid. I think I paid £200 for it complete. 180 it might have been, actually. But I'm lucky enough that I've got a really good friend in Jeff who I do furthest from with. Because uh, you mentioned earlier on that, that I have, like, uh, I trade a Star Wars. But really, I don't really know what's going on with Star Wars because literally all it is 
it was things that I could, as it said on the website, things that I couldn't keep in my collection because I was running out of space. So I haven't updated it for six months because I haven't got rid of anything for six months. And I have, I've stopped buying up people's collections because there was about two years early on where I was buying up little collections and keeping most of it and flipping the few things I already had. I literally bought two or three collections over the space of two years. And because I was starting from scratch, I needed most of it. So there were maybe there were some carded figures and I wasn't collecting carded, so I sold them. Um, and maybe there were some, because I remember coming furthest from two was the first one I went to. And I didn't have a stall. I just carried a bag in with me because I wanted some trade bait because I thought I might see something I wanted because I wanted like an Imperial shuttle or something. And I thought, well, I'll take these few bits and maybe I can trade. And I, it was really funny because I ended up selling something to, to uh, Ian. I sold something to Jamie and I sold something to Christian. You know, I ended up making contacts with those three guys and who, you know, just knew just so much more than, than I know now. You know, just their knowledge of, on, on a range of subjects was huge. And um, so they, they, you know, all helped me. Um, and Jamie's become a good mate of mine. You know, you just end up all helping each other. It's like when I end up sending messages to Grant at two o'clock in the morning because I've seen a Helix Mass set that I don't know <laughs> if he's got or not. And I just, you know, ping it over to him and go, any good to you? Yeah, keep um, coming, mate. Yeah, see, so and I was start, I'm glad you said that on that last message because I was thinking, oh, I hope he hasn't got notifications. I'm like waking him up at two o'clock in the morning for something he's already got. And he'd be thinking, what's the matter with this mad insomniac messaging me about Helix mass sets at 2 a.m.? That's cool because, you know, it's good spending other people's money because it's not something I want, but I found it and I think, that looks cool. I wonder if blah, blah, blah's got that. I mean, you know, and you always know what your friends are looking for. You know, I know there's pieces that Richie uh, Hutchinson's looking for. I know there's pieces that Mark Daniels and, and Lee Bullock and that, and you kind of keep an eye out for them. Hopefully you, you can match pe people up. And as I was saying before, my really good friend, Jeff, who, again, I just met from buying from a couple of years ago, three years ago, I bought, he put a, set, a full set of loose figures on eBay. And for some crazy reason, they didn't go for what they were worth. And I just got to my gig and, again, Wi-Fi stitched me up because I was watching it and my phone pinged and it was counting down from 20 minutes and had about 15 minutes to go. And I was early for the gig, but their Wi-Fi was on, so I was getting Wi-Fi parked on the roof. And I literally... Watch this auction ending thinking, full set of figures, that's going to go for, you know, even then it was about 1250 1300 I thought that'd go for. And it didn't, and I put a bid in the right side of a grand and, and won it. A full set of figures, last 70 and everything. I think it was the right side of 800 quid, actually. It was it was ridiculous. And I felt really bad, because the uh, last 17 run then were about 700 quid. So I messaged him and said, uh, look, I just won your auction. I was kind of only kidding. I'd happily buy them at that, but if you want to relist them, I don't blame you, and, and you know, just kind of don't worry about it. Cancel the sale and relist them, and no harm done. And he rather gallantly went, no, that's okay. That's what they sold for. That's it. As long as you're happy, then they're yours. So that was my, that a lot of those became my main collection because they were even nicer figures than the ones I had. And that's what started Star Wars when I had a full, pretty much a full spare set of figures after I picked the best ones out for myself. And then I bought the domain name, set up the website and just started selling all my extras. And then I would buy a collection, keep 70, 80% of it, sell on the 20% of the things that I already had or didn't want. That's kind of run its course now because I'm so far into this collection. There aren't so many pieces I need anymore. So it, it's not really beneficial to buy huge collections for a handful of pieces for the last year or so i've just been buying bits as i've needed them rather than buying a collection and i guess it's getting harder to buy collections as well now because everybody thinks that they've got a plastic eight jower or or a yak face or every figure is worth 100 quid because it's a star wars figure yeah that's not the problem isn't it? yeah i almost feel sorry for dealers now because most of them are collectors as well and, and like it's so difficult because a little information is dangerous because 
Joe Public don't care. They haven't cared about these toys in 20 years and they're clearing their parents' loft and they find these things and straight away they think they're worth a new car, you know, and a couple of them are, but most of them aren't. And the, the, the fun in the hobby isn't what things are worth. And, and that actually that's that's the heartbreaking thing about these, these collections because as you amass this stuff and you, you cherry pick and you get some good deals and you put this stuff together and then you set about insuring it and putting together um, like protection and everything for, for safeguarding your investment. You realise it is an investment and it's not, even though you bought it for fun and it's just supposed to be like this this hobby, that actually you have to be a bit serious about it because, you know, I chatted to some other collectors and they're all like, oh yeah, I insure with this company, I insure this company, they insure the whole collection and you can put like a, a blanket policy in it and suddenly it all becomes boring. And actually when you look at it and you think, shit this is worth that or that's worth that it kind of takes the fun out of it it kind of it because it isn't about that it's about it's about the fun of having stuff you would never had the opportunity to have as a kid it's about having almost your own toy shop that you can just walk into and look at and open cabinets and look at stuff and show your friends and 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 actually just kind of share that collecting you know like like me and carl baiting each other and me and jamie and like you know, that competitive kind of trying to, uh, you know, at the same time you're trying to help people out and get things for their collection, and in the next breath you're trying to get something you know is going to take their breath away, you know, and it's just, that's the fun bit of it. And that's actually something I wanted to, to, to go on record as thanking, uh, everybody does, I think, anyway, but Dave Tree and what he's done at, at Furthest From, because I never knew, and it was thanks to Lee Bullock mentioning to me about Furthest From, because I didn't even know about it, I suddenly realised that collecting Infinity Star Wars wasn't a lonely hobby. And it had been since I was a kid, because when you were a kid, you play your mates in the street and you put your names on the bottom of the feet or whatever, so you don't mix them up. And you swap with your mates and you swap stickers in the playground. And, and it's it's all a communal thing. And then suddenly there's that long corridor of adult life where you're kind of getting back into collecting, but you don't think it's a social thing. And then I realised, going the furthest from and meeting all you guys, that it is, you know, it is a real playground thing almost. You know, you're kind of, you're all there and you're all kind of, you're grown men spending silly money on on little plastic toys but it's a community and by and large we all look out for each other and there's a real good you know sense of community spirit and and uh and you know every now and again you're someone will rock the boat but you know everybody else just sort of bands together and just kind of helps each other out and uh that's worth more than any price you can ever put on any of these collections because that's the real value that's what makes it fun and that's what means the most to most collectors i think is is to actually be part of a community it's not about no 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 no. i've got this you know it's not like the older uh i've got an ice cream sketch you know people want other people to do well as long as they you know they're part of a community and you know blah blah blah's got this focus and blah blah's got that focus and 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 that's great but that all said i'd steer well clear of of pre-production and all that kind of stuff because that's just like that's the big boys league isn't it and I, I know I haven't got friends really too much into that community, so I don't know if that's a separate club, you know. I don't know if I'm flying coach and they're all in first class or whether they're even in a you know, whether they're even on a different vehicle because I don't I don't know enough about that to know if that's got the same sense of community or whether that really is all about numbers, one upmanship, maybe well, maybe it is. Ju- uh, judging by a natural progression, mint in box to mint on card, I think maybe pre production might be your next logical step anyway. I can't do it. I can't do it. This mint on card run, Christian said to me um, from GW Acrylics, he said to me, oh, Mark, mint on card, it's the road to ruin. And you know what? <laughs> it wasn't far wrong because I've got six to go. I'm going to try and do one a month. But there's some big boys in there. And I've tried to do it all on a budget and I've not been too fussy. I've got a few crack bubbles. I've got a few sort of tattier cards. Most of them are on Jedi. Some of them on Empire and a couple of Star Wars cards, but... Do you think you'll ever go down the foreign card route? What I mean by foreign, like international card route? I so I've tried to do most of this on Kenner. I can't even afford the Palatoy run, so to start getting into like Herbert and 
glass lit and all that kind of stuff. I, I don't think so, you know. I don't. More than anything else, I literally um, I know where I can put the spaces. I've got spaces for the six I need and nothing else. And so I think if I did carry on, I would have to seriously consider selling either my box run of ships, which would be a, be painful for me to do, I think. So, no, I don't think so. I, I mean, I've gone off into so many avenues already, from mint in box to mini rigs to the, the blister-carded body rig things and die cast and bot bags and guns and 12-inch dolls and radios and, you know, all that stuff. I've, I've done all that. I'm, I draw the line at Ewoks. I draw the line at droids. Past R2 and 3PO, I had to get those. But past those, not interested. No, I don't think I can. Long, long, short answer, long. No, I'd, I'd love to, but even today, right? I mean, you know, I collect catalogues, and I've got like a run of seventy-eight to eighty-five Kenner catalogues. And Christian's fault this as well, because I went to his place, and uh, and if you've ever been to Christian's place, and like, he'll just show you different. He'll show you one or two things, but he'll show you one or two things different every time he shows you them. And there was amazing, and and like, oh yeah, catalogues. I got catalogues, and like, I had three or four, and he had he had all the the Kenner ones and that, and I was like. Oh wow, right. And a bit like me and Carl now with the leaflets, you know, it's like, all oh, right, I'm gonna try and get those. And when I started collecting catalogues, they were thirty, thirty-five quid each. And then about two years ago, suddenly, if you wanted a Palatoy catalogue, it was a hundred quid. And and if you wanted a Kenner one, it was seventy or eighty quid, and you had to pay import duty on it. And I picked up a few like Meccano ones and some Tasaka, is it? Tasada, um, a couple of random ones over the years, which I'm really chuffed with. But and there's a there's a Kenner that I think there's a a Kenner early Kenner one I'm missing which has got Luke on the front with the stars I've got the main uh, Hildenbrandt is it Hildenbrandt I always get that wrong I've got well I've got the Kenner one which has got that Hildenbrandt brothers picture on the front but there's another one from 79 which is the same sort of thin sort of 12 page catalogue as that I'm missing that one and I've seen it go for two three hundred pounds on eBay before now so then today the Vectis auction I ended up picking up nine lots of catalogues one of them was a lot of about seven or eight. They weren't. Some of them were like really cheap actually, because stupidly they they had like I say stupid. I know they sponsor this podcast, but crazily they they had like 1978 uh, retail sales division Palatoy posters, which um, catalogues, which you're lucky if you can pick up for less than 200 pounds on eBay if you follow the right searches. And then they had like eight of them in a row. So wow. like the first one kind of went okay. And then the second one soared because I guess that anyone that put pre-bids in had pre-bid the second one thinking the first one would fly. I guess that was the psychology behind it. But then the, the next six kind of slowly kind of stalled. And then by the last one, it was like, I think I got I, I got Jamie to buy one. And uh, I'm going, you really want one of these? No, I don't. You, Mate, if you only buy one catalogue, buy this one. So Because every Vectors auction, me and Jamie spend the whole time on the phone. So we did seven hours today. <laughs> so I, I'm talked out today. <laughs> seven hours from 10 o'clock till five o'clock i had him on on speakerphone doing it in real time going through the auction goading each other to buy just about every lot that came up you want that no i don't yes you do oh that's really nice you want that so the object of the game is to try and get the other one to spend more money and i'm sure he's got far deeper pockets than me but i always seem to come out buying them more than he does yeah today i I bought a lot of palatoy catalogs and and uh meccano catalog and all ones i didn't have well I bought one, I put a pre-bid and stitched myself up and bought two the same. One I got for 60 quid and one I got for 80 quid and they're bloody identical. So I, I shot myself in the foot there. But the prices were good today on Vectors for, for, for catalogues. But unfortunately, even when they're good and you buy that many of them, it gets expensive. I got into this from seeing Christian's nice little run of Kenner ones thinking, oh yeah, seven, that'd be okay. Yeah, that's the thing is uh, how inspiring other collectors can be. I mean, I remember when I came over to see your collection, which is 
beautifully displayed that um that inspired Thanks, me mate. and uh as soon as i came home then i remember ordering some better cabinets yeah. and starting to get the <laughs> lights together and now i've got a nine foot tall Darth Maul in the corner and that's all lit up and I'm thinking you know it, it is isn't it? it's great it can be so inspiring just by uh, seeing what other people do with their collections and, and what they've yeah. got yeah because you don't know these things exist sometimes like, I, I didn't know until a couple of years ago about the Ewok Combat and the Indoor Chase sets or, or the Rescue on Hoth I, I, they're all in the boxes the same as the, the Tri-Logo Revo band they're all the same size as those but with the Power of the Force logos on but I didn't know these existed I mean, I must have seen them in the the books, in the the Tomart's guide and things like that. But they'd never registered with me. You know, somebody uh, put a, like a limelight up or whatever on one of the the groups, or uh, as it was actually before I started getting into Facebook groups. I mean, there's only two Facebook groups that I look at. There's only really one that I tend to buy from these days as well, which is Yavin. But Yavin and Echo are, are both ones I follow, and I try not to follow any others because I keep getting added to them. And there's some great ones out there, um, auction sites and all sorts. But it just it's all consuming. I, I think. I had to detox a couple of weeks ago because I, I think I was near getting a caution from the missus, and my missus is so understanding, so like she, she's totally cool with it. She knows it's my money I'm spending on it, and she doesn't mind. She's like, I go support this. All oh, right, okay, <laughs> well done. You know what I mean? It's like I tell her everything I get sometimes just to see the the, the look, but it's um, but but she's totally cool with it, and she comes to furthest from with me sometimes and sits on the stool with me and that. Like 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 she dodged the bullet because because I've been doing the store with Jeff. So she goes, well, Jeff's going, will you be all right? But yeah, she, she's really understanding, but it gets to the point where it just takes up so much of your time. And you know, the worst thing is, and I'm sure I'm not the only one out there doing this, is like followed searches on eBay. It's just evil because you're constantly looking on eBay for misspelt things, for things listed wrong. And, and it's literally, there was one point, I think I was spending two, three hours a day scouring eBay for mislistings and things. And you know what? I might have found one thing that I actually bought and actually became something in my collection the rest of that time was just time i'll never get back and it is an illness it's a hobby if you do it for a few hours a week it's a bit of an obsession if you do it for a few hours a day it's a serious illness if you're doing it three four hours a day yeah you know what i mean i think i think porn's healthier <laughs> at least that's got some bearing on reality i mean this is like this is like this is crazy right spending that amount of time searching on ebay in case somebody's mislisted or misspelt fet or something you know what i mean it's like wow we're pretty much on it every day because we have to produce this podcast and sometimes that can be you know in itself overwhelming where you have to keep up with news stories and network and contact this person and then that will yeah there must start the work you guys must put in is phenomenal but like it's it's so i mean it's so worth it because i mean i, I only started listening to the podcast when when you gave me those cds when you switched the name to the village rebellion that was when I, I've been listening ever since there. Up until that point, I was aware of it, and I didn't listen to any podcasts, so I, I never thought to download it. I just thought, all right, yeah, the, the, the guys do the, the Star Wars uh, forum podcast thing. And I read about it, and I'd kind of sometimes sort of like follow the threads and that about it, but I never actually was listening to it. And, of course, you gave me those, that, those couple of CD-ROMs with them on, and uh, I listened to them on the way to gigs and all the way back from gigs and that, and it's like, love it, it's great. It's great work you guys do, and it, and, it, and it's you know must take such a lot of your time up. It's yeah. it's great fun and it's educational. Well, Mark, it's getting on, so I better start to wrap it up. But it's one question we always ask our interviews, okay? And that is, if we were being moved to a new planet, there was only room for one piece of your collection on the board spacecraft. What are you taking and why? It's got to be that Lily Lady 12-inch uh, Tuscan Raider. Got to be old Sam person. Yeah, love him. He's great. 
my favourite. Mark, yeah, I have a question as well. Um, me and Stu might be on our own here, but one of our favourite parts of doing the podcast is having these little musical interludes. Right, yeah. So we just get some random uh, uh, Star Wars parody songs on. Um, which I, yeah. Me and Stu would love them, but the rest of the team, it's a bit off and on. I think they're great. I've discovered all sorts of songs I didn't know about from you using them on the uh, on the podcast, yeah. Uh, you've been a, you've been a musician and everything. Um, how come you haven't written a Star Wars song that we can use? <laughs> um, yeah, maybe I'll have to get to that. Um, no, I've never I'd never thought about doing one because Widow Yankovic has done a couple over the years and they're great. And he's set that bar really high. Uh, it's, it's not very often that, that someone sort of does one as as good as the ones he's done. Because he did like one of the first ones he did was that Yoda to the uh, the tune of Lola. That That's was a right. great one. Yeah, and then he did the the whole the best thing about episode one was with Al Yankovic's uh, Saga Begins, um, American Pie. That was that's preferable to watching the film. So um, well, we look forward to uh, to seeing what you can come up with. Uh, well, no pressure. Yeah, I'll, I'll see what I can do. What in the style of Michael Bublé or Robbie Williams? Or... <laughs> yeah. <sure. laughs> Why hasn't um, Dave Tree ever got you to come to the Christmas Fathers from Mill and perform? Because <laughs> nobody would want it. Do you know what? And I, I, I'd love, I'd love to come to the Christmas, not to sing, but I'd love to come to the Christmas. And I'm always gigging the night before. I've never been able to come to the, the Saturday night curry. Yeah, yeah, maybe one year, eh? Yeah. Maybe he can't afford me. Maybe I'm too expensive. I have to give him some sort of preferential rate. He'll just give you panty toys. Well, Mark, thank you so much for your time this evening, mate. Thanks, guys. My pleasure. It's been a pleasure, mate, and uh, great to have you on. Thanks, guys. Mark, and one other thing before we go is you've got a single out, I believe. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah, I've got a new record. Uh, it's, uh, I've got an album out at the moment. It's called Built In Stories, and the, the new single from it, Everybody Knows, is out. I think it's the end of July, beginning of August, uh, the 29th of July or the, or the 5th of August. I can't remember which. But one of those days, yeah, it's coming out, and yeah, we've got there's a music video for it, which is quite exciting because it's uh, the first music video I've ever, proper music video I've ever done. Oh, where so. did you film that? Uh, sort of everywhere locally and and sort of round and about we found a bit of it in glamorous locations like Bracknell um, <laughs> and uh, just sort of surrounding area really yeah well I think we've got one more scene to do for it we've got to go I think we're going off to Beachy Head or something in a, in a week or two's time would a video come out alongside the single when you yeah yeah it'll be all on YouTube and, and social media and all that kind of stuff and um, I guess it'll be available on iTunes as well um, yeah I think it will be but uh, yeah it'll be sort of everywhere and anywhere from from the end of July onwards so yeah watch this space and I'm happy to say you're going to let us just play a little snippet of it to play out this interview yeah there's no Star Wars content but yeah if if you're happy to do that that'd be cool yeah thanks we're happy we need to sneak some Star Wars into the video we haven't managed to do it yet but we're hoping to (laughs) get something in somewhere fantastic that is wonderful Mark well thank you ever so much once again mate thanks mate thanks all the best cheers really appreciate it you're the king of coming back again when the race seems run yeah we love we still admire you I can see you smile And watch the money rolling Everybody knows It's on the newsstand On my TV screaming Everybody knows Just where you stand In my Right, now let's go over to Jez for this month's newest acquisitions. Hello, what happened here? Ah, New acquisitions! Yeah, my favourite bit. Right, lads, before we go on, and 
I am going to go away from the show notes. No! Whilst I've sent you out all the stuff and we've agreed on this, that and the other, I couldn't help it. But I had to have another little look last night, a quick catch up, particularly at Star Wars Forum UK, because as you know, I've been offline for a while. Very bad feeling about this. I had a little look, and the first thing I saw on page 1935, I was delighted to see it was Rifle Smile, a.k.a. Nikki, who won the Fet Error signed Minton card from Vectis, which we spoke about it last month. Nice. Good on you, Nikki, mate. Absolutely chuffed. I know there's been some talk about actually getting the signature removed from that Minton card, and I know that there's a particular company within the UK who can do that. And uh, so there's a little bit of chat about maybe he he is going to do that. But it's great to see. And also, Grant, I'm going to put you on the spot now, mate. And this is completely off script. Not once on any of the new acquisitions, latest acquisitions, have we discussed our own things. It's just not what we do. It's not really what we're about. However, you posted something on page 1938, your find, your, your comic, Mate, what is the backstory behind that? Because I don't think this should really go unnoticed. Ah, yeah, this was um, the, the Yugoslavian comic. Yeah. Yeah, uh, this was passed on to me by uh, Poncho Belt on the forum. I think his name's Chris. Yep. Um, Chris always sends us links to stuff because he's always like, I'm going to try and find you something that you haven't got. And he sends us links to some oddball stuff uh, every now and then. And then he sent me a link to this and said, have you got this? And I hadn't, and I and I was really interested in, in it. And mostly, um, this got me thinking from doing the podcast, uh, well, maybe even a couple of years ago now, where we started discussing bootlegs and you know the effects of Star Wars in Eastern Europe. Now, I'm aware that Yugoslavia was a part of the uh, of part of Eastern Europe uh, behind the Iron Curtain, a bit more liberal than the Soviet Union. Obviously, they just come out from uh, Tito, who was uh, more Western friendly, I think, than obviously what was going on in the Soviet Union. Um, and here we have this Yugoslavian comic, which is part of the Empire Strikes Back Marvel strip. Um, I believe this comic came out in 1981 as well, so it's a year after the Empire Strikes Back. It's also got some Disney stuff in there as well. I'm unsure if any of this stuff is licensed or whether they just you know, thought that this is the kind of stuff, you know, maybe there was kids who were interested in you know Western sort of stuff back then and, and would have liked to have read these kind of things. But... Um, yeah, it's. I mean, it's a real communist comic as well. It's got a real working class, real sort of blue collar, steelworks, tough guy, you know, farmer sort of, you know, iron fist kind of uh, stuff that you would see from uh, Eastern Europe and some Star Wars stuff in there as well. And there is like a Disney thing as well, like, a, like a, a Donald Duck thing in there. I'm not even sure if that's licensed, to be honest with you, because I can't read uh, any kind of Slavic uh, language. But uh, really interesting piece i've seen um marvel comics from greece before but um i've never seen one from yugoslavia and um i'm just fascinated in that kind of stuff and that that was inspired by the idea of polish bootlegs of like yeah there was it was a different world back then in europe in um it's quite topical actually for the elections coming up but it was a different world back then and star wars would have meant different things in europe back then so really interested in that kind of stuff that was a bit of a monologue i I, I really liked it it was really cool yeah well i could tell it was something special and and it was just definitely worth just putting you on the spot there thanks very much page 1938 check out something completely different what's um what's grant's yugoslavian comic and toy tony got in common oh go on this this is 
this is going to be funny, isn't it? I don't know, Rich. What has Grant's Yugoslavian comic and Toy Tony got in common? They both operated behind the Iron Curtain. Very, very poor indeed. You know, uh, one of the things that, uh, that really attracted me to this comic is Yugoslavia doesn't exist anymore. You know, it's mad to have Star Wars from a country that does no longer exist. Right, Grant. I put it to you and I said, mate, what have you seen? What takes your fancy? And you saw something on page 1926. What did you see, mate? Ah, this uh, Spoons, otherwise known as Andrew Norton, um, good friend of the show. Uh, we actually had him back on a, as a keynote interview in episode 12 of Star Wars Forum UK podcast. Uh, he'd begun to Doncaster Toy Fair and he'd actually bought um, some vintage Star Wars Akamas Toys masks. Now, Akamas Toys was like a, a company in the UK in the early, early 80s. They did a bit of stuff with things like uh, Thundercats, but they specialised in child mask costumes. One reason why this really highlighted to me is I had this as a child. I had the Darth Vader uh, mask with the thick vinyl uh, plastic uh, cape that goes with it. Um, and also, the, you know, the, with the bootleg force beam lightsaber. So it brought back a lot of memories, actually. And I thought, wow, that's something I should have chased down ages ago. Totally forgot I had it. I believe these were released in 1983. It doesn't look like it from the front of the box because it's just got the Star Wars logo, which is unusual for the time. Most of the stuff in, uh, would have had the Return of the Jedi logo, but it does have the Return of the Jedi logo on the sides. Uh, it's part of a, a set of 10 that were, was released in the UK in 1983, as I said. Um, the vinyl capes have a real strong plasticky smell to them. I don't know if you've um, had these when you were kids, but it's sort of like actually you, know, you smell that stuff. It's like the uh, it's like the smell of the Tide Pilot. It takes you straight back to your childhood. Spoons actually said he had the Spider-Man and Batman ones when he was a kid, and man, I would have loved to have those as well. Um, he also has the Leia and Yoda masks as well, which are also uh, made by Akamas Toys. Um, these are different to the ones you get in the, U- in the United States, the Ben Cooper masks. And to be honest with you, I, I do prefer the packaging on the Ben Cooper 1978 masks. But, you know, these are still excellent. Um, in the UK, we only ever had for Star Wars a C-3PO Star Wars mask and vinyl suit by a company called uh, Cheryl Plaything Limited, which is also really cool. But for me, this was just um, this is one of the coolest things I've seen in the latest acquisitions because, uh, you know, I haven't seen one of those since I was a kid. And man, um, I think Steve Obi-Wan actually came on. Underneath it said, if you ever wanted to sell that, I'd be interested. And I thought, wow, I was just about to write exactly the same thing as that. So it just goes to show, really cool item. Definitely worth picking up. Uh, there's quite a few of them. Like I said, there's 10 of them. I've got the Gamorrean Guard one. But you can pick these up pretty cheap, and I think they're worth it. It's a great buy. I've seen a few on eBay at the moment. There's some buy now. There's a Yoda one, a uh, box for £30. There's a Vader in the US for about £60. So the UK one ended up in the USA and now to sell it back to the UK for 60 Yeah, as you said, there's a few Gamgards and a Chewy together, sold for about £30 together from Cyprus in March. So, yeah, they do come up. You're absolutely yeah. right. The Cheryl Playthings, the C-3PO, the 1977. Not seen one of those. have done a full search on eBay and nothing at all. So those things must be like hen's teeth. Uh, got one in the in the bedroom there. They're pretty rare, pretty difficult to come across. What's interesting with the American ones, though, is some of them come out in revenge boxes. Yeah, yeah. Which is pretty cool. Um, I think those might have been Ben Cooper's as well. I'm not sure. 
Um, and you would also get Return of the Jedi ones in Empire Strikes Back boxes. But you can just open up these boxes easy and transport them over. But they were actually legitimately Return of the Jedi ones packaged with Empire Strikes Back boxes. So, you know, it's it's cool, man. It's opened my eyes, mate, just looking at this. So thanks very much for bringing it. They they are kind of creepy on page 1926. But as you said, it brings back that nostalgia. It's really interesting. I, I went to um, SWCA to check out some stuff like we always do. And as I said, they've got some revenge ones. And it's a, they don't actually have many pictures on there, but it, it does list them. And one of the revenge ones, it said, included Wicket. And I thought, mm, that's odd, because the Ewoks were meant to be a secret, weren't they? They, they were even greyed out on the on the card. So it was weird to me that there was going to be a revenge wicket. But then further on, there's some, um, as you said, the Ben Cooper Return of the Jedi ones don't have revenge written on the packaging. They obviously got the packaging changed. But still, when you get out the costume, when you when you get out the accessories, they've got revenge written on the belt. So there was an Admiral Akbar, which actually said revenge of the Jedi on the belt and a Klaatu. Uh, and the Klaatu one is actually a Klaatu skiff. But again, that says revenge. <laughs> uh, so these, um, I just like them. I think they're ace. And interestingly enough, Akamas, uh, with regards to Greek mythology, was the son of Theodra and Theosis and a half-brother to Defamon, who essentially was a character in the Trojan War. So even back then, Amicus was into hiding themselves and maybe getting a little bit dressed up. There you go. What about that? So then, just turn over the page on Star Wars Forum UK on page 1927. Spoons is at it again. Now, I checked out Harbour Landspeeder. Pete, what can you tell us about this, dude? Well, Jez, I think Spoons has got far too much money. (laughs) I think we need to uh, befriend him and get some of his stuff. But, um, you see, the die-cast stuff... I remember... Now, you're old like me, Jez. Now... I remember seeing these on shelves, as in diecast, and I had no interest in them as a child. I don't, I don't know about you, Jez. Did you? Did you ever pick one up as a kid? Here, here, mate. No, as you know, not a massive collection as a kid. I remember a, a friend had the land speeder, but that was it. I just thought the figures in them were were a little bit naff. Well, I thought they were so they were too small to play with, so that they were just you know kind of. Uh, small things which wouldn't really have met up with anything I was interested in. So it was all action figures all the way. But um, I was kind of oblivious to uh, to diecast in general, and I had no idea there were actually other... <laughs> they sold them in other countries either. But when I saw the Spoons land speeder on a harbour card, I was like, what? Did they? I, I had no idea. I had a look at his website and then learned a lot of stuff, which is quite amazing. But um, I think the thing that stands out here... Is the fact that it's um, it has the words hovercraft scooter on it as a description, and the, the fact that it should be in Italian, which is kind of weird, but hovercraft scooter, I think that's a much better word than land speeder. It says so much more. Don't you agree? I mean, that that it is a hovercraft scooter. It's not a land speeder, whatever that is. It's a hovercraft. Is it or is it not, Jess? It is a hovercraft. <laughs> it, it hovers. It, that, that's what it does. You're absolutely right. It's a hovercraft, but um, it, it seems that Spoons was, well, he, he was obviously watching these on eBay, and um, he was a little bit cheeky, and uh, he went off off track and went behind the scenes and got these, because uh, there was a guy uh, selling these 
in Italy and uh, did an off deal for, I think it was the X-Wing and uh, Darth Vader TIE Fighter. And he went in and picked up the rest of the stuff, um, but got a couple of real nice little bargains. But a little bit of interesting information is that um, in the, on the Harbert card, it didn't appear as a 12-back, it only appears a 21-back which is interesting. But uh, I, oh, I just love those. The, the, any foreign card is good. It's a little bit mangled at the top, but it is absolutely a beautiful card. Well, going on from what you said with regards to it being a 21 back, yes. uh, and it was never released on the 12. Yeah, I, I've spoken with him and said, look, what's going on? All the other licenses, bar the Kenner Canada, stopped the line at the 12 backs. So it looks like the Italians just released the tie and the X-Wing, which presumably sold okay. And then they released the land speeder and the DV tie is 21 backs. Technically, the land speeder is the very first diecast ship based on its Kenner assortment number. So for Harbert to initially ignore it, it is kind of interesting. Well, at least it is to me. On the flip side, Palatoy released their DV tie as a 12 back, which is similarly unique. Um, Kenner seemed to drop the land speeder quite quickly as no example of a 21 back has been found. And like the DV tie, it never made it to the Empire Strikes Back card. So uh, he, he goes on to say that I guess both ships were very Star Wars and weren't seen in Empire Strikes Back like the X-Wing and TIE, which completely makes sense. Ever since the XP-38 came out, they just aren't in demand. But that's, um, that DV TIE, I mean, I mean that's, a, that's a bit of a fine because, I mean, I spoke to Andy and he said that uh, um, it, it didn't really even mention, the, the uh, Star Wars Collectors Archives, it didn't even mention it. And, and uh, he's actually, actually had to update his own page after that find. So that is, that is quite a significant... A little auction that happened there on eBay, which he, which he well managed to get in on, in, in on the back of. But uh, that is quite that's quite a big event when information like that suddenly comes out of nowhere. Yeah, I mean, all fairness to him, and and I really really credit him for what he's done. We've had him on a podcast, as we said, mentioning his his website www.vintagestarwarsdiecast.co.uk. Had a little look again yesterday, and it really really is a, a great, very easy to read, very easy to navigate. Um, website which has got all the details on, on diecast so we're not just talking harbour we're talking all of the diecast and there's a great deal of information on there so really really want to um publicize that and, and congratulate him for a, a job well done jez do you have yes. any diecast no not yet I'm, I'm really tempted now because after after that i've never ever ever been into it but uh, recently especially looking at andy's website as well i don't know i'm kind of like tempted now because they do look nice yeah, if I, if I may, I, I'm just going to say, take some information directly from his website. I I just I was trying to provoke you into that you're an X-wing, a Luke X-wing collector, not having a diecast Luke X-wing. I'm quite I'm disappointed at you. In fact, mate, there there I'm, are I'm so shocked. many things. You, you're absolutely right. I'm I'm disgusted with myself. I need to have a word. Um, there, I, I've seen some things on his website uh, and the X-wings in particular. I do think, yeah, oh, there's something else for me to add to the collection. But one day, going back to this can, though. I will try. It is an extremely great-looking card. It got me to the point, though, where I was looking at this, and I was looking at the Italian text on the front, thinking, hmm, I'm going to compare this as well to, to what's going on on the um, English counterparts. So the front, no, I'm not going to even try to pronounce any of this. <laughs> but when you do run it in, die-cast metal vehicles and impact-resistant plastic it is different because the the British and American version talk about high impact, whereas this is just impact resistant. So I wonder if that that's a deliberate thing with regards to a variation from um, with regards to its quality control. Uh, and then it does say perfect reproduction in every detail. 
that's one of the next lines where you can quite clearly see it says reproduction uh, perfect reproduction in every detail so you know guys some reproductions are good it does go on to say the italian is moving to floating effect on the air cushion so there's, there's quite a few differences on the cards which is not a straight over thing with the with the harbor logo but really really great as he said he is dead chuffed of it and he had never seen it until he saw that one on ebay sod's law someone on facebook posted one the same week but there we go these harbors kind of like buses spoons congratulations mate it's an absolutely epic purchase star wars forum uk page 1918 i saw something which i just thought what on earth is that ollie suds Minton card imperial stormtrooper but the figure which comes with it is a pink ponchoed Leah Endor. What? That sounds confusing. Already I'm confused. He's not got one. He's got two. And we talk about sample cards and we've, we've mentioned these in the past. But this is completely mental. There's no reason on God's earth why Leah should have a pink poncho. I mean, I know biker scouts stand out in, in the woods and the forest. But come on, Leah, have a word of yourself. So what can we do? We need to get Ollie on to explain this. And I'm pleased to say, here he is. Good evening, Ollie. Good evening. Thanks for having me on. Hey, man, no problem. Now, just tell us about it. First of all, what is this exactly? And, and how have you come about it? Um, so the technical term for it would actually be a, a carded sample. So um, my understanding is from hearing it straight from the experts, it's the equivalent of an engineering pilot for the packaging. So it was uh, something that was used to kind of check the integrity of the figure and the card and the bubble and how it all fits together. So um, it's oft often a pre-production figure or a first shot. It's a kind of production card and bubble, but um, it's usually from an earlier wave uh, and a different figure backing as well. So basically the uh, the actual production card wouldn't have been ready at that point. So so the, the Lear pink poncho comes with, uh, obviously, the, the pink poncho. Uh, perhaps the material wasn't ready at that, that point. I'm not sure. The, the figure's pre-production-like, so it's got um, light brown hair as well, which is another noticeable standout. But obviously, the key things are the uh, pink poncho and the Hoth Stormtrooper card, which is a 48-back. Uh, so obviously, it's a 77-back wave figure, but it's a 48-back Return of the Jedi card. Um, so those are the kind of standout points about it. But another fairly interesting thing is the uh, the price tag. It's got a venture price tag on it. So it kind of confuses a lot of people. They wonder how something pre-production could have um, gone to retail. But I, I believe a lot of these things actually um, made their way to Australia somehow and um, at the end of the production run and end up in retail bins. So, uh, yeah, it's a bit unusual, um, but it's something that I was interested in landing for quite some time. I already had a, um, a Leah Pink Poncho first shot and it was, a, a, I guess, a long term grail of mine. Um, never quite thought I would land the, the carded sample as well. Just uh, seemed to just one of these things just came out of the blue, really. Uh, I knew the guy that had it, never thought he'd part with it, but was talking to a friend who'd uh, purchased something off him. And he said he was probably in the right time to, uh, you know, to sell it. So I, I jumped on it as soon as I could. Nice. Going back to the first shot, you can see straight away you, you've got your first shot right next to the carded example. Uh, and straight away you can see that the boots uh, are completely different. They're unpainted boots, aren't they? Is there is there anything else going on with the with the belts or or, or the hat or anything else? 
Yeah, so I mean, it's an unpainted first shot. So it's got the copyright markings, but the figure's completely unpainted. The head appears to be molded in a different non-production color. Um, obviously, the hat is quite striking as well. It's got the, uh, the, the orange hat, which is obviously non-production. And as far as I'm aware, the, the blast that it comes with um, seems to be a different brighter blue, which isn't a production color, but um, it's also got a different kind of molding, a non-production uh, kind of mold to it. Um, which also matches up with, I think it was the ATST driver first shot actually came with a similar kind of different mold for the uh, um, for the blaster. Um, the belt seems to be production like I can't really see anything different, but yeah, it's quite striking with the hat and the the poncho um, and the figure being unpainted as well. Ollie, um, it's Pete here. Um, do you um, I mean, how often do you see the, the the actual pink poncho itself? I mean, do you see it away from this figure and? Uh... And, and car back. Has it appeared anywhere else? Because it is—it's absolutely fascinating. I want—I <laughs> want one. It's—it's uh, it's pretty rare. I mean, as far as I'm aware, and I—I'm you know, far from an expert on these things. And maybe some of the more kind of prolific uh, pre-production collectors would uh, correct me if I'm wrong. But um, in the time I've been collecting, I believe there's this first shot. Um, there's a couple of carded samples. So there's the one I own. There's another one out there as well, which I believe is um, located in Australia. It's uh, identical. It's carded on the Hoth Stormtrooper card. It's also got the, um, the Venture Price tag on it as well. So the, the two carded samples, the first shot, there was also a hard copy as well, which is a, a real beauty with the same pink poncho, which I believe is in a um, kind of, if I dare use the term, black hole collection over in the States. Very m massive pre-production collection um heard rumors of another one out there which is on a production like figure so really there's just a handful of these known to exist as far as i'm aware can i be really cheeky and ask a, re a sort of like um ballpark kind of estimation <laughs> of the price <laughs> if that's allowed are we, are we talking the carded sample here or the or the first shot um i'd say i'd say what we see in the picture so the actual carded sample itself <laughs> <laughs> roughly the carded sample um i mean let's just say that it was uh five figures uh in, in us dollars Ten thousand, all in advance Ten thousand. then i must buy our own ship for that we can pay you two thousand now plus 15 when we reach all 17. I think it's kind of on par with uh, with some other carded samples that have sold recently. So, um, you know, there are there's the white coat Bib Fortuna on the um, the Empire Strikes Back Warsman card. There's also the um, non the, the hand solo with the non camo brown trench coat on the the 65 back um, Emperor Royal Guard card as well. So um, they, they kind of sell at the moment. They're quite iconic pieces with iconic figures. Um, so they're kind of selling for the five, in the five-figure mark and above, really. Polik, it's uh, Richard. Can I just ask about the, the pink cape for a second? Yeah, of course. Do you think that the cape, the pink, is the base colour for the production capes as well? Um, almost like an undercoat would be for painting. Or is it just the colour of the cape that they had available? Um, I would say it's just the colour of the material that they use. So I don't think it's an under um, an undercolour at all. I'm not quite sure how the dyeing works, but um, yeah, I don't imagine they would have used a kind of a, an undercolour of pink or anything like that. It's just a completely different um, material. Well, a different material colour. 
it's the, the same kind of fabric, same cut and everything else, just different colour. And it's, it's similar with the other um, card samples with the uh, non-production colour soft goods as well. It's exactly the same fit, the same cut, um, same material and everything, same stitching, but just completely different colour. You're going to get it graded? <laughs> Um, no, I'm, I'm not really one for getting things graded. I prefer them to be uh, loose that I can kind of take them out and, and enjoy them. But um, yeah, I'm not really one for grading. I'm not saying I don't like uh, stuff graded. I think it actually looks pretty smart, but um, I just like something that's a bit more tangible. I tend to, if I buy things graded, crack them out of the case. Um, I've been thinking about getting some sort of custom case for the, uh, for the figure just to keep it protected. But um, as of yet, I haven't. Uh, another thing that kind of put me off getting it graded is with the, the Leah Poncho figures is that they would probably grade it with the hat off and, and kind of they separate things out. And I kind of like it all standing together. So I'm a bit bit fussy, a bit OC, OCD like that. So, uh, yeah, um, mm-hmm. I think I'll just keep it the way it is. Maybe get a custom case at some point. Jez says, correct answer. <laughs> I, I thought think- I'd get that right. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, now, finally, with regards to the ping poncho, Leah, is there anything else? You see you've got your first shot, you've got your carded uh, sample cards. Are there any other pieces with regards to Leah's ping poncho, with regards to the production journey, or are those the two examples? Um, so obviously, I mean, it only exists as, as kind of pre-production as far as Leah poncho stuff goes. Um, there's a, a lot of other stuff out there that's um, owned by a very famous pre-production collector, uh, Matthias Randall. So he's got uh, pretty much most of that uh, sewn up. Um, as far as Leah Pink Poncho goes, yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's uh, another card to sample, but I think I'll be a bit greedy to uh, to go after that as well. Um, I mean, I would love to um, pick up a hard, well, the hard copy one day. I'm not sure if there's a more than one with a pink poncho. Um, I don't know how possible that is. I think it's probably fairly unrealistic. It'll probably cost an absolute fortune. And I don't imagine it's going anywhere soon either. But, um, yeah, I mean, that would be obviously um, fantastic and a real grail to, to own something like that. But, you know, I'm, I'm not kind of uh, holding any hope uh, in acquiring it. But if it happened to come come my way in the future, then fantastic. Well, Ollie. Thanks ever so much for coming on tonight. Massive congratulations for this. The photograph of the two of them next to each other is is really, really cool. Can't believe it's got a price sticker on it. But this (laughs) ended up in the shops and survived. Thanks so much. And thanks for inviting me on. Cheers, buddy. Cheers, Cheers, buddy. Rich, you've recently been on the Imperial Gunnery Forum, yeah? I have, Jez. Yeah, I've checked out um, Tig's latest acquisitions and I was browsing through and spotted a comic that had been put up by um, Paul Ford, who I've had on the show before, who goes by um, R2D2 on the forums. Now, what this comic shows is, um, first of all, it's got the title of Metal Hulon, which translates as heavy metal in, um, in French. And then we've got a picture of a skull with a Santa hat on, and it's his special Noel in the top left-hand corner. So it's obviously a Christmas special magazine. But what's absolutely fascinating about this is that on the front cover, you've got C-3PO bursting through the door with a basket on his back with what looks like children's bodies parts in it. He's got a bloodied axe in his hand. You've got a woman screaming on the front cover. And we've got a little bit of French from a speech bubble that says, Bonsoir, madame. Je viens chercher votre petit, which translates as, good evening, madam, I'm coming to get your child. Now, how did this exist? How did that get through? Any kind of copyright and, you know, Lucasfilm um, 
you know, legality. How? How did that exist? I asked Paul to explain this and, you know, where did it come from? And this is what Paul came back with. So he said, oh, actually, I've made a mistake. It's not called heavy metal. It's called howling metal. Got that? I got that wrong. Okay. So Metal Hurland translates as howling metal was a French comic anthology of sci-fi and horror stories published between 1974 and 1987. It's considered one of the forerunners for the adult comic scene. Many of its storylines are dark and surreal and executed with stylish graphics. The comic also featured articles and reviews on music, cinema and science fiction books. Now the comic was reprint, reprinted in the US under the title of Heavy Metal, which is where I got that from, and in 2012 and 14 was made into a two-season English-language belgian franco TV series called The Metal Hurland Chronicles. Now what's interesting about this magazine is that although C-3PO was featured on the front looking very, very sinister, he actually doesn't appear in any of the storylines inside the issue. So it's believed that his presence on the cover is probably more in keeping with the spirit of subversion and horror that was often typical of Metal Hurlong. So the 1981 Christmas special, C-3PO, looking for children. Imagine getting that as a kid at Christmas. Nice to see a familiar face. He took that. How rude. Great one. Cheers, Rich. Thanks for that, because, um, yeah, that... <laughs> C-3PO is the first time ever he's not looking camp and he's actually looking fairly ripped. Yeah, that's the last time I'm going to say that a droid is looking ripped. Thanks for bringing that to my attention, mate. It was, uh, yeah, indeed, a very odd-looking magazine to look at. But whilst I was on the Imperial Gunnery Forum, I checked out Darth Matt Decimal 22 on page 31. Simply wrote, I got a chicken walker. Now, what are we talking, lads? The chicken walker? The ATST. Yeah, absolutely. Now, first of all, ATSTs. Let's just go round the table. Grant, what's your memories of an ATST, and do you have one? Floppy legs, missing a Top Gun. Um, Neighbours also got chickens. I've got a dog. It's an attack. Loads of fun. <laughs> Pete, I was just, just always amused by the action. You know, you clip it round and then and then press the button and its legs go up and down, which just so ridiculous i never had one as a kid was never into it because the attack was so superior and it always looked like a a kind of younger sort of scrappy do version to the scooby-doo of the attack so that was, it was, that, like, that was always it for me it was like the child wasn't it you know you know yeah, yeah. the child it was insane exactly the scrappy do i thought it was a great a great toy pete i totally disagree with you <laughs> thought it was had loads of playability with the um with it being able to walk and being able to stand on his own. If you, <laughs> an initiative little button thing used to switch across. It's an amazing little toy. And uh, yeah, yeah, have one as a child and I've got three or four now. Love You're still a child now. Do you know what I did um, like about it? was in the films, you had them in the snow and in the forest. And, you know, that also transported itself to playing with it as a child. Like you take it out in the snow and recreate the scenes from half or take it in the forest and always get like sticks to roll down and try and trip it up and all that kind of stuff. It's just great. It, it wasn't, was destroyed it, by Ewoks. It was an awful all vehicle, wasn't it? It had had multiple weaknesses, didn't it? Rolling stones, moving logs, shifting ground, trees. It couldn't deal with anything. Yeah, all, just, all, all terrain, my bottom. Just stand behind it. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah. That's what a Ewok should have done. It should have just run behind it. Do you know what? Um, I know that we want to talk about the chicken walker, but I was thinking about the boxes because obviously I collect box stuff. I remember being a young collector and thinking that the uh, Return of the Jedi Pally Toy one was rare because the Pally Toy logo on it was black. 
And I thought, wow, that must be a big deal, like an error or something like that. But it got me thinking. I've never seen an Empire Strikes Back, uh, Pally Toy, Skywalker. I don't know if you guys have ever seen one. It's I'm looking really, at know, one now. Seen... They definitely existed then. Yeah, yeah, they, they did. There was, uh, I've got the, the tracker up, and uh, they're not ridiculously rare, but they're not stupidly common. You can get older one for any between, well, average about 50 quid. An Empire Strikes Back. An Empire Strikes Back. Skywalker, yeah. Yeah, oh. Pally Toy. Oh, I don't know that. It didn't say. Let me have a yeah, look. Yeah, that, no, that's the point. You can get the Empire ah. Strikes Back one on Kenner. Uh, the snow oh. scene, you can get it on Kenner. Empire Strikes Back. Uh, Empire Strikes Back, Kenner Canada. Return of the Jedi, Pally Toy, you can get the snow scene. All the rest seem like the Lily Letty, the, the, the Buy Logo, Pally Toy, Meccano Clipper, and obviously the Kenner one, they're all forest ones, but I've never seen an Empire Strikes Back Pally Toy one. Mm. Very late in the Empire line, wasn't it, the um, Skywalker? It was 82, yeah. wasn't it? But quite must have been quite close to the Jedi toys. Yeah, I, I now think it looks amazing with the Empire Strikes Back logo, uh, especially the uh, kind of Canadian one. But, you know, I know we're talking boxed here, but we should be talking about loose. <laughs> did, it ever, did it ever frustrate you guys? I mean, I never even noticed this until about five years after watching Return of the Jedi. That in the film, it's got separate guns, two separate guns on the, uh, on the head, on the side of the head. That's right. One side's actually a, a hand grenade launcher. Yeah, like a launcher, launcher thing, yeah. isn't it? A man, do you know what? I never noticed that. I just always thought it was just like the toy. Well, you you know now that after this, we're all going to be going and checking Return of a Jedi. <laughs> Have a little look. I just think that they were massively lucky. Kenner were massively lucky that the Skywalker was so well used in Return of a Jedi. I mean, let's face it. They put this out on Empire Strikes Back packaging. And it, how long was it in Empire Strikes Back for? Half a second? Yeah, <laughs> was it was it added in later? Or was it in the original? Original. It was in the original. Yeah, yeah. Because I can remember it being in there, but I can never remember seeing. Well, I just wasn't looking, but uh, it's too long ago. But I can never remember quite seeing it in uh, until they started messing around with the, the films. Do you know, um, one thing I remember though is that switch on the back that locks the legs in. You know that that spring inside there is massive, and uh, hope it doesn't explode in your face. <laughs> How random. Yeah, imagine they must have trialed it with like J slot switches and, and L slot switches, and eventually they ended up on the uh, slide and switch. Nice. Yeah, the hold your breath, slide and switch. <laughs> Get the swallows and switch. I loved it as a kid. I can I can remember the adverts right now. Return of the Jedi. The Skywalker's attack. The walking, fighting Skywalker prepares to attack. This great Star Wars model has walking action. Push button controls to stand and attack. Swivel head, movable side cannons. The Scout Walker can fight his own battles, win his own wars. But will he? Only you can decide with Star Wars toys. What were these retailing for? $15. $15. Mm. Do you know what? I got one for Christmas. I told you that I wanted a attack and I got my Rebel Transporter. Well, I did get the Skywalker and the Skywalker. I still got my very own one, still with all the bits. But I loved it. The whole walking action, putting your figure in, getting your top gun there. Oh, it, it is. It is great. I, took, I went to um, Star Wars Collector's Archive and had a little look. I wanted to check out what the original catalogue description was because, you know, they're good for that. Remote-controlled Scoutwalker saunters along in search of enemy rebels. Manually operated cannons turn and click. The head swivels, removable gun included. Removable gun. 
So the fact that loads have been lost was actually a, not a design fault. They were designed to be removed. Cockpit for one figure sold separately, 10 inches high, $15. You're absolutely right. After a Kenner rebate. So what were we saying then? About a tenner? What was the exchange rate like back then? That's a, that's a question, <laughs> question Jez. Yeah. Let me just have a think. We, no, we can remember. find out, Jez. We can find out. <laughs> Do you know, I'm quite happy to leave that in. I'm not proud. <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, right, and Grant, you might be able to state me on this, the, it, it never actually states ATST on any of the boxes, does it, on any of the packaging? No, it's a Skywalker. Just Skywalker, yeah. 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 Who, who uses out of you four uses ATST or Scoutwalker because I'm I'm a Scoutwalker kind of guy. I'm a Scoutwalker kind of guy, but the driver is an ATST driver. Mm. I probably would have called it a Scoutwalker as a child, but probably ATST more uh, as an older. Chicken Walker always. That, chicken Tristan. Yeah, it was always the Chicken Walker. Are you rich? Where 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 were you with your dodgy accent? Where are you going to go on this one? <laughs> Here we go. Even go as on. a kid, I would have said the ATST. I wouldn't have called it a Chicken Walker ever. Um. I wouldn't have called it Skull Trooper either. It would have been ATST. How did you well, know it was called an ATST when you were young? It's not I, in the packaging of the toys and it's not mentioned in the films, is it? It's just called mm, Snaps in the films, aren't they? Because I did yeah. what Jez did and I paid me ATST driver up to the vehicle. But you might have held that toy in your hand, that figure, and I said, oh, he's called an ATST driver. What the hell's an ATST? I've got a figure here that hasn't got a vehicle. Possibly. Shocking. Yeah. Do you know what, what was cool about it as well is you could have one guy standing up while, while another figure is driving it and because of what happens in the film you could have like the imperials uh, driving it you could have rebels or you could have ewoks driving it just you know loads of uh, playability in that it's great well, well or chewbacca driving it. i don't think ewoks no this is just chewy in there with ewoks next to him going what are you doing chewbacca They've also, I never, never realised that the feet are actually shaped like a pair of front claws, aren't they? Which I only found out when I was looking at it for this, which were utilised for attack or defence. Although you never see it in Jedi. Well, or falling over logs. Feet were used for attack or defence. That's what that's what that's what I came across, yeah, while I was because uh, they're shaped like claws, but they were the claws really helped when they were standing on logs. Taekwondo chicken walker. What? I think they may have been decommissioned after Endor, I think. Do you, do you think we'll get to see them in Rogue One? Oh yeah, I would I would think so. Well we know there's um we know there's Atats in it. So. Oh you spoke the film. We <laughs> <laughs> They're bound to be in there, Jez. Come on. I'm sure they have a slight variation of them, but they're bound to be in there. We saw them in the Clone Wars cartoon, didn't we? Yeah, they've been everywhere, aren't they? Mm. I love them. I'm proud of mine. I'm looking at it now. I've got Chewie and Wicket sticking out the top, <laughs> uh, and it's great. We can all reminisce. And do you know what? They're not that expensive nowadays, are they? Everyone needs an ATST Scout Walker, Chicken Walker, or some sort of ninja chicken using his feet for defence and attack. I'm delighted if you had Darth Matt Decimal 22. It's looking really, really cool. And uh, who knows? I reckon Stu's got about 11 more in his garage. <laughs> I know. We own a few. It doesn't matter how you look at it, right? If you got the ATST as a kid, right, it was because your parents were too tight. 
Dubai and Atat, so they're trying to fob you off with that one. There's no it ifs or buts about it. That's what they did. It might not have been um, too tight, mate. Perhaps some parents couldn't actually afford it. Yeah. There's no point yeah. making a sweeping statement like that. You're, you're northern. I'm surprised we even had an ATST. That's a fighting talk. I'm going to stand up for my folks. And uh, it was nothing about tight. I absolutely love Rebel troop tight. transporter. You know, this is why I'm collecting because I'm so nostalgic about it. If I had been so upset, I, you know, I would have just moved on. But no, man, I, I absolutely have got fond memories about this. And uh, and just because my, my parents couldn't do it, they couldn't buy an Attack. I didn't have Too right, Jez. Too right. My, my Falcon and my Attack were both second hand. You know, it, it, it doesn't matter what you get as long as your mate down the road has got them and you always play it in Thomas's house. It's not a problem. So uh, I, I, I was happy. And, 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 you know, my parents, bless them. That's fighting talk, man, where I come from. You've got a lot of guts coming here. After what you pulled. And we have Ian Thomas on the line now. Ian, <laughs> tell us about Jez. Was he bold then? Well, he brought my falcon when he was seven. <laughs> what? What the accent's that? It's the same as yours. Oh, right, so, yeah, yeah. Sort of That's Norfolk right. accent, isn't it? Should we, we move on before uh, Rich has an aneurysm? <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> so, what do we see next? Stu, you tell us. Check out this on the Facebook group. Well, yeah. Over on the Vintage Pock PBB Facebook group, uh, a chap called Eddie Dan Jerus has bought himself a Chief Chirper mint on card with a PBB sticker. But what made this such a quirky piece to me is that it's a Chief Chirper on a Palatoy card with a Clipper sticker and then a PBB sticker over the top of the Clipper sticker. So I kind of love the fact that it's got so many licensees attached to it and uh, this Lily walks travelled all over Europe. Not bad for a little furball. So I was actually talking to uh, Matthias Rendell about this piece, him being a chief chirper, a focus collector. And he said that basically um, Palatoy had made a great deal of overstock of chief chirpers, which Clipper then bought and branded them with their own wraparound sticker, which we commonly see on the Clipper cards. Then for some strange reason, many of these chief chirpers didn't get sold in Holland either. And the overstock of the Clipper cards were then bought by PBB in Spain, where they then stuck their stickers and their with their promotion on all over this clipper now in the 90s a u.s dealer then found all this overstock in spain because they still hadn't sold and he then bought all these cases and took them over to america so these are actually really quite common um mateus said that they're difficult to find nowadays but 10 years ago they were rife everywhere so they're not really that rare and it just so happens on the thread on the facebook page where um eddie had put this on the page Three or four people underneath were like, oh, I've got one of them. I've got one of them. And in actual fact, they also had the same thing happened with the Lando Skiff figure. And that is seemingly even more common than the Chirper. So, you know, just a, I just I just liked the little bit of history with so many different types of stickers and the kooky idea of a, him being all travelled over and no, nobody really wanting him. Phew, that's some good information there, man. <laughs> Why <What? laughs> do you think no one was buying him? Because it's not exactly a rare figure. You look at most collection nowadays and there's a chirper or two in there. Why, why do you think people didn't buy them? I suppose there's so many Ewoks for one thing, isn't there? You've got eight, is it, to choose from? A bit of an unloved figure? Yeah, I, see, I, I'm not sure. I'm putting myself in the mind of a child. And I look at the Chief Chirper picture. Actually, it's a little bit like that C-3PO on, on Richard's magazine. 
he's not looking particularly nice. He's not looking cuddly like the wickets and Papus and, and the other ones. He's showing his teeth. He's looking a little bit angry. The figure itself is showing his teeth, looking a bit angry. Maybe, maybe kids just were turned off and parents thought, oh, don't like the look of that. That's me. I think it's just late in the day by the time, judging by the, the fact that these were overstocked with so many stickers on, the kids probably thought, Mum, can I have Megatron instead? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, fair one. It's just odd that it's just those two figures, though. Uh, Lando, Skiff. Don't know why no one would have wanted that, but uh, of all the cards, the Chief Chirper, I just, I don't know, I don't think the card back has appealed to me that much. And maybe that's why it took me so long to get one right at the beginning until you guys sorted me right out. That bullied you. <laughs> bullied me into getting the Chief Chirper. <laughs> maybe that was it. Maybe that's my whole thing. I need some sort of counselling because all this way along, Chief Chirper has actually just scared me a little bit. Jez, scared by Chief Chirper. Not the first time. It's a great piece, isn't it? I really like it. Yeah, really, really cool. Cheers to you, mate. Guys, I went on to Echo Base to have a quick look, uh, and I saw a selection of card nameplates. Dan Whiteley had put the card nameplates, which he cut out, uh, and he had put those up saying, yeah, I'm thinking about doing something different, thinking about getting these. And actually, what he had put up there, I thought, just with the colours and with the names, and just, again, reminiscing that whole nostalgia thing about cutting them out. I just thought, you know, that's not a bad challenge. Good on you. A bunch of them come up for sale the other day, and I was like, I took a couple of quid on, I took about two pound on, and then uh, I forgot all about it, and then I looked, and it said, you've been outbid, and it finally went for £2.21p, and I was like, oh, well, whatever. And about three days later, Simon McGowan posted them on <laughs> Star Wars Forum UK. He's like, oh, look what I got. I was like, oh, yeah. It's just something different. It's cool. I love it. I'm, I, I guess I just like the colours. That's why I've always been attracted to the canteen creatures. He's actually given up on them. He said he's decided to, to give up. He was about halfway through uh, displaying them in his limited space. meant it wasn't worth chasing them down. Maybe it can pick up again in the future. And he said this is what he's got so far. And he has shown them to me in a frame, all of these different names, different sizes, different colours. With the market the way it is at the moment, uh, and things just going a little bit crazy, you can have a little bit of fun. How much did you say it was sold for, Grant? Yeah, there was about six of them that went for about £2.21p. Any, any any rare ones? Any good ones? I wasn't paying any attention. <laughs> no, I don't think so, mate. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, look, fair play to you, Dan Whiteley on Echo Base. I thought it was a great idea, and I wonder how many other people have been doing that. And why are they cut out? Here you go, actually chucking it back at the guys into the arena now. Why are these cut out? Because I know people were sending them off. Why cut them out if you're not going to send them off? It's... Okay. um. They've been U grade in used card backs. What? What? Not what? really. Yeah, but I'm just kidding. Go to Steve. <laughs> Ignore me. I thought I was. I thought I was somehow promoting U grade in. Do you know? Do you know what? Um, thing. Us. Jez. Jez. That's the one. Thing. Thing. Thingy. Thing. <laughs> <laughs> thing. Thing. When you're young, you might well go and display your figures on a shelf in your bedroom. You might just cut the name plate out to put in front of the figures. Yeah, it could be something yeah. so simple. I didn't realize there was such massive variation in the uh, in in the way the names were done and how big and small they were. They just I just I'd never really looked at very very closely. Yeah, absolutely right. We, we're talking in some cases 300% bigger than <laughs> some of the smaller ones. So yeah, just something a little bit different, something a little bit cool. And finally. I was on Tantive 11. It's Chris 
Decimal 75 on page 18. Now, he showed a number of pocks, uh, no COO, Leo Organa, but it was his large hood, rough textured cape Jower. It got me thinking, well, there are so many different variations on Jowers. I mean, such an awesome, such an awesome, iconic creature, as we know. You've got your your standard cloth, you've got your vinyl cape, we've got the leddy one, got all these different types. And we're talking about smooth, different stitching, big eyes, little eyes. We need some help. We need we need an expert. Are any of you guys Jawa experts? Not a Jawa expert per se, but I'm aware that there's um I think nine different types of coloured stitching. Now this has nothing to do with fading then. These are these are completely yeah, yeah categorised legit different yeah. types. So, Rich, what else do you know then with your nine different types of stitching? Well, there are two different types of rough cape, two different types of smooth cape, and each one comes with small, medium, and large hoods. So, what you know, how many com- combinations? You know, it's six different types there, and then you've got the same on the smooth, and you've got your leddy and all the different colours of stitching. You've got quite a myriad combination there, haven't you? I know there's a bit of dispute about pink stitching. Did you find anything about that in your in your research? Whether the pink stitching actually exists or whether that's the the one that's a bit suspect. Well, I'm going to stop you there on your pink stitching because the first thing I did, um, and thanks very much, Rich. Who would I think of? Who would we generally think of, particularly from Star Wars Forum UK, when it comes to Jowers? Who is the man you would first of all think about? It's Joe. <laughs> okay, not who looks like a Jawa. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> who, okay. Nick. Who, Nick I went with Nick, to Nick Rayner. I went straight to Nick. Nick, who has last count 510 Jawas or something like that. And he said, to be honest, bud, I know very little about them. When it comes to the ins and outs and variations, then Jason West is the man. He's definitely the best bet for good info. We need to get Jason on. Uh, and Jason is very, very much keen to come onto the podcast. It's just for episode 25, it's just not going to be able to happen. Jason, I am so looking forward to having you on so we can talk about these things. So this is definitely one to be continued. It is a cracking figure though, isn't it? Yeah, definitely make it happen, Jez. Get, 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 get Jason on. You know, get Jason on, talk about Jawas. We look forward to it. Good idea. <laughs> was that sarcastic or was it legit? Totally legit. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Yeah, I got maybe an element of sarcasm there. No, I don't think it was. I think it's Thank just you, Jez. everyone's used to Richard just sounding really, really pissed off all the time, even when he says hello, everyone. <laughs> um, and I, I think that was a genuine comment from Rich, but it just caught us off guard because um, it sounded cheerful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so lads thanks very much for uh, for looking into what you did it, it, it was great to actually see something which caught your imagination ollie thanks very much indeed for coming on to talk about your pink poncho de Leer. i just think that's still fantastic and the fact that that survived being sold um in a shop just fantastic so another great great month for new acquisitions and uh, long may it continue I heard about this uh, Star Wars celebration and I said, I had to come here. Everyone's really nice and we're all into Star Wars and we all have something that we can share. 
It's great to see all these little kids running around with lightsabers, just like I was as a boy. This is one thing we can really enjoy as a family unit. There were people from all these different countries all over the world coming together and having a great time. You say, oh, I like Star Wars, and you have an instant connection. It's a connection to your childhood. Everyone here at this convention has this in common. I'm from Germany. Chicago. Mexico. Utah. I'm from Vancouver, Canada. Virginia. California. I'm from Ukraine. It's my childhood dream to come here. You will not find a better atmosphere than Star Wars celebration. We are all a big family yes. and a lot of fun. Everyone on this side of the Atlantic, even a lot of people from the States. Celebration Europe. Wonderful. We're here at the Star Wars Celebration Europe. It's actually in Europe. It's in Europe, yeah. yeah. The atmosphere is absolutely fantastic. It's amazing. It's just everyone coming together for one big cause. It's got a unique experience of being in Europe, and I've met so many amazing friends. We've been enjoying taking pictures with all the characters. Thousands of like-minded people. Hopefully I might meet a couple more cool Darth Mauls in his in here, though. And, of course, Red Boba Fett, so it's all good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> May the force be with you. Okay, welcome to this month's oddball section. Uh, this month, we're fortunate enough to have Lee Bullock back on the podcast. Uh, for avid listeners, Lee was with us on our second episode. Um, I believe, yeah. actually, Lee, you were one of the very first people that I actually interviewed. Yes, as far as he's from. That's right. Correct. Yeah, great to be back, mate. Lee, obviously, people will also know you uh, in the community. Well, they'll they probably know you anyway. Uh, they also know you because of your um, addiction, I guess, to uh, collecting the 12-inch range. A subject matter expert when it comes to 12-inch Star Wars figures, no doubts there. Well, <laughs> you know, it's one of those, you know, it's one of my favorite areas. I've been doing that since about 1989, so I would hope I know a little bit. <laughs> Um, fortunately, so, Lee, we've got you on today to talk about something a little bit different or something I know that collectors are really concerned about, especially with the age yeah. of 40-year-old toys, and that is the deterioration of plastics. Yes, indeed. Yes, um, indeed. Lee, what is your background in, in, in terms of plastics? Well, um, I work as a, uh, as a mechanical engineer and physicist for a materials research laboratory, and I hold a bachelor's degree in physics for nuclear and particle physics, and a master's degree in medical and radiation physics. And in the last eight years, I've done a lot of work in material science, uh, physical chemistry, and uh, polymer physics, um, and mechanical engineering in general. Fantastic. So this obviously gives you a wide scope to see, you know, obviously the um, chemical reactions and things that happens to plastic over periods of time and the effect of chemicals on plastics. Yes, yes, indeed, indeed, indeed. I think um, one of the reasons why I know we've had this conversation before 
in a pub and I really felt that when I was listening to you that this is something that our listeners would benefit from hearing. I think, you know, if we could put a little roadmap in front of everyone here, uh, yeah. the things I'd kind of like to talk about is um, the plastics when it comes to, uh, about the action figures, the ships and the vehicles, the bubbles that protect the figures on the packaging. Maybe we could touch on that. Yeah, sure. The uh, reaction between plastics in, you know, for example, in regards to the plastic grenades in the IG-88 12-inch belt. Yeah, yeah, indeed, yeah, we can talk about that. And the effects there. And um, and frosting as well, which is a bit of an unusual... Yeah, yeah. Comes yeah, up. Because, uh, yeah, we can uh, frosting in general, yeah, that's cool. But I, I think, what you know, really what I'd like to do, Lee, is uh, I, I wouldn't mind just starting the conversation topic and just let you go, because I think what's what's valuable here is what you have to say. But my first question is, why do things go yellow? Right, um... <clears throat> Well, essentially, you tend to find with, with, with polymers and with plastics that the, the biggest problem that usually happens is, is radicals, what are called free radicals, uh, and these are oxidizing agents, okay, what are called OH radicals. And it is essentially attack, it's basically what's called oxi- oxidation. And now oxidation technically means the addition of oxygen to a polymer, or it is the removal of electrons from a polymer, which then changes its structure. Okay. Okay. Now, one of the one of the things that that we definitely see uh, with yellowing, for instance, is you see a change. Yellowing is generally there's two there's two schools of thought. Some yellowing is considered to be um, the fryer retardant in plastics, particularly the, the kind of the, the white plastics, you know, like let's say, for instance, a, uh, a tidy room shuttle. Um, there, are, there are fire retardants in those, in those materials, and they're usually made of bromine. It's usually a bromine-based fire retardant. And quite often there can be oxidation reactions that are going on with that that make them go yellowy-brown. Now, the other idea of what is going on is um, is essentially it is considered that there are things like polystyrene, you know, alkenes like polystyrene and other plastics like that are are going what's called cross-linked. They're getting what the, the the carbon chains inside are getting cross-linked, double bonded, triple bonded, and that is primarily the thing due to a combination of oxygen. That you get in the air anyway, obviously, and you get atomic oxygen, so it just, it just radicalizes it or it'll attack the plastic. And it is catalyzed, it is speeded up by ultraviolet light. And they also think as well, ultraviolet light in itself can also cause this cross-linking, can cause this uh, what's called conjugation. What, what, what do you mean by ultraviolet light? As in from sunlight, from compact fluorescent lights from strip lights. Uh, people underestimate, for instance, uh, the UV content uh, in strip lights, in compact fluorescents, and in halogens. They have, a, they have a very, very, very high spectral distribution in the, uh, in the ultraviolet end. And ultraviolet light is very, is highly energetic. Right. So, um, you know, it has the it has the energy to knock electrons out of orbitals, and therefore change structure of plastics and change structures. It, why 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 the colour yellow? Why not purple or green? Or... 
Well, I did a little bit of looking into this, and um, it is it's to do with it's to do with the scattering. It's, it's a scattering issue, and 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 it's and when you're looking at scattering of light, essentially the light is absorbed and it's re-emitted. That's essentially the mechanism of scattering. What's called me scattering, and what we think is happening, what I think is happening from from and what other well, I've spoken to other chemists about what is happening with this, uh, we're primarily, is you're getting a re-emission of yellow light. The conjugation of carbon creates create what's called a different chromophore gaps. Now, chromophores are kind of energy band gaps in the structure that allow for different, different wavelengths of light to be emitted. Okay? Um, uh, an example of chromophores and how chromophores are used is in uh, washing up powder, in washing powder. Right. Um, washing powder contains something called optical brightness. And optical brightness absorb UV light and emit uh, basically white light out. So it's all of the colours um, in the visible band out. Uh, and the reason they do that is to make white sheets look bright and white, you know. And these are what are called optical brightness, and they have chromophores in their structures that allow for this re-emission of, of white light under from under UV. And it's it's um, it's essentially what's called fluorescence. It is a fluorescent process. And this is and this is what we think is happening with this. This is a similar process that um, you're getting conjugation of these carbon bonds. You're getting like these bonds getting twisted, and you're getting Double and triple bonds within the within the structure, and it's changing the uh, it's changing the uh, these these levels these energy levels, and you're getting this emission of of uh, of, of uh, yellow, basically a yellow hue coming off it, and which is why we see that. Um, the other issue that comes down with that is that when you see yellow styrene plastics and yellow acetate, it's it usually means that they're, they're chemically, uh, that the, sorry, they are structurally much weaker. Right. So, so, you know, their, their strength is much weaker, you know, in, in tension and inflection, you know, which is why you get a lot of, um, a lot of brittle bubbles that have gone yellow. So right. it, it, it has, a, it has a, an extreme effect on the actual structural integrity of the polymer. So when, when we are seeing uh, different yellow bubbles from different countries, for example, if you look at something like the 77 backs on the Kenners or the Power of the Force. It's very yellow, yeah. Yeah, that is a, the plastic. Is that the plastic breaking down then? Yeah, I mean, again, without without kind of in-depth study of the, without in-depth study of it, you know, with, with something like FTIR, which is Fourier transform infrared spectroscopy, which is a technique that can be used to, um, look at the structure of plastics, which is a common technique used to that. It can be um, it can be a little bit down to guesswork what's really going on. I mean, the best guess really I've got is is that you've got UV inhibitors in a lot of the acetate, uh, particularly like 12 backs. You may have a lot more UV inhibitor than let's say the power force bubbles. So the UV inhibitor will will absorb the energy that's um, that's that's produced that's given out by the uh, the, the ultraviolet so it actually doesn't damage the the actual polymer itself okay now if you haven't got so much of the uv inhibitor in there then 
it's going to be the polymer that takes the hit, you know, and then you're going to get this uh, this conjugation, this breakdown and cross-linking of the uh, of the polymer. And so it's uh, this this is where the problem comes in. So if, uh, say if I've got like um, uh, Atat Walker, its body it's it's still grey, the legs are all deeply yellow. They would have gone through a different process, been made probably somewhere else, and have different uh, compounds or components that's made of. Again, it will, I mean, the, the, it's, I mean, the thing is, the body of an ATAT Walker, for the most part, is made of polypropylene, okay, which is different. That's a different alkene than, let's say, styrene. And the legs are made of styrene, so it's a completely different plastic. Right. And the UV inhibitor in the polypropylene may be a very different level, maybe a very different chemistry than what you're seeing in the legs. You tend to see this problem with, um, you don't see the problem with polypropylene, okay, which is a very flexible plastic, okay, very stable, very flexible alkene. You see it mostly with ABS, which is essentially styrene and acetate. Right. Okay. And this is where this is where the problem comes in. So you think about an ATAT walker, uh, an ATAT, as Sky would probably may or may not like me saying on the podcast. Well, I mentioned it the podcast, maybe. Yeah, yeah, sure, no problem. Um, it's definitely an ATAT. Absolutely, it's an ATAT, isn't it? Um, the legs are made of styrene. And the body in itself, the main body itself, is polypropylene. And so you don't get the yellowing of polypropylene like you do with styrene because the chemistry is very different. Right. And so this is the this is the issue that we're seeing. With, uh, in terms of things like the uh, the Atac guns as well, they always seem to go like a deep yellow color as well. Is that yeah, they're transparent or? Well, I mean, yeah, exactly the same thing. I mean, they are. Um, I'm trying to think what the actual. Yeah, I think I think they are uh, they're they're essentially a styrene based uh, styrene based plastic. I mean, it's clear, but yeah, it's 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 styrene. So essentially, what you're seeing there is is that action taking place. Yeah, it seems like you know you can pick up a Millennium Falcon, and you know the different parts of it, different covers yeah. and stuff, all yeah. all different yeah. colors. Yeah, the main body you'll see on the glue lines. And you'll see little patches of yellow on the main body because it's styrene, and the glue um, has this reaction as well within. Because you see it on the 12 inch R tubes as well along the seams. Right. You see the yellowing along there, and it's essentially the glue is is basically helping to oxidise the uh, the plastic. See, you know, was... about, all this is about oxygen. All this is about oxidation because it will just attack the plastic and change its structure. That's that's the main. I mean, there's a lot of talk about, you know, talking about the chemistry here, and, and understand that I'm a, I am I'm not actually a, a polymer chemist in itself. I'm a physicist, but I work with polymer chemistry sure. on a day-to-day basis, so I have some understanding of it. the The issue comes down to the fact that the The issue, the issue really comes down to the fact that the polymer in itself is not, uh, is, is really not hardy against oxygen and not hardy against free radicals like what are called low H groups. And this is, this is the problem that they'll just come in, they'll grab onto the molecule and they'll change its structure. Okay. 
Um, and this is this is the main key. I mean, it's mostly it's oxygen and it's ultraviolet light. These so, are the key things. So when people are starting to bring in things like these different kinds of uh, peroxides and chemicals into sort of like restoration uh, projects, what are they doing there? Well, there's one thing for sure. They're certainly not taking it back to its original to its original uh, form because when you start using H2O2 or hydrogen peroxide, you're actually introducing more OH groups into the plastic. Right. Okay. Because it splits and you get these OH, these OH groups in there. So what you're actually doing is oxidizing the plastic more. You're sending it into a higher oxidation state. So rather than reducing what, what you've got, which to be fair, even if you could, you couldn't go back to your original, thermodynamically, you couldn't go back to your original form that you had. You couldn't go back to the original chemical, okay? And that's to do with the thermodynamics of the, of, of the process. The, the problem you've got is you're actually adding more oxygen and taking more electrons away from the system. So even though you may be visually bringing the, the plastic back to a neutral color, which makes it look the same, I can be pretty sure that if you went and analyzed the plastic, if you went and did FTIR on it, if you went and did even mechanical tests on the plastic, it wouldn't be the same. It would be degraded. And we're already seeing people who've used retrobrite, people who've used uh, hydrogen peroxide, where the yellowing has come back with a, with a vengeance. Right. We've also seen people using too strong a hydrogen peroxide, where the, where one guy had put um, a, a tidarium shuffle in there, and he brought it out, and the thing had melted. It all deformed. Mm. So, you know, the biggest problem we've got, and I think this was certainly an issue in the early days of when people started to uh, <coughs> use hydrogen peroxide, which obviously the technique came from the the uh, console collecting and, and computer collecting world, where they'd been using this. The, the main problem really comes down to the fact is we have no idea what we're doing to the plastic. I have, I've got a theory, and I've heard theories knocking around where, you know, you're basically introducing an epoxide route to the, to the, to the plastic so it's no longer a double bond. And, you know, you're changing the chromophore level. I mean, that is just the chemistry, some of the chemistry I've heard from, from polymer chemistry wine. You know, and, and I've had a little bit of a look at this myself. But to be honest, no one knows. No one, no one's liable to know unless unless there's some, you know, uh, proper work done on this. You know, and so so by the same token, if you think to yourself you're a Transformers fan, and you decide to put um, a uh, Fortress Maximus in hydrogen peroxide because it's gone yellow, which I did see one guy do online. I, you know, you bring it out and it, oh yeah, brilliant. It's uh, it's all you know fresh and minty white again, and it's well. You think to yourself, really? Do you? yeah, no, yeah, I wouldn't want to. Uh, I, I certainly something I wouldn't engage in uh, because you're not changing it back to its original structure. I, I'm actually thinking about bringing on um, retroblasting and toy polloi after this interview. Yeah, uh, in a couple of months' <laughs> time because I've noticed that they've they have had some successes that actually look really attractive. In the, in the early stages, yeah, I'm not sure what that's going to bring on later, but I wanted to make you know make sure that 
they'd have an opportunity to listen to this kind of stuff because it is quite attractive if you've got you know a couple hundred yellow stormtroopers and you think the thing is, if yeah if you're army building and you want to do things like that it's 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 been the same thing as ever with collecting and you know this as well as I do Grant is it's you can't tell people what they can do with their own mm. their own property and all you can do is present facts and be able to say, look, this is not, you know, you're not, revi- don't, don't, don't kid yourself. Don't, don't, um, you know, don't, don't kid yourself into thinking that you're reverting this, uh, this back to its original form because you're not, you know, it's, it's clearly not. It's just that it visually looks the same. Yeah. Well, uh, because of the, you, you stated about the sort of like uh, the oxygen, the effects of oxygen, these toys were pretty much doomed from the start to go yellow then. Yeah, um, I, yeah I mean, essentially these were, you know, these, these toys were ephemeral. They were never meant to be uh, collected 40 years later. Yeah. You know, to, to Kenner designers and to, to Palatoy designers and, and these people, they... As far as they were concerned, five years these would be these would be in landfill, mm, right. and certainly within six months, a cardi figure would be long since uncarded and the packaging the packaging disposed of. So, you know, the fact that the fact that we're looking at this forty years later is is really pretty incredible. See, I always thought when I was a child it was because my parents were smoking <laughs> that my toys were going yellow. So I was always cursing them over. Yellow snow speeders and things like that. Would the does cigarette smoke have much of an effect on plastic? Well, um, again, it, I would. I, I think certainly in terms of the in terms of surface deposition of the chemicals from cigarette smoke probably has an effect. But again, that can be cleaned off. I, I don't think that is the same mechanism of what we're seeing right. when, when we're seeing yellowing within the plastic layer. You know, within the within the plastic itself, that's a different mechanism. You know, so I mean, whether or not that actually contributes to that mechanism, again, who knows? I mean, a lot of this is um, there's been very little work. There's been no experimental work on this. You know, and a lot of this is uh, really educated guesswork in some ways. You know, because there's been no experiment. No one's funded any experimental work on. On looking at these things, you know, and um, this is uh, all, all we know is is what we know of chemistry, you know, what we know generally of polymer chemistry, and um, what are the sensible routes to protect your collection, you know, which I think is is the key point, you know, is is okay. This is all this is all very well and good that that we've gotten may have an idea of why. Um, a bubble goes yellow, but what's important is, well, how do we stop it? How do we impede it? How do we slow it down? What, what about things like um, temperature and moisture? Are those things that would affect it greatly as well? Certainly temperature. Um, one of the things that's, um, that's very important in chemistry um, is something called the Arrhenius equation, right? And what Arrhenius basically means is that Given a certain energy threshold to get to get a reaction going, right? You raise the temperature of a reaction, you raise the reaction rate enormously. 
Okay. Okay. So a small temperature increase can actually raise the reaction rate quite significantly. So you think about um, a collection at 25 degrees Celsius, 25 Celsius sitting in a, uh, in a collection. Now imagine that same collection, same set of cardio figures that's been put into a loft space. And that loft space can hit 38, 40 degrees. Um, and how many have we heard of, you know, where they've come down in these the where people have, have left them up there for five years, they've brought these figures down and the bubbles have gone yellow. Yeah. And uh, temperature control is really paramount and, and temperature is a major problem for a lot of these processes. And we'll talk a little bit later about the plasticizer migration problem mm. in 12-inch figures and Things like that. That's all. Heat is also a problem. Temperature control is also an issue with that. So temperature is really your big, your big problem. Big problem. In terms of, um, in terms of water, again, you don't want to get to a point where you've got such a saturated air that below a certain temperature you reach the dew point where the 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 water that is in the air starts to condense upon. Your, your pieces, yeah. which is in very cold environments and very humid environments, that's what you will see. And it's what's called a G point. And um, there are charts online, what are called psychrometric charts. That they're a bit tough to read, but if you can read them, you can actually work out what the G point is for the humidity of your room you're in and what the temperature the minimum temperature you can allow that room to be in before you start getting condensation on your uh, on on your pieces, you know, particularly on like glass windows and glass shelves and the actual pieces itself. Um, the in terms of whether or not water, in terms of whether or not moisture contributes to oxidation processes, water has a lot of oxygen in it. Um, it's it's highly it's likely it's it's likely so, so in the long term i mean can we reach a state where um sort of like the 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 condition the, the deterioration of our ships will sort of plateau out like it uh, it will it won't continue to deteriorate it'll reach some sort of equilibrium yeah um that's a good question well, it reach some sort of equilibrium. Yeah. <laughs> but what state it will be in afterwards is a different matter, you know? Again, these things were never meant to last forever. I mean, the, the, the main key, I think, is to, to just be mindful of the environments that you're keeping your collection. Yeah. And that does mean, that does mean keeping a sharp control on temperature. So really, you don't want seeing these things hitting above the 20s, really, Celsius. Keeping a control on humidity. I mean, humidity is really 45 degree, uh, 45 percent, 45, 50 percent is probably a, a good humidity range. And you can get humidity monitors, you know. And if you're finding that your collection space has um, a lot of humidity, then dehumidifiers you know dehumidifiers will are very efficient at removing that amount of moisture from that space um the big key is ultraviolet light right yeah and um 
my collection room, I've blanked out my window. And I know all the collectors who have also blanked out their windows. And now that may not be feasible or desirable for every collector and for most collectors, you know. Um, but certainly look at, uh, look at options like Lexan, um, for which are basically, um, are basically UV, UV films that you can put over your windows, you know, go with double layers of it. Um, make sure your collection cabinets are not in direct sunlight. You know, if, you know, this is all given that, that you don't want to completely block out windows. And it's really a lot of this is common sense, but it's just understanding the fact that, um, things like ultraviolet light is a major issue and temperature is a major issue. Yeah. Um, have you noticed anything about uh, plastics? I knew a lot of the plastics were made in, uh, different countries. Is there anything that you can think that is highlighted because of the countries that they come from? Well, it depends. I mean, a lot of it depends on the, um, a lot will depend on the actual, uh, factory that they were made in, whether it be, you know, certainly for the figures, whether it be Smile or Cader or, you know, it will depend a lot on the factories and what their individual, uh, plastic mixes were like, whether how much UV inhibitor or fire retardant they have in there, you know. Um, but would they have the same compound every time or would that compound just fluctuate because all they're doing is making toys? Well, how much quality control we've got over their, uh, their plastic mix, you know, you, you can see that with varying collectors, you know, you take, uh, you take a bunch of figures, you know, the, you can tell you can tell the difference between uh, between different uh, different sides, you know. In terms, I mean, a classic example, um, a classic example is the uh, PVP snowtrooper. You know that there are PVP snowtroopers out there, and this is a obviously a, a completely different kettle of fish that we're talking about here. But there are PVP snowtroopers out there, many of them that have turned up that have got grey limbs. Yeah. You know, where it is a surface effect on the grey limbs, which, you know, I'm looking at some of that at the moment and uh, watch this space because I do, because uh, obviously there's been speculation about origins and some people saying they're fake and other people saying, well, actually, no, though it is, it's an early plastic that was used and it degraded and we don't know why it is liable that they saw that these were discolouring and, you know, they changed to a different plastic mix. I'd love to know the actual story, the real story behind that. Talk to an, an actual, uh, an actual Palestine employee to actually see what, what the actual reasoning for that. It would be great to actually see someone like that. But, well, in, in regards to, uh, PVP figures, like you've got the Luke Farm Boy, that, that seems to be quite brittle and the torso cracks and, to pieces. Why is there a difference there on the PVB market? Is there? I mean, again, it just comes down to the plastic mix. It comes down to the quality control of the plastic. It's not a, uh, you know, it's it's not something we can really predict without having to look at the uh, plastics itself in depth with some with some analytical technique. Okay. No. no excellent. Um, sticking with action figures, one of the uh, a big freakouts that collectors have is when they look at their Han Solo, uh, he's definitely one of the Han Solo original inside a bubble and he's covered in white fluff. Uh, Darth Vader is another one. That is, yeah. yeah. What, what is frosting and why does it happen? Well, from what we see of, uh, from what we see of frosting, um, 
you'll you'll tend to see the frosting if you notice on the PV on the PVC polyvinyl chloride head arms and legs. You notice you never see it on the bodies, do you? Right. Mostly yeah. on black figures as well, black coloured. Well, I mean, it's it's most obvious. It's most obvious on that. Ah. Um, but the uh, the frosting, if you think about it, it, it appears on PVC plastic, polyvinyl chloride, rather than the ABS styrene plastic that has the bodies. Now, PVC, particularly for the action figures, what makes the PVC pliable, and so you can bend the arms and they don't snap off, is um, the contents in that PVC called plasticizer. Now, plasticizer essentially is uh, a chemical called phthalate. And phthalate is, a, uh, is a, a chemical, actually, which they think is maybe carcinogenic. It's quite a nasty little compound, but it's freely, it freely moves within the plastic. It's not chemically bound within the plastic. And it adds pliability. It makes the plastic softer with the addition of this. And what we're thinking is, is that underneath, uh, with, the, with the kind of, let's say, if, a, if there's been temperature changes, what you'll get is a sweating of the, of the far-light plasticizer to the surface. And if, you ever, if you've ever uh, smelt, sort of smelt a figure that has got frosting on it, it smells very plasticky. That sort of smell that you used to get when you opened them when you were a kid, when they were brand new. And they smell very plasticky. And that is the farlet. That is the farlet. That is the plasticizer smell that's volatilizing off the figure. Um, and what we think is that's essentially a, uh, a sort of a diffusion of that plasticizer to the surface. And so it appears as this, as this white fuzz. It seems... Um... <laughs> seems quite ironic as well is the the way to get rid of it is by using ultraviolet light yeah 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 it's quite ironic um yeah. moving on to smells of action figures actually why does the tie fighter pilot smell so nice i don't uh well you see grant knowing that you are a tie fighter pilot connoisseur um i would expect that this would uh, be your remit your area of expertise. <laughs> I only sniff it, mate. I don't. I don't know anything else about it. I, I don't exactly make women's perfume. Yeah, either. the connoisseur of this, mate. You know, I've, I've only got like one tie fighter pilot. Uh, you've got maybe five hundred. <laughs> <laughs> but is there, is there anything unique about like why you know it's a jet black figure? Is there anything about a special compound that they use for just figures like that that make them smell? I don't. It's 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 hard to say. Again what work has been done on this you know we can only talk about just general chemistry yeah and physics principles here this is all we can talk about there's been very little work done on you know no one's no one's brought these into a into a into a plastics testing laboratory or a materials testing laboratory and gone do the work on this do a whole bunch of tests on this get right consultancy report let's really look into this no one's funded that no one no one has needed to fund that. I mean, there were certainly times within the hobby when that would have been very useful. Certainly during the um, the green uh, what was it the uh, <laughs> the green harvest scandal a few years back, without mentioning any any yeah, specific yeah. names, um, where fake urethane hard copy parts had come onto the market, and again, you know. 
we uh, we should be careful about who we mention, but some seemingly fake hard copy parts came onto the market, and there was concern: how do we tell the difference? Well, there is there are ways that could that could be used to tell the difference. FTIR is a technique um, where we can actually identify the, the polyurethane that was actually used to make the material. And how old it is? You know, there's a database linked to this. Um, but again, it all comes down to how far do we want to go in these in in, in this uh, in these investigations? Who's funding it? Yeah. And um, so because of that, because we haven't had any really decent investigations, you know, expensive ones, frankly, that um, we're not we're still we're still guessing, and we're still kind of making educated guesses about what's happening, you know, and. That's essentially, you know, where we are at. at the what, what, what about, you know, if we're talking about uh, fake action figures, the threat of 3D printing? I mean, it's totally different to your uh, injection molding that was the yeah, figures when yeah. we were kids. Is there anything to be aware of in regards to these figures? And I think, I think in terms of 3D printing, 3D printing or what's called additive additive manufacturing is more of a prototyping uh, technique rather than a mass production technique. And the way additive, additive printing, additive 3D printing works, it obviously adds in an iterative, iterative layers. It, it, it adds in, uh, in successive layers. And that is a very different manufacturing technique than injection molding or yeah. blow molding. It's a very, and you know, you can see that. Um, it's just the fact that uh, 3D printing just allows for uh, easier prototyping and, e- you know, easier manufacture of, of early samples. You look at the fakes that come from China, yeah. you know, and we've all seen the fake blitzes, we've all seen the fake stormtroopers. They're still all injection molded, you know. If you want fast production um a, you know, in a full production environment, you you're not going to use um, additive manufacturing. You're going to use you're still going to use injection molding. Yeah, I, I grabbed hold of a fake yak face, uh, 3D printed, yeah. and it was the texture and feel of it was completely different to a, a normal yeah, yeah. figure. A lot more bendy, and you could tell it was something was wrong immediately. I've yet to see one. Um, I've yet to see an actual 3D printed yak. I mean, was it, uh, was it articulated? Or no. Or? no. No, solid. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it'll only be a matter of time before they start breaking seals and start individually uh, doing that. But it's, again, it, you, it's a different process. You know, additive manufacturing is a different process than injection molding. So, yeah. Well, um, what was interesting, many, many, uh, episodes ago, Rich did a, a, a brief um, editorial on something that you were uh, discussing online, which was uh, acids in plastic, plasticides, I think, and it was in relation to 12-inch, uh, the 12-inch Jawa, the 12-inch IG-88, and the yeah. grenades and the straps. Uh, what, what exactly was that about? Right. Uh, this actually comes back to the issue of plasticizers again. Um now, one of the problems you've got with IG-88, you've got the problem especially with Jawa. So if you find a box Jawa and mint one, 
you really need to take the uh, the belt off and look at the figure. You see it with Stormtrooper wrists, and to a lesser extent with Boba Fett and the wrists on Boba Fett. And essentially, it is soft vinyl plastics. Okay, IG88's bandolier is a classic example. It's very soft. Okay, and it's made of PVC. That means it has a high level of plasticizer or far-late plasticizer in there. Now, what you, te- what you tend to see is that far-late plasticizer um, leaches out of, the, uh, out of the bandolier, much in the same way as you see it on action figures, where it leaches out of a figure's arms and legs and head, and you get the frosting, okay? And you'll find these, things, these PVC materials are quite sticky to the touch. I'm sure you've seen it before where they've been quite sticky. That's far like plasticizer. And what we're seeing is that that plasticizer material is diffusing into the styrene body, which is hard and has no and shouldn't have any far light in it. And because what the, what the plasticizer does is it animates the plastic. Okay. Now, as it enters the styrene, it animates it and it makes it go soft and what appears to melt. So how many of you, how many of your listeners, how many of the listeners out there have seen an IG-88 12-inch figure that is ordinarily mint, boxed, take the bandolier off and there's big melt marks all the way along the back. You take the bullets out and the bullets are melted. And that is because of what's called vinyl migration. The technical term is vinyl migration. And it is a diffusion of the plasticizer from the PVC into the ABS styrene of the body and the bullets on the IG-88. And it it causes this melting. Now, that's accelerated again. It's temperature dependent. The actual law, uh, the physical law for that diffusion is what's called Fick's law. And that's dependent on the concentration of plasticizer in the polyvinyl chloride in the PVC compared to what's in the ABS, which is virtually nothing, and the temperature, yeah, and the temperature of the system. And the greater the gradient, right, the greater the difference and the greater the temperature, the faster the plasticizer and the more efficiently the plasticizer will move across the boundary from the belt to the body and cause the melting. So the the key is, and I've certainly done it with all my 12-inch figures and 12-inch figures are my thing, so it's something I need to be very careful on, remove belts, remove remove IG-88 belts, remove the bullets out of them, remove Jawa belts, which are really bad for melting the, uh, for melting the, uh, the robe onto the figure, remove them. If you can't remove the... Uh, the vinyl styrene interface you know then let's say like for instance stormtroopers and and boba fett's coat them with talc coat them with talcum powder okay run the wrist around get the talcum powder inside okay and the talcum powder acts as a barrier it acts as a as a buffer between the uh between the two between the two parts does it stop the reaction i don't know um does it stop the reaction long enough for you to own and enjoy the piece in your collection? Probably. I'm not going to worry about it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
I think I just imagine my mates catching me uh, talcum powder in my action figures and uh, yeah, straight off to the loony asylum for me then. Um, yeah, indeed. I want to make sure as well that people understand this is just more of a for your information kind of thing. They don't want to make it sound too uh, doomy and gloomy, but there is things to be conscientious about with why and reasons why these kind of things happen to our our collectibles. Indeed. I mean, the thing is with this, this isn't about trying to put people off collecting. This isn't about trying to say all your all your thing, all your um, pieces in your collection are going to turn to dust in the next 10 years. To be fair, you could argue we're all going to turn to dust in the next 50 to 100, you know, 50 to 70 years anyway. So I think I think the key is, is, is just some sensible precautions and, and sensible common sense precautions in how you look after your collection. You know, I think to 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 reiterate this, if you want to impede the yellowing of bubbles. OK, for a start, don't collect power of the force. But... <laughs> Yeah. Um, I, I, mean, I mean, I'm joking with that, but there's, you know, there, there are, there, there are obviously pieces that decay worse than others. That, that, you know, that are more prone than others. Power of the Force, Jedi, uh, certain Kenner Jedi figures, certainly, certainly um, Kenner Empire figures. Uh, Twelve backs are good, generally. You know, um, make an informed choice. Learn which ones are worse than others figure out whether or not you're actually bothered by yellow bubbles, okay? If you don't want, you know, if you want to protect them and optimise your collecting environment, then I would say you need to cut out sunlight. Uh, you need to use incandescent-based lighting, uh, spotlights, etc. Do not use halogen. Do not use compact fluorescent, and do not use fluorescent strip lights. These are all um, high ultraviolet um, containing. Uh, they've all got spectral power distributions. They have a lot of ultraviolet in them. LED, the white LEDs. Well, LED is a different is a different animal altogether because you look at the spectrum of an L, of, of LED light sources. By their very nature, they have spikes. It's not a continuous spectrum. They have spikes in the spectrum. And the amount of energy they give out in terms of ultraviolet is probably not that much at all. Me personally, I shy away from going with white LED in my display. But that's just my personal preference. I, I still prefer using incandescent as my, uh, as my lighting solutions. Um, but I think all told, I think uh, LED is probably a much better uh, lighting solution than uh, than halogen, for instance, where halogen is a really high power output and probably ha and has a, a a large level of ultraviolet in its spectrum. These uh, these collectibles have already lasted forty years. They're doing pretty well, considering. Yeah, yeah, and uh, this is the key. I mean, it's just sensible precautions. Just just be informed about where it is where it is your. Uh, of how you of how you store in your stuff and and the thing is as well it also comes down to the fact that some people will be more finicky about this than others you know some people like you know will think well you know it doesn't really matter as long as I'm enjoying the pieces I've got now it's lasted forty years like you say I'm not going to worry about it too much there's going to be other people who think well you know I want to 
I want museum level uh, collecting conditions. So I think from that perspective, it just depends on the person. Really. Well, uh, Lee, listen, um, really informative. This is probably the most academic uh, interview we've had on the Vintage Rebellion by quite some way. I'm probably going to listen back at this and go, no, that's wrong. I'm not happy with that. <laughs> no, it's been, it's been amazing. It's going to take me two or three listens to get to, but I, uh, this is something that I think I, I've been really conscious about for the last couple of years and something that I really want to investigate more, especially if I'm spending enormous amounts of money on what is, you know, plastic. I think the point, I think the point comes down to is it's, it's easy to get caught up in the kind of technicalities of what's going on in the plastics and what's, you know, what's happening with this. I think, I think the main key for myself and for other collectors personally, I think is, well, what is what? What are the sensible solutions to to protect these things? You know, protect these forty-year-old toys. That's the key. You know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, well, Lee, listen, thank you so much for coming on. Um, let's have you on another time where we have Lee the collector on a key yeah. interview. And I, uh, you know, I think that'd be really a really interesting and exciting interview that I'd like to, you know, I'd look forward to. Yeah, that'd be good. That'd thank be good. you so much for coming on, buddy. Yes, thanks, Spicy. Thank you. Now the Market Watch. This month we have an eclectic selection of delectable delights. Roll the music. Right, uh, we had a Vectors auction and uh, for this one it's it was another Palatoy employee sale. And there was tons of sort of varied stuff. Um, again, we had some of those catalogues, and they ranged from the years 1985, 83. Uh, one actually was missing the Star Wars pages and still went for 15 quid, which is quite amazing. And the exactly same one with the Star Wars pages went for 130 pounds. So uh, that's the value of a few page, about eight pages of missing Star Wars figures. Uh, there was a 1985 Power of the Force catalogue, went for 220, a Chad Valley. One which we covered last month, another one of those went for 300 And there was a German Kenner catalogue, went for £480. Uh, there was a load of lower-grade mocks, uh, a few higher-grade ones. And um, now, Jez, you were supposed to be bidding on some Luke X-Wings, but you, um, I-, I guess down to military experiments, completely forgot what day you were at at the time. Explain. <laughs> yeah, um, I-, I thought it was the day afterwards. It's fair to say that they had a lot of Luke X-Wings going. But fortunately for me, none of them went for less than would have been my top bid. What are you missing, Luke X-Wing style? Um, Empire Strikes Back, 21 back, that'd be nice. Mm. And, and what yes. sort of price are you going to be paying on that, you reckon? Oh, do you know what? There, there's a buy it now. There's, <laughs> what? There's a, it, there's a buy it. See, they're not that. They're not, they're not that difficult to get hold of. I would say that the Star Wars versus the Empire Strikes Back, the Star Wars is slightly easier, um, but they are available on eBay at the moment, 240 bu- uh, quid. 
So that's what not you, that bad. What are you hanging about um, for, Jez? Get on with it. Anyway, right, let's keep going. Yeah. Right, there was also, uh, so that, that uh, made me chuckle, um, there was a mucky Darth Vader. And it was just a loose figure, a loose Darth Vader figure, and no one had bothered to clean it. It actually, it actually stated, needs a bit of a clean, but it still went for 20 quid. Um, my bargain of the month, and uh, again, Jez, you, you, you'd have a bit of uh, Lear Organa with a best bin gown on. Um, I thought it was reasonably good. It was not the worst condition in the world. 31B, unpunched, and uh, it, it went for 70 quid, which is £30 below their estimate, which is not bad. And that usually averages well over £110, so... Um, that was my bargain. Would would you you've gone for that? I know you like a bit of a uh, saucy leer and a best bin gown. Yeah, so that was the one who was looking at you as if to say, "I'm going to ruin you," not looking at you as if to say, <laughs> um, "I'm in a mood with you." Yes. Yeah, yeah, the ruin you, Leah. Um, yeah, that's an absolute bargain. That's not bad, is it? Not bad. So again, bargains can be had. Now there was um, a rather interesting li- little display of figures in bags, and I didn't really kind of take much notice of it until two of these figures weren't actually figures, but were actually little um, hand-drawn pen and ink mock-ups of Weakway and the Gamorian Guard. Uh, not particularly too much in scale. I've been trying to find some information about this, Rich. I believe you found something out about them. They were obviously from Palatory again, from this uh, this employee sale. Can you tell us about these two little mock-up figures? Yeah, Pete. I mean, I didn't have much of a clue about these, and I did a little bit of research on the SWCA. It didn't turn up a lot. So I contacted Ron Salvatore um, about these, and he sent me a link to an advert which would been sent to the Palatoy stores advertising the Return of the Jedi um, Star Wars items. And in this advert, although it wasn't the actual ones from the auction, it looked very, very similar, where it had a whole row of Jedi figures, um, which were, you know, the look as though they are, like what you described, hand-worn, hand-painted. And it's um, a neat little promo for stores to have a look at the, the stuff that's ready to arrive. I'm just going to read you a couple of lines out from that advert. I mean, there's a lot of text. I'm not going to cover all of it, but it's quite interesting. So it's got a big title at the top, When the Jedi Return, Make Sure Your Troops Are Ready. So the Force is with us again for an early summer release of the third blockbuster Star Wars movie. Um, make sure you've stocked up with your Star Wars action figures and accessories, blah, 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 blah. To help you sell, Palatoy brings you all-year-round TV, cinema support, promotions, When the Jedi Return, Be Sure You're Ready. And that's a great little advert. Um, claiming to have sold 10 million items since Empire Strikes Back um, and those little cardboard cutout figures nicely displayed in a row with a poster. It's a great little thing. And uh, thanks, Ron, because I've never seen that before. Yeah, uh, one of the things that's interesting about the flyer uh, is that it's actually advertising a Star Wars game that was in production but never actually was released. Uh, You can get Revenge of the Jedi copies of the box and you can actually now get the the game available online but it was never released it's an ewok yeah. glider video game yeah. have you guys ever seen the internal kenner propaganda videos for star wars where they're like we will destroy the competition with six million yeah. pounds of advertising burger king nationwide yeah. blah, blah, blah. i am um, i think insane. i think i used a, a quote from that video uh, on one of my market sections quite a while ago there was because there were some real like outlandish statements at the start, so I used them yeah, it's like, as an intro. Like, we're going to take over the galaxy <laughs> with twenty billion dollars of Star Wars Return of the Jedi. You won't be able to move for it. And it's like how many, how much coffee has this guy had? This is the year we see the enemy cowering. 
when Kenneth Brand blows them from their bunkers into bantha fodder. Because our 1984 Return of the Jedi collection is pure thermal dynamite, with enough of the force behind it to shatter every other energy shield in the marketplace. In fact, even at $2.5 billion for merchandising worldwide, the universe is asking for more. Of course, Kenneth packing the charge with 8 million advertising dollars. Add 25 to 30 million more from Lucasfilm and other Jedi licensees, and the impact should send even a scout walker staggering. Those two mock-ups and a few sort of random figures uh, still managed to fetch £320, and you got a few general figures thrown in for the lot. Now, the first sort of interesting things we're going to quickly talk about, I know a few of you guys collect this sort of stuff, I think, again, you, Jez, and definitely you, Grant, uh, which was the Star Wars special preview ticket. Uh, it was dated 16th of October 1977, and it was for the Tottenham Court Road uh, Dominion Theatre uh, one. And um, it, actually, it actually came with a certificate stating this was a Palatoy Chief Designer's personal ticket. And I thought, again, a reasonable bargain. It only went for £60. Grant, is that something really? you... Yeah, 60 Is that something you would have gone for? I mean, I know you yes. like to collect that sort of paraphernalia. Last week, there was um, uh, Leicester Square... Empire Strikes Back, Odeon tickets, uh, press tickets for sale that went for just a bit more than that. One had the yellow band, one had the red band on there. So, yeah, I think, I think you're getting pretty much a bargain there. I think, isn't it quite interesting that the, uh, the actual certificate itself is, is quite enormous? I mean, is that something that's done a lot? I mean, to actually have a certificate of your, your free preview ticket, I mean, it seems a bit over the top for, some, for something like that. It is, um, I know it was a special screening, but still. There's quite a few things come through now from you know various places with signed things from these palatoy reps, and I'm just wondering, is the providence always there for these things? It's, it's come with Bob Breakin, the palatoy chief designer's name on it, so I don't see what, what what would be the particular point of making that up. As much as I love these slides, I think the prices are quite phenomenal, and it'd be lovely if the person who has bought them would uh, would share them <laughs> in photograph form with everyone else. Because I'd love to see what they actually look like in big. But definitely go and check them out. But there was there was three sets. So the first set, which was 15 slides from the Brighton 1979 Toy Fair, which mostly of a few displays, um, the Imperial Troop Transport, and a few of the bits and bobs. Jez, you're into slides, aren't you? You're a man who now buys slides. Um, I've bought one slide, <laughs> and that's part of my, as you know, X-Wing, and it's whole sort of pre-production stuff. So a little bit more in it for me fits nicely in my collection but i nearly slid off my chair oh, when right. i saw what these had sold for dum dum I, I i can't believe it but the the variation in prices as well between the three lots i mean you, you've looked at there the first lot going for 480 as you said there quite a significant uh, number of them on the imperial troop transport why i don't get it unless this is someone we do all this for nostalgia and a trip down memory lane maybe someone has just gone oh yeah that, that was us and maybe they are paying to see themselves i mean the the one which has gone for the most amount of money features just random people and well, clearly not random people but people who who were part of that and and I, it beggars belief me i don't get it i, I well, do not understand i can understand it in some ways that that these are probably the only records of these events, you know, the, the, this Brighton Toy Fair. I mean, you know, apart from people out there in the, the world of, of toy buying, but this might be the only record, because, I mean, I wonder how many pictures exist, still exist of these places and, the, and these displays. So, but that, who cares? Well, quite a few people yeah. care, because these, these went 
quite frenzied. I mean, the total in the end, I mean, you're talking, well, after the fees, you're talking close to, what, not even 50 slides, the best part of £2,000 after all your fees and stuff on top. So that is quite an impressive amount for a few, well, what is essentially a few photographs. But they are, they are little slices of history, Jazz. When we go away on a lad's little busman's holiday to um, Celebration Europe, and we're all out one night and we're surrounded by Star Wars stuff at the room cells, I might be the only guy there with a camera. Are you saying that in a few years' time <laughs> I could um, give all my digital images and, and sell them for an obscene amount of money? Yes. Because it's history, because I've recorded history. Eventually, just eventually. But it, I mean, if you look at that, that, that third lot, the one that went for £850, yeah. there's a yeah. display in there with a design, uh, with a very interesting sort of patchwork Death Stars, a Palatoy. Um, it's quite a sort of basic picture. But I mean, it's a lot of money for photographs, but these might be the only times that these images will ever be seen. And we do have, there is actually in July, just after Star Wars Celebration, when we'll all be very poor, um, is an, an enormous sale at Vectis of some amazing pieces and we've been been teased with what's coming um across the Facebook groups and uh across various um various media outlets including Richard Hutchinson himself. So we are gonna have a lot to talk about, not only after celebration but after that auction. I think that's gonna be some uh, some big big pieces there. So watch out for that one. And I'll be there, my first auction. Yeah? Cool. And now for something completely different. I caught up with Jared Cope, the owner of StarWarsTracker.com, which we feature heavily on this podcast to give us all our market data, to find out about his upcoming panel at Star Wars Celebration. I submitted something called uh, Navigating a Bull Market for the Vintage Star Wars Collector. The premise being that um, you know, it's widely claimed that we're in this uh, market where prices are rising, you know, hence the bull market, sort of borrowing that term from financial terminology. Yeah, And so I really just wanted to, I mean, you could accept that on face value, but um, since I've got this you know, really exhaustive set of market data um, embedded into Star Wars Track, I just wanted to really look into it and almost, you know, approach it from a methodical academic viewpoint. Quite likely, you know, it's going to be, yes, we are. Um, but I was more interested in seeing, well, how much of a bull market is it? You know, how much have prices risen and, and when did they start to rise? And has it been, you know, a linear rise in prices or has there been peaks and troughs and pullbacks and and all that sort of stuff? I guess one of the inevitable questions you, you will get will probably be, you know, uh, uh, because, I mean, the Star Wars Trekker just covers mostly auctions, doesn't it? And uh, and as yeah. collectors will have their own, I mean, there's you know, the... There is the own market in there, so so on Facebook groups and and personal trading and stuff. So how will you reflect that in any data you give? Yeah, so I think the strongest argument I could put forward for that is that eBay, for one, uh, whether you like it or not, it is the biggest, most liquid market for our hobby. Um, So you are going to find the most examples of stuff trading on eBay. And number two... I just think auction prices are such a richer source to take a view of what's going on. So sales on Facebook, you know, they they're usually uncontested in a way, and you know the price is set, and someone's either interested in or not, and then it sort of disappears, and so you don't know if um, you know that price was actually paid behind the scenes, or more stuff was added on to it, or if it fell through. I think unless you're actually involved in those Facebook sales. You know, you'll have a, a sort of a view on the Facebook market, I suppose, but that represents just such a fractional percentage of what's going on that 
you know, to base the view on those sales, uh, I, I just don't think you should, could have a lot of confidence in that, really. Are you actually allowed to sort of advertise the Star Wars Tracker tool at the, at the event, or are you, can you sort of mention it in passing? That's a good question. I, I was upfront about my submission to Gus for the collector's track. So I wrote my, uh, my title of the panel and then just gave a short abstract and then you could give some extra information, extra notes. And I said, quite frankly, look, I own and run Star Wars Tracker and I'm going to be basing my talk um, upon the data, the price guide data that forms part of that. And so I was sort of expecting something back saying, you know, uh, it's a bit of a commercial conflict there. You know, it sounds great, but we'll have to pass. Um, but they, they picked it up, so they don't seem to have a problem with that. Okay. Um, and and the talk that I'm going to do is um, it's about the data. So I'm going to say where it's from, but it's more about telling the story of the data rather than uh, promoting Star Wars Tracker kind of thing. Yeah. So is, is it the first time you've you've kind of done this on a public stage? Uh, yes, this will sort of be the first sort of um, public, um, you know, autopsy of the data in Star Wars Tracker, definitely, yeah. Okay. So um, when exactly is, is this panel? What day is it on and what time is it? So I have been given the Friday, so day one, um, okay. there's four of us in a slot together in, on the Friday afternoon. And so there's been a bit of swapping and changing as sometimes happens. And so I'm number three of four that afternoon. Okay. Don't forget to pop along and take part in the panel at Star Wars Celebration on the 15th of July. Jared was also generous enough to point me towards an eBay auction of Uze figures. As you know, Uze's usually mean money, and this auction of loose-graded figures was no different. There was a Naked Emperor's Royal Guard graded 80, went for $564. There was a Thin Armband Stormtrooper with a blue gun, graded 85, went for $2,325. There was also a Stormtrooper with a thick armband, graded 75, and that went for $575. And there was two TIE Fighter pilots, a light paint version, graded 75, went for $751. And a dark paint, graded 85, and that went for $870. And finally, there was an Imperial Gunner, AFA 85, listed as near mint, and that went for $671. But rather than get the guys to sit here and go, wow, these are amazing, look at those prices, they'd admit our knowledge is bereft in the world of the bootleg, I thought it was time to actually find somebody who could give us some context and background to these little Turkish fellows. I asked around, and after some gentle persuasion, managed to encourage Uze Kletter meta Aiken to educate me a little more i just want to get an sure. idea really of because i mean we know nothing about uzes now i don't even know if i'm even saying uze right i don't even know if i'm getting your name right as well so if you, if you can clear those two things up very quickly sure yeah the uh well well my name is uh most people when they see my name they pr- they pronounce it uh meat which which drives me absolutely <laughs> insane as you can imagine because I think to myself, who you know, we'll think about for a second. I don't, you know, I don't know who would name their name their child meat. So, uh, my my name is pronounced Mete. Uh, phonetically, it's M E H T E H. Okay. Um, and uh, the the correct pronunciations uh, is uh, Uzai actually. So uh-huh. there um people people uh, will uh, say it's pronounced like ooze O O Z E like something oozing out of your eye. E Y E, so Uzai, um, and that and that is the pro- correct pronunciation for it, and it means it means space in Turkish. You sound very American, by the way. 
I am very American. I was born in I was born in Turkey, um, but my parents moved whenever I was three years old. They moved to Pittsburgh, so I'm uh, I'm I'm you know dual dual Turkish American citizen. But my uh, you know my wife is Turkish. I have a lot of family still in Turkey. I go there about two to three times a year, um, usually to Istanbul. Um, and you know when I was younger, I would. After I my parents moved to the United States, I would still you know spend my summers there, usually three four months at a time. Because something that's always fascinated me is is how on earth did these things get out anywhere? Was it a company called SB Products that made these things? You know, there's there's still a lot of debate on the timeline of when they were produced. It's assumed based on when they were available, and from when I remember them being available uh, when I was a kid was around 1988 is the year that. Uh, people uh, believe that they were going, that they were being manufactured in in, in uh, stores, and uh, as you know, as you can imagine, that's that's quite a few years after the you know last line of uh, vintage yeah. Kenner uh, Power of the Force stuff was was placed out. So um, I think uh, uh, you know a, a part of it was you know the timing of it allowed them to sort of fly under the radar because of sort of the craze for uh, for Star Wars figures at that time was already dying down. Um, yeah, yeah. Now, the actual company, SB Products, was not, was a, to my knowledge, and from speaking uh, with other people, uh, you know, uh, friends and relatives, um, it was not a toy manufacturer by any means. It was actually some sort of uh, industrial uh, manufacturing company that made a wide range of different products, um, including, uh, you know, plastics. I think uh, they were also involved in producing some sort of metals, like iron and copper and things like that so so they really had nothing to do specifically with toy production they just saw an opportunity to manufacture these bootlegs and uh you know uh, get a get a share of the market because at the time it was very difficult uh and very pricey to import um legitimate licensed uh kenner products into the country someone got the idea of getting you know legitimate copies of these figures and then making the molds uh, based on the Kenner figures because the actual Uzai figures are, 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 as far as bootlegs go, very good quality and, and match the production counterparts quite well. So so someone uh, you know there, because they were involved in manufacturing, manufactured the molds based on some, some Kenner figures. And then the one thing that we do know, and this is something that uh, came to light over the last couple of years, the nephews of this guy who was the photographer for the cardback art posted on Facebook these very old photos of their uncle with his actual original photos of the cardback art for the Uzai figures. Like, and they're 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 floating around on Facebook somewhere, and I can certainly send them to you by email. Yeah, but yeah. There's there's photos of you know uh, proof cards for Headman, Chewbacca, um, uh, the two vehicles that were manufactured. And these uh, these nephews did give some information to me on a little bit more background on, on their uncle, who unfortunately died a while ago, so you can't uh, extract any information from him. But he was hired as the photographer for the figures, and he would essentially make these, you know, sort of layouts and uh, diorama type things, <laughs> place the figures in them and take photographs of them. And those were those were used for the card back art. That is something where whenever I see it. It's. Uh, it, I mean, I just can't stop laughing. I mean, they, they are the fun, <laughs> some of the funniest things I've seen. I think it's the Chewbacca one. I'm. 
I mean, I just show it to people because they just can't believe how ridiculous it is. Yeah, but it, 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 it is one. genuinely yeah, yeah. beautifully funny. <laughs> yeah, and that's and that is part of that is part of the love for these figures, and that's why you know the, the, there's a really a perfect storm for for why these figures are as valuable and sought out, um, you know, by collectors. You know, it, it matches everything. Uh, you know that that should make a a you know vintage product valuable. You know they're very rare. They were produced in low quantities, and there's this you know cultish following to them because of how cheesy the cardback art is, and that's what really makes them so wonderful. Is the cardback art itself? You know if you look closely at the name plates as well um, on the cardback art, you know particularly for Chewbacca. So so there's two different um, uh, cardback variants. One of the, one of them is called Aslanadam, which means a uh, lion man in Turkish, and the other one says Maimunadam, which means monkey man in Turkish. So, <laughs> so the way, so you know, and and the and the actual, it doesn't say Chewbacca uh, for the for the figure on the back of the card. It says Chebaka. They got rid of the W. So, so they and they do this, you know, obviously to to avoid copyright infringement, and that's and that's you know just all these little things. <laughs> um, that make them so so appealing to you know to so many of us. Were they quite well known in Turkey? So when you were a kid, did people say, "Oh yeah, I used to have Star Wars figures," but they were talking about um, about these figures, or were, were they actually something which only a, a, you know, a certain amount of people knew about, and they became you know more renowned later? So like in the nineties and and two thousands. Yeah, yeah. That, so that's a great question. So. You know, when I when I was growing up, um, me and, and and my family members and friends in Turkey, we didn't really we didn't really uh, notice a difference between the figures because the quality of the bootlegs were were pretty good. Um, I remember distinctly though as a child because I had a blue star figure growing up um, that I had this figure that looked a lot like my because I had a Kenner Snowtrooper as well, and I'm okay. like this is this is the same. Like this, this is the same figure, but it's it's blue, and I and I didn't understand why because I was just a kid, but you know I was like, so I, I didn't really make the connection as to as to why these were different. So so kids just sort of collected them, and you know didn't really didn't really care. Now there were times I remember uh, with my specifically with my cousin who was a couple years older than me and who had more money than me would brag because he would be able to afford the uh, Kenner figures that were in Turkey that could be found in much larger department stores but were five to six times the cost of the uh, of the Uzai bootlegs so so there was some level of, of people being aware that okay these are the Kenner figures they come from overseas they're you know special and they're more desirable for that reason they're not yeah. these crappy you know bootlegs that that you know some you know the, that these Turks are making um, so, so to answer your question, you know, there really wasn't a lot of appreciation for the differences back then. It was, it was really in the mid nineties, um, when, uh, these started to, you know, come to light at, in conventions to my understanding, cause I wasn't collecting back then, but people would bring these to, uh, conventions, particularly, uh, a collector, uh, called Lev, uh, who runs Toy Tokyo had gone to Turkey in the mid nineties. And picked up uh, boatloads of carded Uzai figures and brought them back to the United States to sell them. And yeah. he would sell them at conventions. Um, and 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 back then, uh, and I have a few carded figures that still have the price tags on them uh, that Lev had placed on them in the '90s, and and they were you know selling for fifty, sixty dollars. 
and people were, were starting to become aware of them at that time as these unique collector's items, but they weren't expensive by any means. Um, and it wasn't until I would say, you know, the mid 2000s, something like that, you know, when, when, uh, the new, uh, star Wars movies were coming out again, that, uh, prices on these, uh, started to skyrocket and, and, and have really been skyrocketing ever since then. Before two years ago, before I sort of got back into collecting, I had no idea these even existed. So they are uh-huh. they are truly spectacular items. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I, I I agree with you. And and you know if you've if you've gotten back into collecting, you know, two years ago, you've 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 seen the really you know exponential increase in yeah. in prices for these. But but to be honest, so I I've gotten into collecting. I would say, you know, heavily for the last seven years. And I've always, um, you know, since I've been collecting, focused on Uzai figures because I grew up with them and I love them because I'm Turkish and, and, and for those reasons. And I've seen when I when I started collecting, you know, the prices just seven years ago were minuscule compared to what they are now. Yeah. Um, because, you know, we, we've seen an increase in, in prices, obviously, across the board with the new movies coming out. But it seems like with the with the Uzais, it, it literally does nothing but go up and up and up and 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 despite there being you know these this it's not like they're impossible to find loose and carded. There is some availability, but but no matter what's available out there, who's offering it, the next time something gets offered, the price is just higher than it than it previously was for the same thing, and it, it just keeps going up. You know, when, when when you have friends or family come over and, and you show them, you know, what you have on display. But I have, you know, I have a blast showing particularly those eye figures that are in my display case because I get to, you know, just explaining to them, look, this is how they this is how they avoided copyright infringement. This is, you know, this is a, a, a blue snowtrooper in a bunch of orange sherbet, you know, on the card back, you know, like. And I show this to these people, and 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 people are are they they love them. I mean, immediately. I've I've never had someone that that looks at these things and says, "Oh, well, that's that's kind of stupid," or "Why? How could you spend so much money on that?" I mean, they absolutely love these things, and um, there's a there's definitely a widespread appeal for you know people people of our generation for sure. Well, I think because everyone knows what Star Wars is, and they know that that yeah. Star, you know, I mean, I think everyone now knows that Star Wars equals money. When the, you know, people are interested in it, they go, "Oh yeah, yeah, I, I wouldn't mind a bit of that information," because they, they yeah. Yeah, there's always that thought of, "I wonder if I can find some of these in someone's loft." Now, just not going your collection. I mean, what what is your collection of of um, Uzis then? What, what 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 do you have? So I um you know I I'm I'm more of a mindset of uh, you know sort of quality over quantity, I guess. So okay. you know uh, as I mentioned, I. I Mostly focus on on Uzai's. I um I have a, a near completed carded set. I'm missing three uh, carded Uzai figures to have a a complete set of not just the you know main fourteen characters that are available, but also what I would consider major card back or figure variations. I've been stuck at only you know having three remaining to get because obviously. As you get closer to completing the set, less and less is available, and yeah. it gets more and more frustrating. So, so I've been I've been stuck at that for a while, and obviously, uh, you know, Headman. Uh, there's only three known carded examples of a Headman, and none of those are going anywhere anytime soon. So that <laughs> that continues to be, uh, you know, something that will evade yeah. many collectors. Turkey is not a small place. Do you reckon there's there's a? I mean, we, we've seen recently. Um, 
people suddenly unearthing boxes of carded figures. Do you think there's out there, somewhere out there in Turkey there's some guy in a warehouse or uh, an old shop with a bunch of these in a box somewhere? Well, it's it's definitely it's definitely possible. Um, there is the uh, there is the fact that so uh, Turks are very aware and cognizant of the value of Zai figures, <laughs> and I've spent a lot of time going to. You know, whenever I go there to Turkey, I, I spend several weeks there, and I, invariably I'll spend one day going to flea markets, to antique, you know, areas of Istanbul that are, you know, um, uh, sort of antique markets, collectors' markets, things like that. And uh, anyone you ask, you know, that works in selling old things yeah. knows about Uzay figures and knows how valuable they are. And in fact, many of them will will overstate how valuable something is. You know, you'll you'll ask about an Uzay figure and they'll immediately say, they'll say, oh, headman, you know, we have five hundred thousand dollars, something ridiculous like that. <laughs> so 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 they are so they are aware of it. So if if those if these things are out there, they will be found and they will they will go on the market, I'm sure. The last big find there was um, yeah. in in Turkey was by a uh, a, a Turkish um, lady who lives in the US whose brother found uh, I would say maybe 10 to 12 carded figures, but this was a long time ago. This was about yeah. eight years ago. That's the last big find of carded figures that's actually coming out of Turkey. I mean, I mean, how how do you know how widely spread they were? I mean, were they just in the, in, in the large cities like Istanbul, or do they did they kind of reach out there in some of the you know the sort of secondary and smaller cities or or towns? They were, they were in smaller cities. So I actually uh, distinctly remember uh, getting. Uh, my emperor's, my grandmother buying me my emperor's royal guard uh, figure in a in a town called Izmir, which is along the uh, west coast of the country. It's a beach town, okay. um, so they were they were available outside the big cities. And the interesting thing was, and this is in, in, in my my uh, family that still lives there, have confirmed this. The general uh, pattern was smaller uh, bodegas and um, you know uh, sort of newspaper shops. These smaller places that have little knickknacks and stuff; those were the places that had those eye figures because they were cheap, and uh, people of sort of like lower or middle socioeconomic status would be shopping in those places, and they were much more likely to buy them. The Kenner figures were always were never found there; they were always found in large department stores, in malls, in higher end places, you know, legit toy stores, places like that. That's where you would find those. <laughs> so uh, when I when I tell the the parents of my the two lads I coach. Uh, when they when they returned to Turkey in the summer, um, maybe not to bother looking in small stores for me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Look at the look at the small stores only. It's now it is really difficult to find things. I've I've only found two loose in all my excursions, you know. And I do this mostly for fun, you know, just because yeah. I, I I like enjoying the hunt and everything. I've only found two loose figures, um, Uzai figures uh, in in all my times going out. A loose Tie Fighter pilot. And a loose um, uh, blue star, um, and neither of the guys actually knew what they were, um, so I did get them for a good price. But it's it's really really difficult, really difficult to find them out in the wild. Extremely difficult. So uh, do, then now there's there's an ethical question going around at the moment throughout the collecting community about, uh, and it's just a bit of fun. If you found a headman on a stall, let's say in the middle of Turkey somewhere, and the guy wanted like you know two dollars for it. And you knew uh -huh. it was worth a fortune. Would you own up? Oh yeah, I would. I would. I, I could. I could never, never pay two dollars um, <laughs> uh, for something like that. If we're if we're talking a carded headman that's in good shape, that you know, 
I think, you know, at, at, you know, to the right person, it would probably go for around 50 grand or something like that. I think I could, you know, really, I would really, you know, it would make my day and make this other person's day too, to just say, look, here's, I don't know, 10 grand, 20 grand, something <laughs> like that, which, which would make me incredibly happy yeah. and make them incredibly happy too. I would, I would never be able to sleep at night doing it. And I, I wouldn't need to do something like that. You know, I mean, it would, you know, it would, it would make me, it would, it would make me much happier knowing that, that there was a, you know, mutually, um, beneficial, you know, sort of outcome to that sort of thing, as opposed to just screwing some poor Turkish guy over. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Poor guys. Big thanks to Meta for giving some quality time for the podcast. It's only the first step into the world of bootlegs for us, and we aim to delve more deeply into the subject in the near future. Right, now I want to welcome back Mark Hockley for this month's Rapid Fire. Are you ready, Mark? Uh, I think so. Fingers crossed. Favourite Star Wars movie? Uh, Gotta be Empire. Favourite Star Wars scene? I really love the Bespin scenes. I guess the the Han being frozen in carbonite is pretty pretty cool i just like the lighting of that scene and everything about it it's just uh it just really fired my imagination as a kid favorite on-screen character probably han and your favorite new character from the force awakens tough well kind of i really like bb-8 and i didn't think i would uh your favorite scene from the force awakens probably the obvious one would be the but but it's just beautifully done was the the, the fight in the woods and, and even more so when i watched the 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 documentary and it says about it all being done in the studio yeah, and they actually built a forest with real trees it was amazing your favorite lightsaber jewel because i was thinking it's got to be empire with luke and vader but then i was speaking to jamie earlier and he was referenced about the uh in jedi when 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 luke's being tempted by the the emperor so actually probably have to go for the return of a jedi scene with luke fighting vader and the and the emperor sticking his oar in which character would you most like to see a standalone movie of? I'd really like to see a Luke standalone, like with Hamill, now. Which actor or crew member would you most like to meet? I'd love to meet Hamill, absolutely. Yeah, I'd love to meet Hamill. And Harrison Ford as well, but I should think Hamill would be more um, rewarding. If you could ask one question to George Lucas, what would it be? Mini Calorians, why? Your favourite figure as a child? probably Boba Fett because I had a Slave 1 and I never had a Falcon or an Atta or anything so for me the playability with having Slave 1 was just you know amazing so yeah Fett I think favourite figure now I've got a lot of love for Argonauts which I never used to have um, your least favourite figure in the vintage line as a kid my least favourite randomly was, was Luke Hoth uh, which character do you wish they'd made a figure of? Now, definitely, I think Tarkin. Which vintage figure most resembles you? Ugnaught? <laughs> um, maybe. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm a bit of an Ugnaught with my... The way I'm hoarding Star Wars is a bit like an Ugnaught tossing 3PO's head around. So, yeah, let's go with that. Your favourite toy vehicle or playset? My favourite playset by a country mile was the uh, Imperial attack base. What vehicle or playset would you have liked to have seen them make? Probably because how much I like the scene in the film, and I wasn't aware of it until a couple of years ago, was the Cloud City playset. So maybe something maybe more in line with the 
the plastic sort of play sets rather than the cardboard ones, but with Cloud City with the chamber. Your favourite 12-inch figure? Then it's got to be the Hombres de la Dunes or whatever he's called, the Dunas. Um, yeah, Tuscan Raider all the way. Your favourite card back image? Both the FET ones are really strong. I, I don't own a card in FET, but one day, and um, maybe it's because I don't own one that, I, that that's probably my favourite. What was your last vintage purchase? Uh, today's Vectis auction. And I got a Death Star droid on a 20-back, which I really liked. And what is your holy rail item? Probably a Cardiff Fett, maybe a, a Poppy Fett as well. I would love a Poppy Fett, but probably, a, yeah, a, a Cardiff, Cardiff uh, Empire Fett. Wonderful. Well, Mark, thank you ever so much. Thank you. So, on to our rapid-fire question of the month. If you could name one person related to Star Wars to have at CE3 next month, who would you choose? Jezebel. When you said have it at sea, because I'm a sailor, I had visions of me having to go away on a ship with someone, so you just completely frazzled my mind. You want someone to come to CE3 with me, anyone to do a Star Wars? No, if you could name one person related to Star Wars who would be at CE3 for you to go meet... You picked the wrong person you asked you. This isn't a, <laughs> thing. This isn't a difficult question, because I'm not asking you to... Who, who do I want to see from Star Wars at C3? Princess <laughs> Luna Gold Who do you most want to meet at C3? Princess Luna Gold Bikini. Okay. Um, Rich? Alec Guinness. That's going to be pretty tricky. Uh, Pete? <laughs> I want to see R5-D4 blowing up, just to keep Richard happy. Grant? George Lucas. Yeah, see, I've got, I've got George Lucas written down and John Williams. I think it would be nice as well as uh, Dennis Murin. Pambles. I met Dennis Murin, he was a lovely man. Bernard Cribbins, he must have been in Star Wars somewhere. Oh, what about the one, the girl that played uh, Sindel in Ewoks, oh, yeah. uh, Caravan yeah. of Courage? Yeah, get her in. And what was that bloke called? Mace something or other. Mace Windu. Windu. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Rich, have we got much feedback on episode 24 last month? Yeah, we're always getting lots of great feedback, Stu. Steve Danley's interview was a hit, and a lot of the items he talked about, such as the availability of first shots back in the day, struck a chord with collectors who've been around a long time. And it was uh, it was our Ed, Ed Grant of the Forum, of all people, who said, if only we knew back then what we knew now. That's the kind of comment that you just want to pull somebody over and give them a shake, don't you? Ian Palafan showcased a way of displaying cut cards. Um, who was it who showed the cut cards on the last episode? Remember? Was it Poncho Belt? Yeah. yeah Poncho. Well, now, I don't know if you've spotted this, but what he's done with his cut cards was he took his Kenner cut cards and applied them onto Palatoy card backs. So they looked as though he was displaying a good, clean set of Palatoy 1221 backs. And that's a brilliant idea. I was really impressed with that. Yeah, that's I mean, he's not stuck them on or anything. He's just displaying them. So, behind acrylic, so it looks as though, um, you know, they're pushed up against each other. I, I know, Rich, we covered it last month. It was great to see a brand new poster on the forum called Geeky Monkey, who stated that each show is getting better. He's listened to all of them from the start, and it's great to see that not only are we getting new listeners, but we're also bringing new listeners into the hobby. Okay, so that's something that we're really pleased with. Over Tant of Eleven, we've got some great feedback from Clint, who, um, as usual, provided lots of links to great resources at Tant of Eleven. So, so thanks, Clint. We read all of those, and everything you do for us on Tant of Eleven is greatly appreciated. Finally, I just wanted to say that um, Chipsteak over on our forum had a great idea. 
and he asked if we could have a jazz special, whereby it's just jazz reading out, you know, um, text from the side of boxes, instructions, leaflets and things like that, because he says sometimes he can't get to sleep, um, and he would just like some soothing, relaxing, monotone voices to, to help him drift off. Now, I don't think I, he said I just, I just want to say that um, Chipsteak we did try to record jazz one night, reading stuff like that, but all of our laptops went into sleep mode. As always, if you wish to leave us feedback, discuss something about the show, or just want to chat, you can email us, show at vintagerebellion.co.uk. Find us on Facebook by searching Vintage Rebellion, on Twitter at SWTVR Podcast, or on Instagram, again, by searching Vintage Rebellion. You can listen to our entire back catalogue of shows and upcoming ones on iTunes or directly at swtvrpodcast.podbean.com. Huge thank yous to our guests this month, Mark Hockley, Mete Aiken, Stefan Forcourt, Craig Spivey, Simon Graham, Lee Bullock, Jared Cope and Oliver Sudwigs. And don't forget to make sure you stop by at our table at Celebration and come and see us on all the various panels. Well, that is all we've got time for this month, but we will be releasing July's episode slightly earlier so it is out before Celebration. We really do spoil you. So until next time, it is goodbye from Rich. Later, guys. Goodbye from Grant. It's going to be a good summer. See you guys. Goodbye from Jezebel. Love tonight. Cheers, lads. See you next time. And it is goodbye from the weasel, Peedy Weedy. Come on, England, let's beat Wales. <laughs> and it's goodbye from me. And remember... Only you can decide with Star Wars toys. This podcast is not endorsed by Disney, Lucasfilm Limited, 20th Century Fox, or anybody who cares about the Star Wars franchise. It is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The official Star Wars website can be found at www.starwars.com. All names and sounds of Star Wars are registered trademarks of Lucasfilm Limited and other associated copyright holders. All of the original content of this podcast are the intellectual property rights of the Vintage Rebellion. If you enjoyed this podcast, then feel free to email swtvrpodcast at gmail.com. If you don't enjoy this podcast, tough. Are Star Wars products going to have the durability of, say, that old favourite, the teddy bear? You guys don't take it too seriously, but it's great fun. It's, yeah. it's great fun, and it's educational. And with the exception of, uh, bless him, love Richard, but <laughs> Richard's nativity, I couldn't listen to <laughs> If I'm totally honest, <laughs> you might choose to cut that bit, or I'm at least wait until he's posted the stuff that he's just picking up for me tomorrow from Vectors. I love Rich; he's an absolute legend, but um, I, I, I couldn't follow that. Maybe because I missed the other ones that you've done the years before, um, <laughs> I couldn't get a handle on it. I was just like, "What now? <laughs> What's happening now?" I tell you what, what. I put them both, both on CD for you so you can enjoy them between gigs. Do you know what? I'll make a day of it. I'll watch the Ewoks movies and I'll watch the holiday special and then I'll finish up by listening to the nativities that you did. And that would just be, yeah, I'm sure the missus are joining me. I mean, why wouldn't she, right? That's, that's, that's a great day. <laughs> might even be able to star on it if you're, um, if you're, if you're good enough. <laughs> well, you never know. Well, yeah, that's it. I'll do an audition. Yeah, you could be on, uh, you could put that on your CV now, right? Hey, yeah, this is going on my CV. It, there's, there's some things you don't, you're not allowed to put on your CV for a little while, but this definitely can go on my CV. Yeah. <laughs>
I look forward to playing it to the missus, who's just got in, actually. So she'll, she's missed it all live, so she'll have to listen to the edited highlights. Does Cat want to be next month's guest? I tell you what, you really missed a trick night interviewing Cat, because um, it's something I've never heard done before, whereas uh, there really should be a, like, a wives and girlfriends support group, <laughs> and, and, and Cat would happily be a spokeswoman for that. Um, wouldn't you, babe? Yeah, Laura, Carl's missus, and Cat, they've actually set up a Facebook group. Say hello, Cat. Hello. Yeah, hello. she's real, see? <laughs> and um, she exists, yeah. Uh, she's just putting the layer costume on it, nice. <laughs> so, um, yeah, you really should get on, even if it's for like a, a, a three minute segment or a, a one minute quick fire round, you should just get, uh, if, if I could think of anything you guys could do that you're not already doing, you should do like a one minute quick fire with a wife or girlfriend. Just and don't prep them. Literally, just go right. Uh, and what's the most annoying thing that insert name of collectors, you know, done? And, and what's and what do you think's the most valuable person, piece in their collection? And what's the least valuable? And, and most of them are just going to go. Don't know. But I think a lot of guys tell their girlfriends that everything costs fifty quid. Yeah. And it, it'd be interesting to see how many are switched on to what's what, and 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 how many are just kind of going to their happy place every time they open their mouth. 